The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation Show, episode 329. Everybody else. else went to VCF Midwest except us. We just got stuck yeah. with the show. We're not the cool kids. Hey, we can oh, be cool. It, it looks like it's really a hopping place this time. I think that, that particular one, Midwest, is always pretty hopping. Yeah, well, from some of the pictures we've, we've seen that we can probably show later, um, they ran out of room and they set up tables outside. Yeah. Well, I know Jason Timmons was getting interviewed uh, about VCF Midwest a couple of weeks ago on YouTube, and he actually had mentioned that this is the first year they've had to turn away vendors. They didn't have enough vendor tables. Well, they still got too many vendors if they're sticking them outside. Yeah. Yeah, they're out in the parking lot, out in the grass. So we can show some of the pictures a little later on. Let's see. Yeah, hopefully we're going to get a live feed. I've got, I've got promises from a few of them, and I've sent texts to two of them to see if we can get them to organize and figure out what time they're going to be on. But if it's that busy of a show, it's probably going to be a little bit further in, I'm guessing. Okay. But meanwhile, we've got uh, a whole lineup going on here. Let's see. Who we got on the panel today? Uh, step one is rearranges. Everyone's on the same page. All mm -hmm. right. Top left, as we usually start, we got Rondelvo. Hey, TCN for the rest of the masses of people that aren't VCF. <laughs> okay. And next over, yours truly. Then we got Rick Euland. Greetings, folks. Hey, Jim Rye with the game on results today. Good coordination. All right. Then we got uh, L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hey, Marco. Hello. Glad to be here. Hey, Bob Emery. Howdy, folks. Uh, Kevin Holloway, who stepped away at the crucial moment. <laughs> oh, here I am. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I had a UPS shut down. Oh, that's uh, no good. Uh -oh. Was that cat-induced? No, no. Just a, <laughs> a weak battery. Oh, okay. Then you can't use the U anymore. Yeah. Oh, it's an interrupted uh, power supply now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a power filter now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's an oops. Powered by Never Ready. Oops is trademarked <laughs> by a certain uh, courier company I don't want to talk about. 
Uh, um, an APC unit. That they that that by chance they uh, wear brown. Let's yeah, me- melted chocolate. I think it's made out of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next row, Nick Barentes. Thanks for hey, being everyone. With us. Hello, everyone. And last but not least, Brian Weasler. Hello, welcome to the show, everybody. Swinging in here at the last second. Okay, do you need, do you need some it. more time to set up? Under the wire. Um, I, eh, oops, there we go. I think I got most everything. Uh, I think ready to go here. I might have a uh, one little pause there after I show one thing, but uh, yeah, for most part, I'm ready to go. Unless there's somebody else that wants to share first. No, I think you. You're no, I think we'll do you good. first, and then we've got three other people lined up after. So, oh, for um, for project and acquisitions. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. If, if, actually, if they want to go first, uh, an extra five minutes would be perfect for me, actually. So. Okay. Uh, Rick. Okay, sure. Um, oh, we got Grant joining us now, too. He's ooh. at the show. Oh, we got to fix that. Um, let's see. There we go. Sir Rick. Okay. Well, last, uh, I think it was last show I was showing the theoretical thing I was making, and they showed up. They're so. not theoretical anymore, huh? They aren't theoretical anymore. And check so what it theoretically out. is it? Oh, it theoretically is the uh, network card with a boot ROM. And if you look really close, baby's got her first bodge wire. So it's getting close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 only, only one bodge wire, huh? Yeah, only one so far. Um, <laughs> the network part works. So hey. I guess my September investigation is going to be how to um, deck B ROMs work. For instance, you know, the uh, can I write it while the thing's running without killing the world? I've gone as far as create my own um, CTS signal, which normally isn't available during writes. So I've got it partially covered, but now you've got the Cocoa 3 with the map O and the map 1. If you want some and, expert help on the on the basic ROMs and just basic ROMs, I would talk to uh, William Astle William on Astle. Discord. I will do so. Because when you write the ROM, you don't want the data ending up in it, uh, NORAD. <laughs> for concern right right we don't want to start a war or anything so anyway um pretty fun what else was going on uh so anyway yeah i'm, I'm really happy the network park works i think i have a timing fudge that might fix the problems hey. that uh yeah the protector Coco rick what's have. on your shelf back there um oh we're um looks like tubes yeah. Okay. This is like the original electronics hack that ever existed. So you had your Victrola that you cranked up to play records, and then you bought your AM radio, and the AM radios finally got so good that they had a lot of bass and stuff. And wouldn't you like to hook up one of those newfangled electronic turntables? So you made one of these, which is a phono oscillator, a little radio transmitter that you could hook your turntable to, and. Uh, Pick it up on your AM radio, and now you've got amplification and bass and all those good things that your big old Victrola just couldn't do. So that was the original electronics hack. Did you actually put that together, or was it purchased? Yeah, yeah. This is a this was a how do you build these old things kind of kit where you make it on a board and screw a literal board, (laughs) a literal board. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was a that was a fun thing. Is, is that a common uh, thing you could buy still? That um, yeah, tube? yeah, it's such a historical thing that you know there's kids around. Huh. What tube is it? Uh, 
the tube itself, which is the uh, transmitter, is a 12SA7. Um, now, when that thing gives off a little smoke, is it pretty <laughs> spectacular or? I don't know. It hasn't done that yet. Although, <laughs> no. um, I was very oh, careful it... to, to like tape over all the AC wires. So all of the exposed stuff is low voltage. Oh. <laughs> Knowing today's world, you, you know, in the old days, you probably could have put 220 on the, on the little, uh, but not anymore. Actually, they do smoke when they get dust on them. Oh, I suppose, yeah, burning the dust off. Oh, here's one more thing I wanted to bring up. If your company has plenty of money, you're able to pass out these branded leather tchotchkes at trade shows to show how much money your company has. If your company has too much money, you can brand the backside of the leather tchotchke. And that's probably (laughs) a sign you need to back off a little bit, (laughs) which is the history of IBM, I think. So uh, Exactly. That's my bit. Okay. Cool. Uh, let's see. Mark, you want to go next? Me? Sure. Let me see here. I have my uh, v- v- VLC player up with videos that I uh, recorded in the last couple of days. So. And this is your official Septandy project, isn't it? Yeah, this is what I'm calling my Septandy project. Since I'm going to a show at the end of the month and, you know, I want to... Uh, uh, show it off. So let's see. I'll share sound, even though I'm not going to really play anything with it. So, okay. Do you see me now? Still waiting. Oh, there yes. it is. Uh, okay. Excellent. So, um, so basically, this is um, the game that uh, Brett Gordon and Jay Searle have been working on. It's what do they call this view? What do they call this view? Oh, yeah. it's isometric. It's called. Oh, okay. it's called the, the gameplay is isometric. It's a okay. It's a, a pseudo 3D, basically. So strangely enough, little tiles are actually made as, made as diamonds. And so I don't know if you see my mouse pointer here, but uh, now I guess you can't see the mouse pointer, but yeah, little diamonds. Yeah, we I can see it. Okay. So little yeah, it's diamond. not high contrast, but we can see it. Okay. Yeah. So a little diamond is with each of the tiles. And so they're made as little diamonds and then they stack together. So anyway, so the, the, the game engine is actually Brett's idea. He was thinking of a space game, but. Uh, Jay Cyril came along and said, "Hey, I want to do a you know like a Ultima style game, uh, King's Quest." And so it's actually what is the pattern off is a, 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 a Super Nintendo game called Dragon Something. Uh, I know I have it written down somewhere. <laughs> I know I posted on Discord too. But anyway, so that's the type of game he's looking for. So he's looking for like a four-player multiplayer game, and so it's designed to be a network game. And uh, again, it's really cool because Brett made it so that it's actually really complex because. The code side has the server side, which is written in C for whatever system it's running on, but it also has compiled into it a Lua interpreter. And so all the game logic is all in Lua. So you got Lua code, you got C code, and then you got C code for the Coco that's done in the GCC compiler patch for the 6809. And uh, so there's a, the game code you load, there's the server codes, two parts, Lua and C. Then there's the boot, which is actually a kernel program. It's written in C, GCC also, and a setup program that go on the disk. So what you get is you get a disk that has a couple drivers for basically DriveWire, a kernel that then reaches out to the server and then downloads the game and then starts it. So it's all network bootable. So uh, Brett and I went, hammered out a bunch of bugs back in February, March, just before Cocoa Fest. Got a whole lot of things more stable, which is good because there are quite a few bugs in there. There's still a few, but much better now. Anyway, um, and then just slightly after Cocoa Fest, um, 
Brett was able to get a second player to show up. It was always envisioned to have two players. But uh, let me hit the play on this video. But anyway, basically, it was always set up to uh, to have two players. But you know, the all the initial code was developed with only single player in mind, so a lot of things didn't work right. Anyway, Brett was able to go through, and uh, I'd created another couple of characters, a little ghost and a barbarian. And so Brett was able to take the ghost character and have a second login. And so you can see there's two different instances of OBCC there. And uh, the uh, the game revolves around the players. So the player's always dead center on the screen. So the um, left screen is the king because he's dead center. And you can see the ghost in relation to him. And then the right screen is the ghost. He's dead center in the king's relation to him. So what I fixed in the last couple of weeks is that um, – Sometimes with the player, um, it would always face the direction you're moving, but it's not always placing the characters properly. So I'm still working on some of that. But I was able to modify the code so I can actually turn the player without moving. By using the shift as a modifier key, I can use arrow keys to tell you move to turn the player around in a circle, which is nice. So you can see that the, uh, the players are kind of moving around a little bit, not a whole lot, but uh, it's kind of hard to run uh, run two different windows with uh, one person. But you can see it does update. There's a little bit of lag there, but it's not too bad. Let me skip to the next video here. Um, basically, it's designed to handle multiple players. And so I know Jay is aiming for basically three, uh, three or four players. So I activated the uh, third player. There's my other graphic. And you can see you move on the one screen currently. Which one are we? Let's see who's dead center here. I think it's the ghost is. Okay, the bottom one now is. So the king is now going to be dead center, and as it moves around, you can see it moves on the others. A little bit of a lag, not too bad on the local system, but um, hey, it's getting there. I mean, it's not Minecraft, but it, it's getting there. Anyway, um, so, so what are the system requirements going to be for this, Mark? Do you know? Oh, uh, Cocoa 3. Uh, Cocoa 3 512K is all you need for the client. So... Um, there is no local game. I mean, the game runs on the server, so you're going to have to have something you hook your Cocoa up to. But with DriveWire, you got to hook to something anyway. So Brett and I do all our development under Linux. So currently it's compiled under GCC for Linux and runs uh, just in a window on either on a local system or, you know, you could actually have it on another. If you had a Linux system or Raspberry Pi, you could run it on that. If it's on the same network as your Windows system or whatever, you could uh, run your, uh, uh, your client on you know, emulator, or you could run, uh, there's a dr wire, uh, drive wire uh, for the Becker port. Well, there's a drive wire Becker port is what I'm using here, but also just the regular one. So if you have your Cocoa hooked up to your Raspberry Pi or to a Windows system or whatever, you can use it that way. This should compile under uh, Windows if you're using like a Sigwin or uh, MSYS2. Um, and definitely if you're running the Windows system for Linux, it'll work. So um, you just do and there's it. plans to support the the network cards, so like like what Rick's working on. Yes, uh, that's my goal is to get the network cards. So at the moment, I'm just trying to flesh out all the the errors. It's still got weird things like uh, when it disconnects, sometimes it crashes the server, and, and I just figured out it crashed randomly, and then I realized somebody else was connecting to it randomly, poking my ports, and was connecting to it and crashing it. So it's like, oh yeah, it needs better handshaking to make sure it's actually talking to a real client. But yeah, just wormering out the bugs for now. At the way the uh, moment here um so i hadn't planned on going here so uh 
me see if I can shift my window here to another. Let's see, I'm going to stop that visual share. And I'm going to share a different window now. Okay, find the right one here. Need more tabs. Yeah, I need more tabs. <laughs> I've tried to reduce most of them. Where is my... I cannot find my... I have a OVCC up here, but I cannot see it anywhere. Uh, I could just... Uh, portion of the screen, sure. Which screen is it going to give me? Which screen? You see a bunch of diagonal lines. Bunch of diagonal lines. Oh, prompts. I have no idea which screen sharing. Uh, so I don't do this often enough, unfortunately. Oh, there we go. Yeah, the problem is I can't. I have uh, I have OVCC running in a window, but I can't find it here under uh, things I can share. Guess it doesn't like me. Okay. Well, anyway, um, no. Basically, the uh, the uh, disk has basically two drive wire drivers, and uh, uh, basically it's already designed to be you know flexible in, in some, uh, network transport. So uh, should be possible to write a basic driver for network card and have it loaded instead of the drive wire driver. And then it'll work fine on regular hardware. It does. I've tried it numerous times on regular hardware with uh, the regular drive wire driver. So uh, I've been using Pi drive wire. It should work with either any of Boise's drive wire servers or drive wire four uh, because they'll have network transport. So haven't tested with the others, but it should work. So Okay. Well, definitely yeah, the three of you should come on at some point when you have a big... Uh big breakthrough moment and uh you know give us a nice update that's um, nice I'd to like see to, that it's, go ahead yeah I'd, I'd like to see you know uh at least the four players that jay's thinking about actually for testing purposes it'd be nice to have a you know dozen people connect and have them all running around so are you asking for volunteers oh, eventually so <laughs> i got to make some more graphic characters so you can tell them apart and of course uh, mm -hmm. uh brett has it penciled out for 256 uh basically connections so Nice. Cool. Neat. Anyway, it's a project, and I think it's cool. So. Okay, and then I think next we got Nick, then Brian. Is that the plan? I'll put Brian on first. I'm still fixing. Oh, okay. okay. He's running. Right, Brian, recording. you're up. Hi. There we go. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yes. <laughs> well, I unmuted, but then I had a little pop-up saying that I need to unmute myself. So anyway, um, a couple of things I wanted to share. One's kind of a timely thing, and then the other one's, uh, I'll, I'll start out with this other one here first. Uh, let me switch my camera. Where's my mouse at? There we go. Okay. Does anybody recognize this? Components. It is components. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> some sort, including a, a seven pin. It looks like pin connector. Potential bodge wires. <laughs> no, it's, it's, confused. It's, it's it's a relatively new product that's available. Uh -huh. 
Looks like one of uh, the VDG breakout. It looks like it hooks into the back of the Coco 3. This is the uh, Super RGB that uh, John Whitworth is now distributing. Have you guys seen his post mm -hmm. out there, either on the on the uh, I'm, Dragon Arc, oh, okay. uh, the Dragon so, Post, yeah, or the uh, color computer? Yeah. What does so, RGB mean? So you don't use red the power blue. supply. Red, thing, green, right? blue. Well, no, this is the this isn't the power supply board. So well, no, I thought there was a like the RGB went through another board or something, and he's replaced it. Yes. Yep. Yep. I forgot to bring that in here with me, but I can, uh, I can uh, show you here. So what, what the basic component is this right here. So this is his RGB board. Let me untangle it here just a little bit. I just recently got these. I just ordered them and they just uh, came over across the pond. So this is his RGB board and it works in conjunction with this here. So you're going to take the video, you're going to take the video board and you're going to have to make sure that it's socketed. And uh, oh, the VDG. Yep, yep. And so uh, he he sends some components along with it. This uh, this year, along with some headers, you have to do a little bit of assembly. Um, and so you're going to put this socket on top of here. You're going to put the headers on the bottom. You're going to have your uh, Coco or your your Coco two one or two, and your or your Dragon thirty two or sixty four or even Tano. And you're going to socket it. After putting these on here, you're going to take the 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 VDD chip out and you're going to put it on on top of this. And then you're going to put this back down onto the system board. This board here, oops, there we go. This board here, there's this ribbon cable um, that comes from it here. And you're going to, these are, it's going to send the signals. Oh, where's the other cable at there? Uh, I'm missing a cable somewhere here. Uh, no, oh, I'm sorry. It's right here. This right here. This is going to attach uh, into, into this mm -hmm. and send the signals to here. This is going to this is going to generate the uh, the RGB signal, um, and then you, to get the to get the video out, um, he has a couple different options that are available. Uh, one would be, and I, I should have brought it in here with me, if you have his new PS uh, PS uh, U board uh, to replace the power supply board inside of a Dragon, this header right here will connect into it. And on his board, he already has this eight-pin DIN that's on the back side right there. If you're not using this board, or let's say you're going to use it in a Coco, you have to assemble what's in here. And what's in here is a header for this ribbon cable and this eight-pin DIN, which I'll, I'll explain here in just a second. The other option would be, let me grab it back here. If you have his, uh, if you have his Super Sprite board. And I, I did buy one. This is the, the Super Sprite that he had that has the SCART. You can see the header right there. You can Ooh. plug you can plug this into, uh, into here. So you have about three different ways that you can get the signals out. Either plug it into here and then go out the SCART this way. You can assemble this board and then go out this 8-pin DIN. Or if you have his P, uh, PS, uh, uh, PSU board replacement for the power supply on the Dragon, you can plug this into there, and then on his PSU board, it has the um, uh, the eight pin DIN on it uh, as well. So if you go the eight pin DIN route, let me grab the other thing here. Oh, right here. You have to have a specific type of cable, SCART cable. Uh, there we go. Okay. So 
you have to get a cable, a SCART cable, an eight pin DIN SCART cable, but you have to buy one that says Neo Geo. And Neo Geo is a game console uh, with yeah. the C uh, <laughs> with the uh, the C Sync here RGB cable. And uh, there's companies over in the UK. There's uh, I bought this one from a local or not local, but uh, over here in the states, and it has the RGB or the the eight pin DIN right here, and then goes to the goes to the SCART. So I have a little assembly. I just recently received this. I actually bought two of them because I want to use one in a in a dragon, and then I bought I have a whole other set that I, I went ahead and bought two of them, and I bought two of these cables because I'm going to put one up into a cocoa as well. But well, it gives what, you the, what you haven't said is what exactly are you driving to? You know, an LCD screen, a monitor, a CMA, yep, you, what? Yep, yep. <laughs> gives you gives you RGB. <laughs> It gives you RGB, so you can go to go to SCART, and then you can go to whatever you want to. From there, you can go to HDMI output or anything if you have an RG, a SCART to HDMI converter. Yeah, you use yeah, the same box that you use on the all, switcheroo. All that hmm? electronics, and you still don't have anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand how it works. So, so, you know, so dude, let, let me take one step back here for for Ron here. So on the Dragon <laughs> or the or color on. computer, on the color computer, you only have. RF output. The Dragon has RF output and composite output. Um, but what this will give you, like the Coco VGA gives you VGA output. It's taken the video signal and gives you a v- VGA uh, output so you can connect it to a monitor. You, if you have um, if you have AC eight bits uh, Coco DV, again it takes the output from the VDD chip and converts it to an HDMI signal. Okay. What this is do- what this is doing is giving you RGB output, analog RGB, uh, red, green, and blue, which is VGA. What? No, it's it's RGB. There's RGB signal where you actually have three separate signals. You have a you have a, well four really. You have a same just just like, like the, the CM8 monitor three. uses. Yep, basically yeah, like yeah, the CM8 monitor. Yeah. Yep. So the difference is the the signal out of a Coco three is weird and odd and tandy. The signal out of the SCART cable is absolutely standard, and you can plug it into TVs and video converters and all kinds mm-hmm. of other crap. So it's going to give you your uh, an RGB signal, and then what this cable here is doing is it's just it's gathering up those signals here the art the the uh, the red, green, and blue signal plus the sync signals. It puts it into a SCART connector, and then once you get SCART, you can do whatever you want. So if you have a SCART to HDMI converter like the one you use with the Switcheroo. Um, you can then get HDMI output out of it. You, if you have a monitor that has a SCART connector built into it, you can plug this right into the back of the SCART cable and uh, the SCART port and have a up onto a SCART monitor. So there's a lot of different outputs you can go to once you get this here. But this is just a way of generating RGB uh, video. And then from ho- however you convert it to get to whatever monitor you want, that's that's kind of your choice. Okay. Basically... You're getting a Coco Three style CM8 output uh, out of a Coco, Coco one, one, two, two, or two. a Dragon. Yep, or a Dragon. Yep. Or a Dragon. Otherwise, you are stuck with RF or composite if you have a Dragon. Ooh, composite. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a complicated way to do it. Uh, John's providing uh, um, all the components. You have to do a little assembly required uh, to get it. Um, now, but now, when you have RGB out like that and you're running to a CM8, you're back to not having any um, false colors, right? Um, oh, 
Yeah, because well, we, we do the false color is a is unique to comp, uh, composite. Right. Yeah. Artif artifact colors. It's, it's, and, and Jason's exactly little as, composite switch to flip your skirt into composite mode, right. so you don't have to redo things. Well, I mean, that you said it exactly right. It's false um, color. It's. Yeah. Um, I mean, interlace Art is not really a color. Yeah, it's not right. really a proper color mode. I mean, just because it says this color computer doesn't mean you need all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, guys, I got to bump in here just for a second. I just got where David Ladd's going to come on from VCF, but he has limited power oh. left in his phone. So he said the sooner the better. Okay. So uh, how much more do you got to present, Brian? Go ahead and switch to David. Okay. Oh, is he on the call yet? I don't know. He's just coming on the phone. I understand. Yes, but. I'm here, guys. Oh, there he is. Cool. Hi, David. And that's the end of the show. <laughs> uh, so what's up, everyone? Well, we hear you're at VCF, and we hear it's like stinking busy. Yeah, stinking busy is uh, an understatement. If you saw how many people have been coming through, um, the we've got at least a good four hotels that are full um, and we've got people um, you know what let me let me get to the other entrance and I can uh, walk in from as if if you was coming in from outside then you can see the as long as you share out. your video so we can see it because we just have your your yeah, shining face that, avatar <laughs> let me get through this sea of people. That's in the yeah, Curtis. So when are you gonna get your ass down here and join this? You guys got to pick up a different time of the year here. But I'm not busy with work. Well, we're thinking about moving Cocoa Fest to uh, you know June or July, so you might have a problem. Well, then that's your problem because I won't be there. <laughs> I guess I'll have to go to a different show. Pardon <laughs> me. Excuse me. I want the video of David elbowing people out of his way. That'd be right, awesome. seriously. It, it is. It has been crazy busy. They have uh, so they have actually now filled up all four rooms with uh, with with computers. They had to move the presentations down to the basement, and now there's people who are outside in the parking lot selling stuff out of their car, and they also are selling stuff out in the courtyard. So uh, they have out. They have completely outgrown this venue. So they're going to have to probably move it next year. I was saying yeah, Jason Timmons had already mentioned on a stream that he was on a couple weeks ago that they are going to be moving to a different one. I would probably right. say they, they're probably over 3,000 people easily. Uh, I'm maybe, trying the, to get this. Uh, maybe the center that they play, uh, that play the Bulls games in? United Center or whatever it's called now. Trying to get this thing to flip the video. All right. Here we go. So go. from the oh, outside. Highlight. Can you zoom that up there, Brent? Trying or Mark, there you go. All right, so this is from the outside view. So we've got out in the parking lot, we've got people set up. Um, and this is because they they said if you want to have tables, you're going to have to use the outside because they sold out of the tables indoors. So this is what it looks like just from outside. Well, at least it ain't um, raining in the parking lot. Yeah, that's that all, all the way down that road there, uh, David. Is that all people selling stuff yes. on the right hand side? Yes, yeah, a, yes. a lot of the stuff. Yes. Now, then, if we come back towards entering where you'd come in for registration, so here's what we've got here. So, we've got a table 
right there. They're going to make you pay twice. <laughs> we've, we've got a table right here. And then we've got a table over here on the left. So then we'll come in through the front door. No and, signs or uh, anything, huh? Well. They outgrew uh, the signs. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Overflow parking. Yeah, there's a sign for you, Ron. All right. So now <laughs> we we come in. There was a line this morning for people that went outside. So here's just when you come in. The right here is where you get your lanyards and your other stuff. Those are all gone. Um, over here is where some stuff is set up along here. Some HP stuff. Other monitors, yeah, they got all kinds of different oh. stuff from different machines. Um, this is where you get the T-shirts over here on the right. They've got a display that's showing the presentation that's going on downstairs with all the YouTubers. Hey, look, there's Taylor and Amy in that view. Can't really tell from here, but yeah, sounds good. Yeah, right there, there. In the, the right two people on that panel on the display. But yeah. Um, so otherwise, I'm trying to keep the camera as high as possible. Um, so otherwise, um, we've got another YouTuber right here that normally has a um, science science coat on, and he has like a dinosaur or something as a uh, oh, what, what do you want to call it as a companion on his channel um otherwise this is this is still just hallways we haven't even got to any of the actual rooms yet have we that's, that's right, right. <laughs> so as we keep going we'll hopefully uh i'm not completely drowned out by the boys now we're going down the outer hallway <clears throat> there's lots of stuff out here this All isn't right, one I'm of the cities where you can walk out with under nine hundred dollars and not get arrested is it Ron, <laughs> civil asset forfeiture it's... that happens no matter where you're at in the united states oh, okay so this is the first room and this has got a lot of people in it now, David, in past years, each room has kind of had a theme to it as to what, what's in each room. Is that the same as here? No. Um, so far, it's kind of a mix in each room. Um, yeah, with the limited battery I've got, it's uh, I'm not going to be able to cover every single booth. But yeah, there's mixtures of all kinds of different things from game consoles, PCs. Um, and then here's the room, next room, it's pretty big, LGR is right back there where his table is, in the back, back there, um, right here's Ken, I don't know where Sloopy's at, oh yeah, there's Ken, stands up with his shirt, <laughs> right, <laughs> So as everybody can see, it's Ken. Hi. 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 So, yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I'd I'd say it's 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 definitely very busy. Um, oh, there's Sloopy. Say hi, Sloopy. That's typical Sloopy's ignoring us. Yeah. <laughs> And then over here, ah, Coco Man. For, mm. Yep. Suspicious so right character. here is uh, Jason, or otherwise known as mm -hmm. Coco Man. He was sleeping. So, show us your drink. We haven't, even, we haven't even started the news yet. What's he sleeping for? Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Practicing. Um. Yeah. So then down this way. It was in orange just there on the left. Yeah. Who was that? My orange shirt. I have no idea. He had a cocoa. And then here we've got John. Ah, yeah. Hi, John. Hey, John. Hi, John. And then, then of course, our El Presidente. That's right. And then, of course, the, the girl that's selling the hash cakes. I mean, uh, the. The, uh, <laughs> the big. <laughs> Purely for medicinal purposes. That's why Jason's falling asleep. He had too many of them. Uh, yeah. Hey, it's cool um, in Illinois. So, and then then we come into this room, which is, is this? so we've got more PC stuff and more people please, working on stuff. And please battery last. Please battery last. Grant's <laughs> charging his battery right now, so hopefully we'll have him as a backup if David's dies. So we've got some tape equipment. Up oh, model one over there to the right. Uh, severe right. That's a goodies. I don't see one, but okay. Um, and then over here, oh, look at who managed to show up at BCF Midwest. Hey, oh, Paul. It's a Paul Fiscarelli. Good to see <laughs> we're on, we're live on the show, sir. Good to see you. Hello. So, and then, uh, let's see here. So I don't know how many people, uh, so this person right here, of course, he looks like he's involved. Well, I am so, involved. So Coco Nation is live. Hey, say Coco hi, Nation. Jason. Hi. Okay, hi. AJ. Good to be here with you guys. So this is AJ. For those that went to Coco Fest, he showed up. He's, yeah, he's been he's, at quite a few of them. Forgotten Machines is his uh, primary YouTube Which channel. Coco is not, but I was honored to be a part of it anyway. So, and then he's also a part of the Knight Rider Historians group. I am one of the Knight Rider historians. So, yes. If anybody watched the one video, he was being interviewed by Parapractic for Kit. So, yes. Oh, yes. Indeed. And I'll catch you later, AJ. So, otherwise, there's um, he's got terminals sitting here. So, yeah, and then we've got all kinds of other nifty doohickeys. Altairs, it looks like. Probably, but I don't know a lot about all of the different hardwares here. And then, of course, I hear phones ringing. So I'm going to say Grand Central Station. Um, yeah, That's got to be Jason's booth, right? Because Jason's really into the old phones. Well, someone here does the whole uh, switch or PBX. So that we can have phones, because there are phones at some of these tables. Imagine um, uh, the hotel's electric bill. <laughs> oh, actually, out in the hallway, it is very hot. Oh, speaking of the PBX, 
Here's the PBX that uh, is being used. Someone is actually trying to make a call to one of the, one of the other tables. <laughs> so, yeah, they they show all kinds of stuff at the, at, at this show. Yeah, they got oh, all this stuff, and they, and there's no smoke. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> See? I'm not there to try to solder. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, they have a booth where they're teaching people how to solder. It's a lost cause, and me, I know Grant's already mentioned that too. Like, don't bother, don't waste your time. So, so, but but yes, there's uh, there's lots of stuff. Um, so if, does if does VCF get a visit from the fire department every year like we do? No, no, that's <laughs> only when the elevator decides to go cranky. And thankfully, they don't one. have an elevator here. <laughs> it's all on one floor, huh? So. Pardon me, coming through. Have you found anything you want? Um, <laughs> Which room? Sadly, sadly, I haven't really had time to look for stuff. I've been kind of talking to a, a few people. Right here is part of the free table area. Ooh, free table. We, Ooh. Yeah, we've we call it the vultures are going in for their attack run. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But, um, but yes, there's, it's definitely a full house for this, this year's VCF Midwest. It's, uh, lots of different machines in the hallway. And other now, are most of the Coca people all together or are they scattered because of how full um, the tables are? There was one guy that wasn't really here demoing a cocoa, but he sold quite a few for like cheap. They were untested. Um, that's here. Jim, of course, is a multi-machine person, so I don't know if I could say a cocoa person per se, but he's in this room. Um, we've got. Let's oh, see what here. is a cocoa? There it is a cocoa. So this is Sloopy's table. So there's cocos, and I think a Macintosh here, and then Ken's got his area where he's doing a cocoa. And what is that over there? Is that a handy vision, I think. Handy vision. So that's what a Polico vision clone? No, nope. and television clone television. with wood grain paneling. <laughs> What's that? I'm learning how to solder. Ah, speaking of soldering, I should take Sweet. him to see the soldering thing. Bravo Curtis and his, why he could be learning if he was here. No, it's a lost cause. Lots of people have tried, all have failed. <laughs> <laughs> So, but yes, and then over here, which strangely enough, he, he vanished. So this is Neil's area. Neil, Neil Blanchard? Blanchard. Yep. Okay. So Glad he made it down because he, he missed quite a few shows after even even after COVID. Yeah, well, you know, it's unfortunate that he couldn't get through the border. But yeah, it's uh it's it's definitely busy. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, this reminds me of Rainbow Fest in the mid-80s. It was packed like this where you could barely walk. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, I was at 84 and it was like that. Yeah, 86 for, and 87, oh, 88 yeah. for me. It's, it's, it's definitely a busy VCF. Well, uh, I'm trying to get back out into the hallway back to the other area. Um, Where's Grant hiding out? Is he following you? 
unlikely. He's probably still laying in bed. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in, I'm charging up my phone. So now, when you go this way, which heads back into the lunch area. Pardon me. Do you think they'll so, cover this uh, show on the media, local media? It currently is there, Ron. We're covering it. No, so right I mean, here is is the the uh, <laughs> multiplayer game land party setup. So right now, I think they're playing Unreal Tournament. Hi there. <laughs> Oops. So then, if you come around. Right here is the table where they're teaching people how to solder, which is the greatest thing that you can do if, if you're trying to get into nice little hobbies. like I just had a shiver go down my spine. <laughs> oh, now, Curtis, you can be taught how to solder. See, nope. they got professionals. <laughs> ask ask Bill. He'll tell you it's not possible. Oh, Curtis, you just have to come back. And then, then of course, the lunch area. So, yeah. And then if we go this way, we've got the VCF talks straight ahead well i've not actually been downstairs so i don't know what it looks like so hopefully my signal holds up since i'm on cellular downstairs might not be that great but let's find out so no seminars are taking place in the up the main floor there right. are yep. none it's only downstairs Yeah, and then of course, full yeah, full room is at capacity. Jeez, here's Taylor and Amy. Yeah, I see Amy there. So oh, and then if we look at the in in the room, there you go. So yes, the room is very 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 full. But yeah, Taylor and Amy right here on the right side. So yeah, go ahead and walk so in there. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and they just dragged out up the stairs. <laughs> yeah, beaten in the parking lot. I'm not lot. getting tossed out. <laughs> yeah, I'm not not doing anything to get in my rear kicked out. <laughs> um, so that this is all free, right? Free for vendors and free for uh, attendees. That's um, correct. Yes, but the thing is, is like always, if you want this event to continue, it's all run because of donations. So it's really a good idea to give them money. Um, obviously, whatever you feel that you are capable of giving, because um, that helps to keep this event going. But yes, and keep it free. Yes. Um, but this event, this is the largest it's been since I've been coming to the VCF Midwest. Hi there, Tim Franklin. Tim Franklin. Hey guys, Coco hey. Nation. What's it? I'm on there. Please. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Inception. So, yes. So, oh, so our own viewers are here watching us while we're still recording. Uh-oh. It's Ken again. Uh, better get um, that filling uh, done there, Ken. So I don't know um, if you want any more questions from me. I probably should go someplace a little bit quieter. Um, but otherwise, um, it's uh, I've I've been having a blast. For me, it's all about coming to hang out and converse about stuff. Others, it's about looking at all the different machines. 
What's Which that board awesome. for? What's that board for? Um, you name looks it. Like it it's, it's for sale. It's for sales and trade. So if you want to, you have a computer for sale. You put it up there. If you want to trade a computer, Look you put at it Coco up there. Fest. It says. Oh. Yeah, does Glenside have a booth there? That's one question. I didn't see one. No, um, we do I, not have a booth this year. But the, I. But yeah, otherwise. Oh, an old wood green floor TV. That brings back memories. <laughs> but yes, this is. Uh, yeah, that's a modern Please, one. no outside food. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Glenn, but the Cocoa Fest is being is advertised though on the website and all the TVs at the at here and everything like that too. So you basically can't go anywhere without seeing a Cocoa Fest flyer. So pretty nice. much at this point, it's uh point towards the stuff, not the parking lot. Well, yeah, the parking yeah, lot has yeah. stuff. What are you talking about? Right, you can't miss it. <laughs> we didn't see anything over there. Yeah, we did. That's the same place that we show that they're all selling stuff out of their cars because there's no room inside the building. Yeah, that's what where I started the recording at or the show, the video at there, Ron. You wasn't sleeping, were you? No, <laughs> yeah, you that, were. The whole right hand side is people selling stuff, Ron. Yeah, I remember. Know. Right there, people. But he came out showing the parking lot ground. Well, right okay. there. Then, 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 give me one of those. Uh, what, what are those things called that you hold it and the phone always stays level? Give, yeah, give me one of those, Ron. All right. All right, come get it. <laughs> That's what mail's for, sir. So, but yes, we've got everybody under the sun. And then well, yeah, everything right definitely. still as we keep going here, it's got people's it's got stuff for sale. Yep. Is there anything on the other side of the building? Because there were some pictures earlier of uh tables set up on a grassy area. Oh, yeah, it's in the courtyard. Nice Dodge Challenger right there. Uh, <laughs> it's a car. Yeah. Um, I'm the same way. Right. Car. Hey, hey David, does he still have that uh, Apple computer there to your right? Um, that yes, one? he does. That's, yep, that's all I needed to know. Yep, <laughs> got your eye on that one, do you, Grant? He said it that way. Eight hundred dollars. is brand new. <laughs> so we got huh. stuff all the way down here to this van. Um, I'm going to walk past the van to give you an idea of how how crazy this has been. Uh, so we've got, right there. yeah, again, just a car. Um, yeah, you're right. It's not a cocoa. Nope, it's not. So we got people parking on the grass. <laughs> we've got people parked. <laughs> we got people parked all the way up through this street, and then we've got. Looks like my neighborhood people, at a football game. Right. We got people. <laughs> Parked all the way up this street. We got people parked all the way down this street, all the way to the main um, main drag. And then over that way is the overflow parking on the other side of that, that little building. There's a whole parking lot full of people. I mean, people um, are parking even all the way across the street into the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> In the flower beds. <laughs> yeah, there's people parked literally. So the parking lot's yeah. full, but the Walmart's empty. Yeah, look at this. 
Warning, uh, all unauthorized vehicles will be towed. And yet people are parked in. Rock, oh, look at this. Look at that. Someone with their, their, their vehicle that can drive over stuff parked over a rock. So, yeah. <laughs> Literally in the flower beds. <laughs> so, yes, this, this event is definitely uh, big. I'll go out the other. <sighs> I got to walk more. So this courtyard, is that coming up to that you were mentioning that they're also selling stuff at? Yeah, I got to go through the front entrance to get to the back courtyard. If you I'm think of it, walking. your battery's doing great. Well, the thing is, is I've got it plugged into a power pack. The battery in my iPhone is at a quality of 66%. So even while I'm doing live video, it's plugged into a battery pack that's supposed to be charging it. It's losing power. Oh, but it's not keeping up. Yeah, yeah. No, it can't keep up because the battery's bad in the phone. I just haven't, I've been kind of busy with, you know, life things the last month and haven't had time to really deal with getting a battery replaced. Other things have kind of been more important. Um, but we'll go through. And of course, people are getting their lunch. So we'll go through and go out the back. Ah. Getting your exercise anyway. Right? Yeah. Hey, it's not 99 out. Oh, yeah, so one. people in the chat were saying it's in the 70s right now or something like that. So it's actually a big improvement. Yes, 72 well, degrees right now. The thing is, is that, yes, the uh, outside it is, but the problem is, is that the uh, the inside hallway feels like it's about 100 in there, where the, all the stuff is. The rooms are cooler, but the hallway that's on the other side of this glass where we walked through earlier, yeah, that is extremely hot. Well, they say that extremely uh, person gives off 300 BTU. Well, I'd say you definitely yeah. have a lot of space heaters in there. Right. I've um, got an ancient telephone. Plus all the electronics that's running in there, too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, especially the monitors. The monitors are probably the part that puts off the most heat. So here we've got, uh, obviously, stuff out here. We've got different gaming stuff. Uh, oh, look. Dot matrix printers. It's always the fun thing. Oh, Oki Data. I used to work on those. Um, yeah, that's more any floppy data. Any floppy drives? Wires, uh, wires. Water wires. All the bees are out here. Holy crap. <laughs> Check out hey, that TV. look, it's Jim again. Jim, who brought all these bees out here? Holy crap. Uh, no, not me. Holy. I better watch my language. Um, He's carting <laughs> off stuff. Right? Someone needs some bug killer. He saw the word free and he went for it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I went through the free pile last night and this morning. So, all right. Well, that's pretty much the, the, the quick tour I could do. Um, I don't know if Jason or someone else does more in-depth recording at any of the stalls. Maybe they'll post it in the VCF channel or their YouTube channels later. Um, I'm sure Adrian and uh, LGR will have videos up. But 
as it stands right now, it's, oh, oh, this is so much better at school in here. So, but yes, yes, we got our, our cookies, not hashes. No hash, no hash here. <laughs> Hashtag, oh, never mind. Yeah. Um, all right, I'll go around the other way. It'll be easier for the other gentleman that's trying to get through. But yes, I don't know if there's... Um, I saw the 8-bit guy. He's here too. I haven't seen where. For those that know Ben Heckendorf, he's back in the corner right back there. Yeah. Any other questions you got before my phone needs to be disconnected? Yeah. Did you did you see much uh the model one three four? Anything? Not, not that I saw, but I yeah, there there is a there are a couple <laughs> model fours and there is a uh, model one over there by Neil's table. Ah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry. No, you're fine. I there, I will say though, I I have probably seen more cocoa stuff being sold this year than any other year before. So, yep. Okay, there, I'm going to this. Is cocoa. So Mark Overholzer, I said hi. Mark Overholzer says. He says hi. Hi, Tim. He says hi, Tim. So, otherwise, yes, I'm like, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Photobomb. Uh, Jason, don't make me grab you. Uh, now he's getting everybody. <laughs> There's two, two lads it's, in one. It's too early for After Dark. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I can get that started anytime. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> so but yes neil uh he's got all kinds of stuff sitting around here oh and then is he back of, yet or no not but you was talking about model let me see if i can flip this around again there you go Ron. there you go yep it's being displayed on a flat panel that's a Model 4 beside it, looks like. Yeah. Model uh, 4, yeah. I got one of those screens, too. That's what it too, looks like is a Model front. 4. With a GoTech. And this and has model, got... That's hooked up to a Fred. So purists are going nuts right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's running. Yeah, but otherwise... Yeah, yeah. Z80 power everywhere. Yep. So, if there's anything specific you want me to look at, you'll have to tell me where you want to go. Otherwise, I, I want to say hi to Neil, Neil, but I don't. Know, I don't know where he is, and I don't know how long it'll be before he's back. So, yeah, I have no idea. They probably went to lunch. Lunch, or they're at that uh, seminar. Seminar. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, right. that's right. When you said uh, when you said Neil, you said they. Is there some other uh, folks from the uh, previous um, There's crew? two other people that normally the guys. There's two usually other guys that usually sits with them. So I can't remember their names, but yeah, there's two other people with them. 
Let's um, see Coco Man set up. Yeah. Well, you've got... Huh? Yes. Okay, Yes, I went... No, but I went all the way down the parking lot. I showed them the uh, all the way up and down the streets. And yeah. So here's his stuff. So we've got Art. He's got an MC10 up and running. Yes, he has an MC10 Look up and running. The one with the Mark Data keyboard, I think. Or maybe it's his laptop. Apple II GS with his SCART cable for that. Then you got the Poco 3 that's going to two different monitors. Then you got another Coco 3 with a, another monitor and a real, a real FD502 floppy drive. So it's like, ooh. Oh, it's a 501? Well, thank you for correcting Well, I couldn't read it from here. You should be able to tell this at that distance. Does the CMH have doors? Negative. That one. Oh, that one doesn't. No. Nope, that one don't. doesn't, and that one doesn't. So no, neither <laughs> one of them do. Have the doors. Okay. No, there's only one person in the group I know of that has the door, and that was Grant got my old CMA, which uh, looks got, like it's still pristine. I got doors on mine. But otherwise... How's Jason how sales are going? Hey Jason. Ah, well, they're asking how sales going. Not too bad. Did you hear? He said not too bad. I believe. Okay, you heard him. Yep, that's all he said. So, otherwise, uh, well, I don't know what else to show you. Well, he to tell you the truth, he has a, a great setup. He's got a sign behind him. He's got signs set up. He's got machines on. It looks real good. Yep. If 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 I ever do a sign, I'm going to have to find out where he went so I can get my uh, a sign that says Dave's Hobbies. Really? And then in small print underneath, we accept Diet Dr Pepper. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I right now in my situation, cash is uh, more preferable. Diet, doctor, pepper. Yeah, mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> yes. All right. I think that's good for night. I don't want to kill your battery. You just did a hell of a long walk for us there, so you probably need a rest. Cool, sure. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to have to go back to the room and get me a diet, doctor, pepper. <laughs> <laughs> But if, if Grant is also on the call, if you guys want to maybe, you know, corner Taylor and Amy and Neil and a few others here later after the seminar is done, just so they can have, you know, come and say hi on the show there, say how the show's going for them. Yeah, my battery's um, getting charged up here, so I'll, I'll be able to do that. And then in the meantime, um, we'll, we'll continue on with the regular part of the show. All right. Well, it's good to know that you guys are keeping it going. I'll chat with you all later. Thanks for, okay, thanks for the report, Dave. You know, no Dave. problem. Thank you, sir. So uh, just, there, there's also one other thing, too, I want to mention um, before I drop off and uh, charge up my phone 100 uh, um, percent. And um, Brian Weasler was at the Glenside meeting and there was a discussion that uh, we are looking to uh, probably do a virtual Cocoa Fest uh, either in December and January uh, using Cocoa Nation. So that will be something some news to come on that in the very near future. So. Hmm.
Okay. I, I, like, I caught a little bit of the meeting because I was working, but I kind of in the background, so I, I didn't catch it all. But there was also something about insurance for the show that you guys were discussing or something? Yeah, we uh, purchased uh, insurance for the show. So therefore, if somebody gets hurt for tripping over a cable or anything like that, then, uh, you know, we're protected. So, you know, how people are sue happy nowadays and everything. So the policy is only for $130. So it wasn't that, it's not that expensive. And uh, BCF Midwest is the one who suggested that we get it. So we are, t- we took them on their advice and we purchased that already. Yeah. And they so. would know, I mean, look at the size of the show. There's a lot of opportunity right. for tripping on cables there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, cause you know, right. it only takes one little accident and that, but that would be end of uh, Glenside, you know, <laughs> right. You'd wish you'd spent that 150 bucks, right? Perfect. So, but uh, uh, other things too, uh, the website has been updated with new information for the, uh, for Cocoa Fest for next year. So if you want to go ahead and start booking your hotel room, you can do so. Everything's ready to go on that aspect of it. Um, do you have the rooms blocked off with a discount already? Or? Yep, yep. That's already what, on there. The, the, just if you happen the, to know, what what is the price this next year? Uh, 120 So it went, from, went, went up $1. Went, instead of 119 it's 120 Oh, I can't afford for, it now. $1. That's it. Deal breaker. <laughs> so I don't have okay. the uh, food picked up yet for the dinner yet, but uh, that will probably be coming here in the next uh, couple weeks. Uh, and I'm looking to have registration open for tables and everything here. Uh, just go on November 1st. So things are starting to kick off again. So uh, be a lot more to come on that aspect of it. So um, I'm trying to think of anything else that. Um, but mean? One thing, too, uh, we're not going to be doing presentations on Sunday. Uh, from feedback that I got from everybody, a lot of people um, prefer to tinker and, you know, fix things and so forth. And then a lot of the people who did get presentations on Sunday were complaining that uh, nobody really attended those. So, uh, yeah, because some people are flying out Sunday, so they don't really attend. So they've lost exactly. half the audience. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, so yeah, we're just not going to do presentations. We're going to keep presentations on on Saturday, which is another good reason why we want to uh, do the virtual uh, Cocoa Fest, because that means the uh, number of presentations on Saturday are going to be limited. So, and I always turn down people and, uh, you know, and there's some people who can't make it to Cocoa Fest and want to do a virtual presentation, but we prefer to have in-person presentations. So this will give opportunity for them to do so. So, um, so is it going to be organized as if it was a real one only for on, online, you know? Exactly. It'll be like it was in 2020 is what we're looking at doing. So okay. well, are we going to go asked, six hours? <laughs> at least. It could. It could <laughs> easily. So, uh, That's and, just a regular uh, show now. <laughs> and Grant, uh, Grant, what's the, what's the date and our theme this year? Uh, it's May 4th and 5th. So it'll be the, uh, it's the uh, Star Wars theme. So, and we're probably going to be doing a, a, pres- a deal too. So for so the, who has the best looking booths, we'll get some, uh, a, you know, gift card and stuff like that. So we're going to do some um, contests and so forth. And okay. also, Brian, do you want to uh, mention about what they're thinking about doing about uh, gaming for the kids and stuff like that to get the younger people in? Do you want to talk to them about that? Um, yeah, there was a there, there's a group that's going to kind of look at that. Uh, we want to try to see if there's a way we can bring more youth into our retro community. And so there's kind of a committee that's going to be formed to try to come up with some ideas, maybe some kind of a game, a, a game challenge. Uh, they're throwing around some different ideas and then maybe it might be an opportunity to get some, uh, a younger, uh, some younger folks, uh, to Coco Fest and, uh, maybe have some kind of a, a game contest, some kind of award or a prize for, uh, 
you know, for maybe it's a high score or whatever, they were throwing around a lot of different ideas. So that's something that's just starting to uh, come together. But uh, it was a good idea, uh, you know, maybe try to bring some uh, younger folks. We, we always see a few uh, younger people walking around at Coco Fest, you know, usually with their uh, uh, their father or other. And um, uh, so I thought it was a good idea. So, yeah, that's uh, m- more to come about that. We probably have some announcements maybe uh, hopefully in a few months or so. Um, as they come up with uh, ideas since, together. Since I didn't catch the whole meeting, I was going to ask you guys, like, uh, is Sunday just going to be basically like a wind on exhibitors or do we want to try to maybe throw together a round table for the people that are there or what? I'm open for suggestions. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people would prefer just to tinker and, uh, you know, and, and uh, work on their projects on Sunday. So um, that was the kind of feedback that I've gotten back on that. But we, yeah. I know we are going. To, we are planning on doing a roundtable because that's something I've been working with Boise. I'm going to be working with Boise on that to uh, have like a, a hour and a half uh, roundtable discussion, so with some people. So yeah, because I mean, if you leave it completely open on Sunday, that would help too. Because some people like to attend like all the seminars and then they don't get to actually visit on the show floor and talk to the vendors. So it might right. be better just to leave Sunday. You know, if you're you're still there, just I think that's when you get only- a chance. Exactly. I think the only thing we're planning on having on, on Sunday will be just the uh, typical, you know, 15, 30 minute uh, Glenside meeting that we do, you know, in the morning and then everything else will be wide open. So Cause a lot of people are packing no up. Some people, got, some people got to leave, you know, at 11 o'clock. Some people stay until the dinner, you know, but um, I think it's, it'll be better use of our time that way. So, are we going to do anything on Friday this year? Because previously we talked about doing events on Friday. Uh, probably not this year. That'll probably be something we might look into doing next year. Like, uh, kind of like they do at BCF Midwest, uh, BCF Midwest, but Tandy Assembly where they do, a like some talks and stuff on Friday. So we gotta, we gotta look and see how many people will be willing to do that. Cause we would also need to reserve the presentation room for, uh, Friday if we, if we decide to do that. So, and that might be the way we go and maybe more of a Friday, Saturday event and in the slower end Sunday for the fall from 2025. So. Yeah, that's how Rainbow Fest used to run it. Friday night was very busy. Saturday was an absolute zoo. And then Sunday was, like you said, kind of a wind down where you maybe have half the people there just because a lot of people are flying out for work in the morning and Monday. Yeah. So, I mean, if people are willing to come on, on a Friday afternoon and stuff like that, then we might be have a, you know, more of a show on on Friday, Saturday and, and a slower on Sunday. So, but uh, that would be something we would look at in 2025. So, yeah, because we're definitely seeing an upclick uh, in, um, in attendance and you know the projects that people are doing you know now that we're post covid you know people are people are getting out there and i think we're starting to see a swing up so yeah there may be an opportunity there bcf's pretty good proof of that <laughs> yep. yeah and like i said we're advertising pretty heavily here if you go to the bcf midwest uh website you will uh you'll see us plaster on their website so you got flyers out everywhere so we're trying to get did you new, say new you'll people see to show us up. plastered <laughs> that what he said <laughs> well you will see the flyers plastered oh the movie. flyers plastered. <laughs> <laughs> so but yep yeah, just letting everybody know Coco Fresh is starting to get things winding up so uh, be looking for more updates in the next few weeks you guys are doing a good job thanks yeah so we do okay. miss your live streams Grant no we don't <laughs> no no we'll pass on that <laughs> So yeah, so will, uh, Grant, I'll let you charge your phone up. Uh, if you can pop by and grab Neil and maybe Taylor and Amy and a few of the other people we missed um, on the walk around, maybe just get them together and they can say hi. Yep. But, I'll, as soon as I see they're back, I will pop in and uh, break in and and we'll go from there. Sounds good. 
All right. Have a good show, guys. Yeah. All right. Thanks, one, one good thing so, about these shows is uh, sometimes um, you're inspired to do some interesting things because some of the other computer pe- people are doing interesting yep. things. So, you know. Mm. Yeah, because our basic attitude is, ah, oh, the Coco can do that better than that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Brian, you want to pick up part two? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> part two. That's the longest Brian presentation ever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, the next thing, this this will just be brief, and then I got the the main thing I wanted to share with you guys here. This is kind of another upcoming project. Um, Get my camera here adjusted. There we go. Zoom. There we go. So there was a guy on the uh, on uh, one of the uh, retro uh, vintage uh, Facebook pages that had a whole bunch of uh, floppy drives, and I've been wanting to get some black face plated ones. Uh, they do pop up on eBay, but they're they're sort of inexpensive. I mean, some of them they want thirty bucks or more for these uh, for the ones that have the black face on them. And uh, he was selling them for eight dollars a piece. Um, he obviously had more of the cream colored ones, but he did have plenty of these TX. And so I picked up two of these, and I also uh, ordered from uh, StarTech. Right, she a told couple, me you needed uh, some. Yeah, a couple uh, faceplate or uh, five and. Five and a half, uh, or five and a quarter, excuse me, to three and a half uh, adapter plates. Wow. So, those still exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These are. Re- I think it was relatively expensive. I, I, six bucks a piece or something. It's plastic molded. It's not metal. So, what what but, do you expect to do with those? I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, I'm gonna put one into uh, um, like a like a 500 or a 501 that only has the, the one five and a qu- uh, quarter drive, and then add this as a as a second drive. Yeah, that's I've what I got her sitting right beside me. <laughs> yep, I just uh, I've never done a three and a half on the on the cocoa, so I w- always want to go down that road. And then, I mean, at eight bucks a piece, that's why I went and just picked up two. So I'm not sure what I'll do with the other one. Um, I do have a GoTech, so maybe I'll make a drive that has a GoTech and a three and a half in it. You know, just to to have around. So I'm not sure yet. It's, it, it's it's no, those are double density ones, I presume. Are they seven twenties or one point fours? I'm not sure how does it does it actually say on here. I was trying to research that a little bit to see. Yeah, because one point four is sometimes get a bit glitchy, like they get errors. Yeah, what, one way to tell is if just inside the front door, okay, uh, whether or not there's little there's a little switch like the Ripertech switch. Um, okay. The one point fours, I think, will have another switch on the opposite side. Hmm. Because they have an yeah, extra have that hole, hole in the extra disc. Extra yeah. cutout. Yeah, the extra cutout. So That's how the drive knows if it has a 720 or 1.4. So if you but, see where the right protect switch is, look on the opposite side, that same place, and see if there's a switch there. Oh, well, you're asking a lot of my eyesight right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. Um, would, that right just, truck, would the right protect switch just be like a little metal wire maybe uh, sticking out? No, a little, like a little plastic button. Oh, a lot okay. of times they're uh, LEDs, and so there's yeah, okay. could be. physical. Of course, yeah, you could just... See. You could just look up the uh, specs of the drive. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's probably what I'll do. I just hadn't gone down that road yet, but uh, um, I was chatting with David Ladd, and uh, he said that they, you know, they'll work one way or another. Usually, if you use these as a second drive, these are already defaulted to drive one a lot of times. So yes. it should be should be uh, relatively easy just to stick it in there and go without having to do anything. Sometimes you have to, and I believe this is what, it, there's these little solder jumpers here. Sometimes you may have to... Um, yeah, well, that's why yeah, for drive select or something maybe too. Yeah, that's why exactly. the IBMs yeah. had that flip in the middle of the cable. Right. 
Just, just for the people that are wondering what the difference is, you want to show my screen just briefly, then we'll go back to Brian here. I've got a sample high density and a double density three and a half inch disc showing the holes we're talking about. So the black one's right. got the high density hole as well as the right protect hole, and the blue one's just a single double density with just the right protect. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but so like with uh, just in basic, you can use the 720s, but under OS nine, you can go to the you can go to the higher density, right? Or only it... if your controller supports it, and most don't. Okay. But you can you there's a special format command included with the OU. You can actually get 800k per disk. Okay. Do, do distos right. uh, support it? No, high nope. density. Only the original handy controller with the debt with the with analog the data separators and the 12 volt supply needs can do high density. Yeah, Efforts except for a couple of oddball ones which are hard to find. The Eliminator does have a high density board you can get as an option. Oh, cool. And then there's another one called Disk Master, I think it was, that was sold in the late 80s, not too long after Coco 3 came out, and that supported high density well, but it was so expensive because they included with a SCSI controller and hard drive, so it was like $1,000. So there's not many of those around. But a lot of these drives, will they step down to the lower, even if they're a high density? Will they still... Some, the, some okay, do. Uh, so I've had a few here that do not work on the Coco at all. The IO air like crazy. They don't, change right. the, they don't change the right current as they should do, and therefore they won't yep. write okay. properly. I found them quite unreliable, so I quit using them. I couldn't even use high-density disks on there by accident because I have problems with it writing. I just stick with the double-density stuff, and I don't seem to have those problems. Well, um, I hope these work, but at $8 a pop, I figured I couldn't go too wrong right. there. So. <laughs> so. No harm You can use it on an MM1 or a TC70, though. Yep, right. Yep. Okay. Let's see here. Well, the next thing here I wanted to share, and this is the one that's maybe a little timely with one of the uh with one of the uh uh a recent YouTube and, and Curtis, you'll probably have it on your news there. But not if it showed up today. <laughs> uh no, this was a couple days ago. So anyway, let me slide this into place here, this very disgusting looking box. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> this is probably the worst box that I have out of the pile. But uh, looks like a storm in a cistern. <laughs> it, I mean, it's yellowed. It's taped together. Uh, I was scared when I saw faded. it because there's actually holes in the bottom of it. That made me kind of nervous there too, and stuff like. That. <laughs> but uh, this is the box that I received it in. But what's inside of it is what I really, really enjoy. And I think I had shared this with the show once before. This might have been maybe two or three years ago, but I wanted to pull it back out because of a recent video. And uh, let me get let me get it out of here, and I'll show you. Okay, let me get this out of the way. I just had to show the box. That was only because it's quite quite ominous there. Okay, there we go. Okay, well, it looks pretty clean. That yeah, that's not even not even yellowed. Yeah, so this looks like a you know typical cocoa, right? All right. So, anybody notice anything different? Yeah, yeah, it's all wrong. The video. It's got the uh, composite mod on it. It has the composite mod in it. So um, AC's 8-bit uh, zone, he's been doing some videos lately on his uh, Coco DV um, that he's done. But uh, just recently, he's been uh, uh, doing some composite mods, both the Radio Shack and the Mark Data. And in his videos, he talked about the fact that Radio Shack made... Um, some color computers that were for education purposes. And uh, those that were made for education purposes came from the factory with a composite video. And built they into look them. just like that. 
they look just like this. So I've already taken the screws off here. So let's see here. Let me zoom in just a little bit. What do they call those wires? So wires. You can, <laughs> so you can kind of see right here. So where the RF can, normally the RF can would be standing right here vertically, right? And just like the one that uh, Ed Snyder made, you would desolder the RF can from your cocoa. And this actually had some metal. I don't know if they really show up there, you can kind of see some metal standoffs right here or some metal. And you would solder those in right where the RF can would go. And then you had to tap in some voltages, which they, uh, they pick up over here by the power supply. But uh, it, it's nice because it lines up perfectly with your, uh, where the RF output would be. But these actually came from the factory this way. And they had their own, try to hold this together so it doesn't fall apart. But they had their own model number here. It was a 263128. Um, and this is just a sticker that's over. So they might have converted some. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to share this because uh, uh, AC was recently talking about this on his uh, on his video. And I thought, well, I'd, I'd show. Because what he's doing is doing a reproduction of this. Is what he's, uh, and this is an actual original Tandy one. This is the original Tandy one, yes. So what yeah. kind of cable would you have to have for that? So they would they would have a cable that would be it's your... Eight yeah, like track, a, yeah, right? a RCA one. It'd be like a phone plug would have uh, three, um, uh, or does it have four? I think there'd be, there's going to be ground, video, and audio coming out of it. And uh, I don't have one of the plugs handy, though, but a lot of your camcorders used to come out with them back in the day, but it would just plug right into here, and then you'd have your three uh, RCA jacks there. You'd have like a, a, a left-right audio, and uh, even though it's, it's still mono, but and then video. And it'd be composite video coming out of it. But I thought I'd show that uh, this is what this is one of the education series one. And what's kind of nice about this one's actually all socketed too, which is kind of cool. So, so I wonder how that looks when you hook it up, if, it, if it's nice and clear. The, the video we'll be covering in the news, Ron, he actually does show you exactly what it looks like. Oh, okay. He actually compares the mark data with the Tandy one to see what the difference is. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yep. So let me, uh, I just got one more thing to share. Let's, uh, let's see here. Let me reach over here and set this off aside. Okay. One more box. That looks a lot better shape. A lot better shape. But the Green computer box. itself is a little bit yellower. But let me uh, let me pull this one out. Mm, sorry about all the uh, the heavy mic noise there, guys. Didn't hear anything. Actually, that's a recreation of Christmas Day back in the day. You know, opening Ooh, it that up. might be a T1 VDG one, too. Okay, let me back the camera up just a little bit here. There we I'll, go. I'll bet you that's been uh, retrobrighted because the red is gone. Gone on the Tandy oh. logo. Well, the, well, you can see this, well, this is actually quite yellow. It looks a little bit lighter on here, but this is uh, quite yellow here. It's probably not coming through very well. And this has just been faded. So I'll, this was uh, this one has not been retrobited because if you could see the yellow the way I see the yellow, it's almost orange. It's sat <laughs> so in the sun. My, cam the sun. my camera's not doing very good. But again, let me show you the end of this one here. C&M. Interesting. C&M. So you got composite and, mo and mono output. And again, that RE. Uh, so that model number I gave you a little while ago, here it is again. 263128A. Let's see here. There we go. 
zero, I noticed zero, the serial number zero. one. Yeah, I thought uh, I thought maybe Ron might get a kick out of that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a so Canadian was, one too, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Why would it be French? Or not? It ends in yeah. A. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Thirty-one twenty-eight, eh? So this was also another part of that education series that they made. Um, but what was nice about this one is that it had the uh, it had a switch there to go between composite and uh, mono. Or um, yeah. Well, what else would you do with a leftover switch? Right. Right. <laughs> so this this is where your channel select would be. So this one's actually would be vertical in there. Now, unfortunately, this one I haven't opened, and uh, the seal's not been broken, so I've not opened this one up only because of the uh, the serial number. Just uh, I couldn't resist yeah. that one, but uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I don't remember. I, this one here I picked up on uh, up on eBay. Um, it's been quite a while ago. Uh, I'll tell you, there wasn't, there isn't anything more discouraging than bringing out <laughs> your low uh, serial numbered cocoa and showing people, and then people saying. Yeah, they started over again every once in a while. It doesn't even mean anything. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it does but, make uh, sense that this one sat in on display for a long time, given its number and provenance. And yeah, so it might have been a store demo one or something. Right, it sat in a window till the green washed out. Forget the red. <laughs> yeah, and but with, that's um, a second serial number one cocoa I've seen. Lee Veal has a cocoa one gray chiclet keyboard one that's a serial number one as well. Serial number one, yep. And even if they started over too, it's just kind of cool to see the the one with all the zeros. I mean, even if they did start mm -hmm. over, it's still kind of neat to yeah. see that. Um, but I guess the reason why I wanted to show this one, not just for that reason there, um, but also too that this would have the the horizontal board in it. And again, with AC's uh, boards that he's doing, he's doing both the vertical and the horizontal um, type boards that you can. Okay. Um, and, and Curtis will probably cover this, but you can you can order them from him. He's not doing yeah. them as a finished board; he's doing them as a kit. But um, uh, his, uh, if you email him, he'll send you all the information that you can, you can buy one of uh, either the Radio Shack or the uh, Mark Data style. Uh, yeah, because Buck, Buck Owen slash Steve Rasmussen in the chatter just said AC Zippet is starting a pre-order list for his composite pod. So. Okay, good. So, hey, but, Brian, uh, um, mm -hmm. you know the one that you, you got as a kit and it was all just parts? Yep. Did that have a serial number? No. No serial number. Right. Yeah, I don't think Candy put serial numbers in any of the kit stuff they did, did they? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, there's no no serial, no serial number on that. So, yep. So, but no, I just wanted to share these guys. I thought, I, I can't remember if anybody yes. remembers them or not, but uh, they're kind of cool. And, well, uh, did, did, uh, did it have a model number? The, uh, yeah. yeah the, the, the A? Yeah. Yeah, there was a model number for the kit. I don't remember oh, what it was, but there, but there was a because the outside of the box actually referred to as the color computer kit. It actually says that on the outside of the box. Hmm. Yeah, but I can't remember if there was a model number sticker that was with it. But there is an model number on the outside of the box. What's interesting is this is for education, and so is the putting it together one. And you would think maybe that they would have thrown in the uh, different classes, <laughs> right? Yep. And one one might have been one before the other. They may have done the kit, and then maybe they did these. Because I'm assuming these would have been purchased like if, like uh, you know back in the day. A lot of us probably either had like uh, um, sat in front of Model Ones or um, Apple computers, um, you know, because they had some sort of a computer class, right? Um, that they yes. offered. You know, we did programming in Basic, and I'm assuming that Radio Shack was maybe trying to do the same thing. 
you know, to sell these. I'd be kind of curious how many, you know, schools maybe actually had, you know, like, would you go into a classroom and there was a hundred or not a hundred, but there'd be like 30 of these maybe in a classroom all connected to composite monitors or something like that. So right, because you wouldn't want 30 TVs in a classroom trying to get those signals. Actually, <laughs> I, have a, I have a model one um, color computer that has a sticker on it from uh, schools in Rochester, New York. Right. And it has a, a little sticker on it that says, you know, Rochester schools. And it doesn't mm-hmm. have any uh, modifications on it. It's just a right. They just bought one in 16K. But if, yeah, if you have... think, go ahead. I was just going to say, if you think about serial numbers, those are to track your manufacturing process. And the kit has the nothing to track. <laughs> right. Like for the warranties. Right. And yeah, there's nothing like that on a kit. So why bother? Yeah, I have a, I have a white Cocoa One that on the back, it has a metal plate, uh, like what Ron was indicating there, where it said it was part of a, a school system. Mm-hmm. It was in a school district. What I think is funny is we've shown all these different boxes and so forth. The thing that no one realized was most important was you didn't wrap the cord around the cocoa. Doesn't matter what kind of box you put it in. Doesn't matter if you added extra padding. What mattered is you don't wrap the cord around the cocoa so it doesn't melt the plastic and make big, ugly. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> every once in a while, you see every once in a while you see some listed there where you can see yeah. where it's the, the cord yeah. is kind of melted in a little beautiful bit. Beautiful yeah. box, beautiful machine, low hours, but someone wrapped the cord around the stupid thing, and now it's ruined. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's really no way to fix that either. I mean, if you if you sand it, it's smooth because the cocos have kind of a little bit of a kind of a uh, I don't know what texture, you're saying, yeah. like a texture. Well, that's when you're painted black. <laughs> there you go. All right, <laughs> yeah. Get out the wall texture and. But yeah, I could have. Uh, I, I should have maybe tried to see if I could find the cable. I do have a. Uh, I do have this little converter box that does a pretty good job of going from uh, taking the composite oh, yeah. and going to eight, going to HDMI. I should have dug out one of the cords and I could have uh, could have shared the screen. Um, but uh, I uh, forgot to grab one of the cords there. But uh, I can maybe do that at a later time. Well, especially so. the one with the color mono switch that is dedicated to programming with the television type device. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that was the best display you could ever get from a Coco was mono to composite out. Since we're talking about inputs, um, when I got some stuff from uh, uh, my buddy that passed, uh, Paul, he had um, he had a uh, cassette uh, plug that would fit into cassette port and come out as one um, eighth inch jack at the back for uh, reading in, but no other, you know. Yeah inputs which i thought was pretty cool especially if you're just going one way and you're not having to stop the tapes and and you're not going to save anything out it's a quick way to you know put one together yeah i think that type of cable is actually used by people that you know save wav files on their pc because they can just plug that into their sound card and oh right in, yeah that makes good sense. and then you plug the other end into the coco and you can actually just you know take wav files and play them see load them right in or even see save if you have a stereo one right yeah i was just looking to see here maybe i just happen to have a a cable laying here i don't think i do but uh let me i might have something in one of these tubs here but it's probably uh probably not the one cable that i need of course right <laughs> well of course not <laughs> Those cables are like, usually hanging in um, goodwill these, on a but rack. but not quite, right? Yeah. It's, well, I mean, I I know I do have the cable. I just don't know if I have uh, if I had one laying right here. Ooh, what's this? Maybe, 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 maybe. Let me dig here. Could be. Let's see. Um, ooh, 
Oh, let's see here, guys. Uh, you guys if you guys want to entertain me, you want to entertain just, me for a second? Just call know. me, maybe. <laughs> just let's break see. out with an adapter. What can go wrong there? Right. <laughs> an adapter into a breakout, into a composite cable, into a monitor. You know, to be honest with you, I can't remember if I've even had this one turned on or not. So this might be a. Ooh. This might Look be an this might yep. be an interesting right. endeavor here. Let's see here. <laughs> Something live. Okay, let's see here. Uh, uh, so Nick, have we bought enough time for you to get your bug fixed? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's all fixed. <laughs> he wrote another program since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nick's already had enough time. He probably threw together another program already. So yeah, I've got breakout done too. Nice. Oh, look at this. Oh shoot, guys. Let's see here. Uh okay. This is I should have been more organized. Now I'm now I'm going on the fly here. Okay. Blue smoke. That's like the rest Blue of the show smoke. then. So, it fits in. <laughs> so it's, it's Brian McFly. Okay. This is going to be a little bit of a mess of wires here, but. Uh, what Coco yeah. isn't. Uh, right. Oh, oh, let's see here. Hold on. You guys are going to lose me first. That's one thing you had to have with a Coco is real estate on your tabletop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's see here. Got this, this, that this works right here. Cable management was not a thing yet. Okay. And see here. Survey says, let's see. Got that going there, that going there. And it shows up on your watch. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And okay. Here goes nothing. Did it click? I heard a click. Ooh. Here we go. Is there blue smoke? And let me switch my video, guys, to this. There it is. Ta-da! Oh, that looks, looks pretty great. clean, too. Print mem. Okay, you got to do this for me. Poke 359,57. Okay, hold on here. It's, uh, okay, poke what? 359,57. And then colon. Poke six five three one four comma eighty. Three one four comma eighty. And hit return. Yep, that's true lowercase too. T one. Okay. Uh shift zero and type stuff. Yeah, if you hit shift zero, you get your lowercase. Hey the crowd roars. What a demo. There you go. And it works. I don't, be honest with you, I'm not sure if I ever had it turned on or not. So even the senders. And you're, right. you're not having any yellow fringe anywhere, right? Right. I mean, it looks, let's uh, here on my, on my flat screen monitor here. It looks at the, it looks kind of gray and black, but it looks a lot better on the, on the, uh, what we're sharing here. So looks better on the, on my, it looks better on through, uh, 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 through Zoom than it does on my flat screen monitor. Here, but, uh, I will mention in the chat there, Sixy and Mark have mentioned that you can also tell a T1 because it has a round O instead of a square one, but that's no fun. I like seeing the actual lowercase. Oh, right. Zeros in the, and the border. And zero <laughs> and, or slashes in the That's zero. a boring border way to tell. Gone. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, yeah, you can you can go. And, look, and, and all the black of the, border is gone. And yep. all of the jaggedies, all of the jaggedies that you're seeing over YouTube and so forth is compression from our stream. It's not from the original video. Just to point that out, it it looks 
at home it might look a little rough. Now, now I wonder way. if your um, kit had a T1 in it. Probably not. Mm, I don't know. Don't know if it did or not. Yeah, it'd have a different uh, pinout, so you'd have to have a different well, let's modification let's on the socket. There's who else? Oh, really that's nice and clean. Yep. Yeah. There we go. Well, yeah, that you could you could run like Telerite or a VIP Rite or something like that, like in 64 column mode, and that would be quite readable, I think. Yep. Yeah. Right. So locally, you don't see any of the little shadows floating around the letters that we see, right? No. Yeah. Up on the uh, up on my flat screen monitor here, it looks very super it looks super clear now. So exactly. That's that's yep. just our our show messing it up. Yeah. What's going on? But yeah, I mean, but even, but, MPEG compression in action. Right? But it but it looks good though, even on, even through the uh, the shared video through the yeah, video no, capture, it still looks good though. So yeah, I would program on this all day. Yeah. <laughs> so and then Nick always likes you know black and white instead of all this green. So he's 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 set for life too. Is right. this uh, Timex Sinclair or something? Something. <laughs> no, because the screen would blink every time you pressed a character. Is that? <laughs> So anyway, well, very cool. Well, this turned out to be a little bit more than I thought it was going to be, but uh, I'm glad that I powered nice. it on. I haven't turned the other one on, but uh, we'll have to. You'd be able to play Dungeons of Daggereth without artifacting. Oh, there you the go. The way it was meant to be. <laughs> oh, right. Actual black and white. Have you got a cartridge? Just plug it in and try. I don't have a cartridge. I have a Coco SDC. Oh, it's a school oh, well, machine. That, yeah. It's not That'll supposed work. to run games. Right. You've got to remember, Dungeons of Daggereth is a typing tutor disguised as a game. <laughs> <laughs> just like microsoft included the mouse mouse dexterity programs yeah solitary right. to learn how to use the mouse yeah mouse dexterity uh, tutor uh let's Dag see here sick and mundane there it is. yeah Dag disc. third one rather the third one maybe oh yeah third maybe yeah. that one says that was yeah that one there you go heaven forbid we don't want that os9 one <laughs> Mono, so now you're getting the bit mono. of the blue and the uh, yeah. orange artifact fringing. If you switch it to mono, it should be like a vector almost. Yeah. Ta -da. There it is. There, that's the way it should be. That's the way the people in the UK played all their games, man. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, very cool. Quick, remember it's the map. <laughs> <laughs> nice clean text with no fringing. As soon as he cool. uses his stupid torch here, we'll see some vector graphics. Yeah, any of the, the two-color games designed like Space Force, some of the Asteroids clones, would look awesome on this composite monochrome. The AGD games from uh, the Spectrum, too, like all the ones that Para's done. 250 some odd games designed for this. I remember you talking about this game with the heartbeat and everything and stuff like that, where you used to actually get, you'd almost get like goosebumps, you said, when uh, you start to hear it or something. Is that right, Curtis? <laughs> so I, remember, I remember you talking I, about this game. To, really to be honest, it, uh, Dagger didn't affect me as much as Phantom Slayer, but yeah, it, Phantom, you, well, your tension Phantom. rises with your heartbeat. Your real heartbeat kind of matches <laughs> the screen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So you want to self-induce a heart attack, just uh, run into a wall repeatedly until your heart like literally pops and you pass out. <laughs> so there we go. Well, cool. I'm, this is neat. I like it. Yeah, that's really good quality. I like that mono monochrome one. 
yeah. if you're doing word processing like or editing programs like Rick was saying, this would have been perfect. Right. We would have looked like some of the big boy computers then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole idea was to have a color computer, right? Well, wouldn't appropriate. You got two. Yeah. You got that switch, your color or your monochrome. You get the choice depending on what you're doing. Like if you're running something like uh, Musica or Lyra, where you're you know placing musical notes on staffs, you don't need color for that. Uh, if you're doing word processing, VIP Writer or DeskMate or um, Telewriter 64 or any of those, they, they would all look really, really good in this mode. Now I got myself kind of curious here. Oh. Let's do this real quick here, just out of curiosity. Here comes the rabbit hole. <laughs> well, we've been there for a while. What are you talking about, Mark? <laughs> right. We're looking for the one up. I can't even see the sky above me anymore. It's, yeah, uh, but we're not talking about Commodore, so. No. Right? Or Challengers, no. you know, cars. That's right. <laughs> Here we go. Let's, uh, I just pulled up the other one. Let's see if this one works. This might be. Uh, hmm. oh, yep, there we go. Now, this one doesn't have that. Uh, another switch so it's strictly just uh just the composite output there but uh and if you're going to do it the old boring way like 60 was mentioning you could see that the o's are square so it's not a t1 right he'd be real (laughs) (laughs) no slash the zero yep but they both work so yeah anyway yeah i think this one i bet the one i this is the first one i showed you uh or shown uh, this one I've had on before. I can't remember if I turned the yellow one on though, or the uh, the uh, BA version there, the Canadian version. So, <laughs> yeah, that was a good joke. I like that. I have to remember that one. <laughs> BA is for Canadian A. Yeah. So, a. Anyway, well, that's all I have to share for you guys today. I just thought it'd be kind of timely to kind of pull these out because of uh, uh, AC's recent work uh, with the composite. So, yeah, we'll be covering some of that on the on the news here. Whoops. Cool. Okay. Um, Nick, see. I think, was next, wasn't he? Yeah, yep. Nick was next. Am I? And well, you're going to start the uh, project. And then Ron's uh, Garage, and then we'll take right. a break, I think. Yeah, <laughs> we're coming That'll up be two hours. hours. Yeah. Well, all I've got to show is uh, a game of Pong. I can see if I can just share. Well, also explain what you're doing with it, though. I guess that's the main. Yeah. Okay. So... Well, now that I've finished um, the greatest game ever devised, Neutral. You decided to one-up it um, with Pong. <laughs> <laughs> I thought in between projects I'll I'll do you know, something else to relax. And uh, I think uh, Danielle was, uh, put up a post a couple of weeks ago saying that – showed a picture of uh, Pong and said that she'd like to have a, uh, a Pong game on the Coco for a, a music video she's doing um and um i wasn't aware of any that looked like the original pong you know the black and white screen so i thought oh well you could probably write one in basic so i did it for her first and then i got carried away and i thought oh look i'll make this into a well almost a a playable game it's not really quite playable and uh, I uploaded it to Facebook and just allowing everyone to anyone to be able to download. Uh, it's just in written in basic. So I wanted to do a Pong game just using standard, extended basic, no tricks, no machine language, and just to see if it actually would work. 
So I haven't got my joysticks hooked up, so I'll just let the ball bounce around by itself. And if I switch over to control it. So there it is there. I can't get, well, I sort of can. I've got the mouse acting as um as my analog joysticks, of which the uh, x-axes are all the wrong way around, of course. Yeah. Anyway, um, so there it is, all in basic. No, nothing, no special tricks or anything. Um, originally, I uh, had it using just normal Coco text characters for the score. Then I thought that doesn't quite look quite original to the original Pong. So I added a graphics uh, scoring, um, and there it is. It, it runs at a reasonable rate. Um, it's not really as fast as what Pong really is meant to be. But I figured, well, I'll write the game, I'll get the game going, upload it for everyone to anyone to download, and then maybe someone will be able to optimize it and uh, apply all these extra little hacks. So it's only um it's only a basic program. So it's easy to uh, go in and list it and change it and do what you want with it. Yeah, and I, like Nick and I were talking about this. Um, if you guys remember, it was probably a couple of years ago or a year ago. Ellen Huffman was doing a whole series on different optimizations you can do in basic that aren't obvious, and uh, he did nine blog entries about it. There's a whole bunch of little tricks you can do for saving memory or increasing speed. And pretty well, none of that's been in here already. So people could optimize no. it just with pure basic using that if they wanted to. Now and then does, I'm curious. Uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Nick. Oh, sorry. Well, it, it, it'll work on any Coco. It'll work on Coco 1, 2, and 3, and therefore Dragon, I guess. Um, but it, it, it auto-detects if you've got a Coco 3, it will do the double speed poke. Otherwise, it'll do the normal Coco 1 and 2 speed up poke. Will it work but on 4K? Than... Actually, it might. I don't. I haven't if, tested it. It depends. That. If you're using any extended basic commands, extended basic requires 16K. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Well, it is extended basic, I guess. So. Yeah, then, yeah, it would. I mean, technically, the program will load and fit in 4K, but it won't run. Yeah, like yeah, it will load it a bit, but yeah, the rest okay. won't. So it does need extended basic, yes. Now, one one 16K. thing I wanted to put out to people who want to modify this, this is an idea I had. Um, we've had a, quite a few people trying out some of the basic compilers we have on the Coco, and they've been trying to do like high-res graphics or Coco 3 stuff or whatever, and you have to change quite a bit of your code to do that because a lot of the graphics stuff have to change. You can't use floating points, so like circle commands for drawing arcs and stuff. You can't do, you know, the same way. You have to change all your code. This is pretty well pure stuff that doesn't require any of these conversions. So I'm wondering if, like, the uh, computerware compiler or the SirComp compiler or the Wasachaware compiler or some of these other ones we've had might be able to do this one verbatim. And some of the people that have been fiddling with some of these, I'd be kind of curious to see what kind of a speed up it would accomplish on something like this. And so I, I don't know if that do that. Possible. So in English, is what you're saying is you it would turn everything into machine language code? Well, I'm wondering if it would work without having to change the code at all. Like, it would just work, run through the compiler, you're ready to go. And how much would it speed it up doing straight, you know, text and semi-graphic so, stuff as opposed to 
you know, PMOD3 and whatever else, which is where you have to start changing the code. It won't compile as is. This might. I'm kind of curious. So the people that have been fiddling with some of these compilers, and there's been a few I know in the Discord that have been trying them out. I'd be kind of curious if, with this particular project and what, what it would do. And it, and I haven't done any of the other um, Alan Huffman tricks. I mean, you can see I, I, I don't really use um, – I use normal variables there. I don't have any of the uh, shortcuts that Alan Huffman shows. So Yeah, but Nick, I, when, I, when, the, when the little puck goes into where the score is, don't you have to – Make it so you can still see the puck when it goes in the lettering. Uh the the ball. Well, the ball goes over it. Like it's there. It yeah, is. See the so ball went straight through <laughs> it. So it does go through it. Uh, I'll see if I can control it with the mouse, which I I can't. <laughs> 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 yeah, the mouse is terrible for trying to. There we go. There, I got there one. you go. Yeah. Ah, damn. But you didn't have to program for that. You just it just automatically it, it, shows up. I no no I did what the uh, overlaying over the t over the score. Yeah, and the dots. The yeah, I, I did have to program. It does. It, it it stores what's behind the 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 puck, and and restores it later when when it moves, and um, so it does all that. It came out better than what I thought it would. And it's it's reasonably playable. It's just that I don't have any of the uh, analog joysticks to actually try it on, on a real Coco. I should so also mention this this game that uh, Nick's releasing, you know, publicly for people to download for free and fiddle around with would work perfectly with Brian Weezer's composite monochrome board. Well, that's yeah. right. It, it's already <laughs> monochrome anyway. <laughs> it's black and white anyway. Mm. Right. Uh, I could have made. I could have put <laughs> color in there, but I thought. Uh, well, Danielle's original picture was of a monochrome pong, so I, I just kept it to, to to look like the original pong. But after after creating it, I then thought, well, you know what? It's September. I'll make this my Sep Septandy project, and then just clean it up a bit and try to speed it up as much as I I could, um, and then upload it to everyone and give pass the project on to others to, you know. So Nick, speed if, if, you if you lose on this one, do you get the lightning effect? No, not this one. No, that that was only neutral. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> it looked yeah, too no, slow and is... basic. Yeah, yeah. Nick, with the, with yeah. the optimizing there, um, are you hoping that people can optimize just within basic? You don't want people doing any sort of machine language? Uh... Well, I mean, it's up, up up to whatever people want to do. Ideally, okay. I would like just a basic program, right? Uh, optimizing basic, just to show showcase what the Coco can do in standard basic. Yeah, if but you know the someone, tricks. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's right. But I mean, if someone wants to put a machine code subroutine in there to speed something up, yeah, fine, do that. We, we could have a hundred versions of this pong. <laughs> <laughs> I will mention but, two yeah, two two optimization tricks that Alan and he's got a ton of. If you go through the nine blogs he's got on his Subitha software site, um, but two of the tricks that you could use is the most often variables that you use during the running of the program. If you do a dim statement at the very beginning with those variables first, they'll be quickly found when it's scanning through variables as it's going through the code. So you can actually speed up the way it reads variables, whereas otherwise it assigns them as it sees them, which may not be optimal. And the other one is there's an if you use hex 
characters for uh, Constance, um, they are faster than doing them in regular decimal because basic internally knows that a hex number has to be an integer. So it skips a lot of the floating point crap to do the conversion. So it actually is a little bit faster there too. For example, on the that screen that Nick's showing here right now, he's got line 122 if peak and he's using hex on the address, but he's doing times 256. You change that to ampersand 100, it'll be faster. Ampersand yeah, H100, yeah, I should so say. And a bunch tricks, of others I mean, like that. So, Well, the, the, actually, just going back to what you said about putting the dim in there first, what if you just, like, I've, I've, I've already defined the main variables, you know, it does that early on. That'd be just the same as doing that, wouldn't it? Well, it'll define them in the order you're presenting them here. If that's not the order yeah. of the ones most commonly used in your main loop, then you've lost lost it. Well, mm -hmm. actually, the X and Y needs to be moved a bit earlier. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, so you can do that, or you can just do the dim, because the dim forces it to reserve those variables. So it's a little bit easier, I think, yeah. to track it down. Because otherwise, you have to figure out where did I initialize every single variable and go change it, and maybe move yeah, it between yeah. lines. And So dim is a lot easier. Anyway, there's plenty there for anyone else who wants to uh, apply all those uh, tricks and techniques and optimizations. This is just the, the raw game skeleton, and I've just got it working as best I can from the game logic point of view. But, yeah, the optimizations, well, I could sit here and try to do all that, but Apparently, I've got to work on to move on to my next project. Yeah, Ken and I insist. Is, <laughs> yeah, there, is there a God mode on this thing? No, no. Oh, there, you, you have an opportunity to program that in too, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> One it thing would I be did a, do. A Ram dumb. <laughs> a Remember? Ram dumb. Um, if you disable the break key, um, which normally you can do quite easily on the Coco 3, because you can poke directly into the. Uh, into the ROM code, uh, Coco 1 and 2, you'd have to do a ROM and RAM first, but then disable the break key, and uh, it does run a little bit faster when you do that. So that was one optimization that would be very easy to do, but I, I, I left it out because I wanted this mm. code to be uh, available on every Coco. Right. So this is what Joe Basic Writer would write, and how can it be yeah. improved? That's so what I thought, yeah. I just kept stayed within the, those uh, rules. Yeah, this is kind of people. off the cuff, off the top of your head type stuff too, so you're not thinking about all these weird optimizations that most people don't think about. Um, about the remember. only other thing, it's, it's heavily um, multi-statement line, but then I do that anyway. So that's not really anything extra I did. That's just the way yeah. I go. And you've removed like, you know, superfluous uh, spaces and stuff. You've already done that optimization, yeah. which is another yeah. one Alan covered. So where can we download this? I put it on Facebook up this morning on the Coco website. Yeah, well, you should, should put it somewhere there. else because we do have a fair number of our viewers that just will not touch Facebook with a ten-foot pole. Where else? Yeah. Well, well, too bad for them. <laughs> we get it on I the Discord. I, I don't know about the archive because the whole idea of this is that it's going to be modified. So we'll just label it as version copies. one, and then you know when the modifications come in, you can throw those up too. <clears throat> I suppose version one, one point one, one point two, one point three. <laughs> we need a Discord channel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can do it there too. Yeah. yeah. Hey, what do you want to Perfect. call it, Rick? <laughs> it would be kind of neat though to have people, uh, you know, submit them back. 
Yeah, and you don't well, that's that's on the that's show right, here. We can have a little uh, compendium of all the different uh, quote unquote winners or people that have yeah. actually done some interesting things with it. Yeah, circle back. Well, that was what I was hoping for. Yeah. That's what I, I, I did for it. Uh, that, that's part of my Septandy. I yeah. do the uh, underlying program, and then others can pick up on it and, and work do the real work as well. <laughs> that's right. Make, make it work. <laughs> so it's a, it's a dual Septandy challenge. Nick has released a game that he you know, rushed out of the top of his head in the span of a couple of days uh, that you can all download and modify. But by the end of Septandy, we would love to see what you guys have been able to do with it. Whatever you want to do, a if you want to add an ML routine, if you want to run it through a basic compiler to see how that works, if you want to optimize the heck out of the basic code. And then maybe at the end of Septandy, beginning of October, we'll kind of go through them. Just send no, your submissions no, is, to us. Is there a, um, a rule to keep your name on there, or can I put my name in there? You can put your <laughs> name on it. It's not, <laughs> it's not <laughs> copyright or anything. Whoops. Okay. Anyway. Might help to keep the version straight. Well, yeah, I there's guess, enough room uh, there. I mean, somebody could add their own. So you, you can have you can keep Nick's original credits and then go, yeah, the deluxe whatever version, bought, whatever my, by who. The, the it's got my version. name on it. Yeah, but put your own name and version number. It doesn't matter. This is just a a little sideline project. A throwaway. A throwaway. That's right. Cool. Now, if you if you look it's now, oh no, it doesn't ah, repeat. It no, missed. that's all right. <laughs> I thought it was going to go in an endless bounce. Right. So uh, close, but. It didn't. There we go. There's one. Where will that go? No, that'll hit the wall. Anyway, it's got sound effects as well, you know. <laughs> Makes Nutroid look like a Pong game. <laughs> so, well, this one's a lot more understandable for the layman, I'll have to say. <laughs> you could make this work with the sound and speech and sounds pack and you could, yep, yep. Yeah, yep. even in basic, you could, Summer. actually. <laughs> and and uh, that's right, it'd be much cleaner sound as well. And there's lots of things. I'll leave it up to people to, to decide. Yeah, but people should have fun the, with uh, this. This is just kind of a sep dandy, you know, twist a game a little bit, see what you can do with it. Yeah. A nice, I've small, basic code, easy to understand, not huge. Well, I, 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 hope, I hope it's easy to understand. It's a pretty... Um, uh, my code isn't always very easy to read. I can no I can comments. attest to that, witnessing it. <laughs> yeah, I figured. I don't know if this comes out on the uh, AD column, but look at that code. It's, there, there's the main game huh. loop. There's a couple of REM statements in there to sort of explain roughly what things are doing. <clears throat> well, there's one speed up. I can get rid of that REM line and, at, so, at 190. Okay. So your name is in code somewhere. No, it's at the start of the program. Oh, I oh I see. We're starting at one twenty. Okay. Oh no! If I uh, list uh, the the front bits, it's just at the there top there. So oh, okay. Yeah, but anyone can put their own name. Whatever. It's not. It's no no big deal. Just he's not going to sue you over copyright infringement. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is totally freeware. So yeah, change it to to your heart's content. So when did when did we leave Ping off? Ping, yeah, what? in seventy four, I think. Ping pong. It used to be ping pong. Yeah, in seventy two, it was ping pong. In seventy four, it was pong. Oh, okay, nineteen seventy four. This extra right. code, huh? <laughs> yeah, we deleted all that in seventy three. <laughs> okay. Anyway, 
So yeah, that's so my for now. Go grab it on project. Facebook. Have fun with it. Submit your updated versions uh, either through our Discord. You can email me directly if you want, or email the show. Um, email Nick if you really want to bug him. And yep. uh, send send a uh, revised ones. We'll see if we can go through some of them here at the either the end of the month or the first show in October. Yep. As if I needed another project. <laughs> this looks like fun. <laughs> Rick, Rick we're gonna send one in that has two players playing across the network. That's yeah. what I'm waiting for. Three users. <laughs> and, and, and this could be a good game for AJ's um uh the, the video oh, the sibling rivalry. player. There you go, sibling rivalry. Rivalry rather, yeah. We'll make them play all the versions. <laughs> we we could make it a uh the best version or have all the versions played on a, a game on challenge. Right. As one of the games. So you aren't judging the players, you're judging the games. It's the game. Much well, you can just show, <laughs> yeah, people can just play their favorite versions. We can still track scores, but I mean, the highest score right. is 11 because, well, that's what the original Pong did. You can see if somebody yeah. can skunk somebody else. That's maybe. You can add a few other elements. I mean, at the moment, the ball bounces really on, in, in a, um, right. you could Linear. say, 45 degree angle. Nothing really fancy, but you know, someone might look at the code and say, "I can add a few other extra angles in there." Um, right, if you hit the English. ball dead yeah. on, uh, right in the middle of your paddle, the ball might bounce back horizontally rather than deflect at an angle. Things like that. There's lots of things that could be done. But anyway, I started. Let's uh, see how many other people can end it. I want to make it so that when you do a list on it, it shows all those exclamation points. <laughs> exclamation I just points. read uh, Buck Owens' comment in the chat. He says, make AJ's paddle invisibly larger and not tell Tim. <laughs> yeah, well, that, <laughs> That's an awesome idea. <clears throat> anyway, that's, yeah. that's it. Anyway, go download it. Have fun with it. Get back to us you know, around the end of the month. So. And next up, before we go to a commercial break, Ron's Garage. Okay. And Ron will have incentive to do this quickly now because he'll probably have to go to the bathroom soon. Certainly. Ron, before you get started, I just want to say one thing. I think your song uh, theme is more peppy than our current one. Oh, like thank it. you. It's more rock and roll. That's why yeah, I'm a well, rock and roll That guy. was the idea. You know, it's like the first song I picked on the list of stuff that you could uh, use. legally for free. Exactly. And I thought, <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Which is uh, unusual. Rick, we have well, to learn that one to play it at Coco Fest this next year. Oh, yeah. 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 My, yeah the, the longer version, uh, when it tapers down. It changes and it's actually really almost perfect. But since it's so long, I don't use it no more, I guess. All right. So <clears throat> this is Ron's Garage and welcome. I did this in media form so you can see all the junk that I do all at once. I found this at um, Goodwill. As you can see the sticker still on it and it said cocoa on it. So it's, uh, how do you say, it's able to be put on my uh, wall. Now, <clears throat> I went and had, you know, the thing on Google where you can click on it and it has your camera um, 
take a picture of it and then it finds it. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, it um, kind of identifies what the photo yeah. is of and then yeah. this one it did not. It did not at all. And all it found was uh let's see if I can find it. Oh, nope. They went to the next one. Okay, let me get out of this. If uh oh maybe I didn't put it here. Oh no, it's an answer. Okay, so we'd have to go to um we have to go back to this and down here. This is what I found. Right? You gotta play the same, okay. same basic thing, but um somebody did a theme of uh the cocoa uh character. Some kind of evil cocoa character yeah, it, too. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't come up <laughs> at all with uh you see, all, each one has a different face on it. And uh, with the little booklet on the other one, um, you could actually uh, learn how to play something by going through the numbers, you know. And it didn't have the um, hammer for it, those um, right. batons or whatever they call them. Yeah, so enough. Um, this here is a um, picture of um, two Model 3s that were on, yeah, on... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld. Yep, that's an episode from Seinfeld there where he's reserving yeah. a car. Exactly. Um, never really cared for that show at all, but when that popped up as a reel, I thought that, that would be cool. And then um I have this program on my phone that does neat things to pictures, and I thought this would look cool making the color computer look even older than it really is. <laughs> And then this is almost like, uh, remember they used to do this to Barack Obama's face and make it look like it was uh, uh, weird art or whatever. Reminds me of Warhol-ish. Yeah, mm -hmm. now you can do it yourself. You know? And then uh, moving along, um, I bought these two from uh -huh. some guy in our show. And this yeah. will probably get him the uh, front fender and maybe the little... Ferrari uh, sticker that goes on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a real one, <laughs> but uh, I haven't played them yet. I just brought them up to show this, and this happens to be on my Cocoa Pie. Which I was uh, going to ask because if you're running Gunstar, you have a six zero nine, but you're probably emulating that on the Cocoa Pie. That's right. Yeah, because you know what, I did try it without, you know, and it wouldn't run. Doesn't work too well. And it, it, little lines come up. You know, <laughs> yeah, and I thought no, it requires oh, a six or nine that one. Yeah, and I thought to myself, I got a bug to report to him, and then I go, wait a minute, no, no, uh, it's it's uh, a sixty three or nine. Okay, that's right. So I'm the uh, bug. Well, yeah, well, what's a bug? You <laughs> <laughs> yeah, should have really. known it wasn't him. Yeah. Well, apparently there's a ton of them in Pong because you're making us all rewrite it for you. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. I did that intentionally. That's the feature. <laughs> that's what they all say. <laughs> and we we just got out of Labor Day. So I usually, in the stack of my uh, stuff that I have, uh, there's all kinds of stuff like for um, each day of the year that's a holiday and stuff. And right here is the 561 disk picture files uh, um, zip file that you can download that has all these pictures in them. And um, you can pick whichever one you want. And uh, I went through all 561 one by one to make sure that they had both the uh, BIN and the um, BMP file in it. Because if, if it doesn't have one or the other, you know, you're going to be disappointed. So anyways, this is what's in uh, the um, Cocoa Pie um, 
uh, automatic image program that they have on there that you can let it run. Anyway, you're, you're welcome. I was going to gonna say your Labor Day one looks good, except you spelled labor wrong. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's like color. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear this, but this is a short video I did about um, using the X-Pad back in 2018. And you're running that and on yep. a commander monitor, it looks like. Now that's... Uh, um, 1084? It's not a Yeah, 1085. 1045. What is it? I forget. But I have uh, one of those and two of uh, the um, Magnavox. Anyway, this program here is modified to, to use the... Uh, Using my Coco 2. Yeah. Newer I guess I'm going to tell you. It's in slot 4. No, slot 1. Slot 4 is the uh, controller. And uh, let's just see if it works. <clears throat> it's just a plain yep, piece of paper. It works. I don't even have to touch it to the pad. I'm just hovering. I couldn't get it to go the file right away, but it did later. See, I just wouldn't click. Wouldn't click. Ah, doesn't matter how darn right it is. <laughs> so this is a patch version of Coco Max that runs on the yeah. x mm -hmm. Is that yes. available in the archive too? I'm not sure. Because I know both I, Bill and, and Tim, like Tim did a video on the X-Pad this past week too, that we'll right. be covering. And, um, so if they don't have that and you still have that, we should get that up there. Yep. This is, I think, the uh, non, um, you know, ROM pack that you put in. You don't have to use it. But it's, it seems to be a lot smoother than the one to, you know, there was one that was cracked by someone. It works. And it was real <coughs> shaky. Let's see. Without using the ROM pack. Right. See how it works good there. There you go. And then I ended it. Pretty neat. Now, underneath this are some pictures, just straight straight pictures I took of the X-Pad. And I have the box for it and everything that came with it. It's pretty neat. And then this is some of the drawing I did on it. Neat, huh? can actually, yeah. you know, so you can see it. Yeah, that's a piece of kit I always wanted when I was younger, when I first got my yeah. Coco 1, but it was more expensive than the Coco itself by a long shot. Oh, yeah. So I just never got it. <laughs> yeah, this came in that big... Um, Ron's garage was created by being in the right place at the right time. A guy passed away and he had a big cocoa collection and it included the uh, model ones, model fours I have and all kinds of hardware and software that I got from them. And this was in it too. Anyway, I'd been uh, playing with my uh, dragon and uh, you know, it does work with the cartridges, but um, this is uh, Dragon has its own. Um, I have a um, what do you call it? Uh, SDC stuck in there. The switches that right, and uh, it works yeah, you, great. Yeah, you have to uh, flip the switches, and there's a jumper to get it to work with the Dragon. Yeah, yeah. and it works awesome, as you can see. And this uh, monitor is a Sylvania old TV that works on channel four perfectly. I, I just have a, I don't know if you can see the wire I have. There's a wire that goes back to the, um, you know, the cable TV jack. I have a connector that fits to uh, 
Yeah, yeah. coax or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful picture. It's a, like a mm-hmm. pleasure to work on. It's, it's just like working on, uh, um, you know, a PC uh, with uh, HDMI or something. It works great. Well, that's that's the thing. At the end of the standard definition monitor era, they had comb filters and all kinds of things that made that signal look like that. And that's why it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They could do it back then. They uh, can't do it no more, but they could do no. it back then. Yeah, so I even put it on there, yeah. And then um, this is my new thing that I posted uh, that we listened to. And then I did some uh, high-res stuff again from, uh, you know, uh, High Color 2, good old Sockmaster. And this came out pretty nice. And then I did a face of um, Catherine Deneuve down here. I also did some Tandy stuff. But uh, this came out really good, didn't it? Really nice, and there's actually a um, a bunch of different choices you can make on uh, the high color program. Instead of just running it stock and getting a stock result, you can uh, if you press A B C and then D to change the drive to one, and then you know, load it. Um, it will actually do a, a much bigger picture or, or more whatever it does. I, I guess uh, Curtis, you probably know more about it than I do. Uh, um, I yeah, just you kind of pre-scan ahead to figure what color mixes you can use and yeah. which and are it, most commonly it, used. Yeah, all I know is it works really well. But the other thing that you have to do is um, you have to have a separate uh, disk to, to um, save it to because it's bigger than what's available if you have the BMP on the original um, disk image. So you have to do that. Then this is what happens when uh, you do the um, same thing on uh, Coco VGA uh, VG6 um, program. It comes out pretty nice. It's pretty, really pretty good for a Coco One level machine, you know, with the extra goodies that uh, Coco VGA gives you. And then this is another girl. This is the same thing where I use the extra work that it did for. Uh, you know, to make it look good. This is on a uh, an LCD screen, and then this is on the, uh, you know, it looks kind of completely different on a CM8. It's Everything's smoothed much more. Right. Plus, it, I guess it has a lot to do with the camera you take the picture of, because on uh, when you look at this with your eyes, it's a whole lot different than when you snap a picture, because um, you're not getting the blending you know what I mean? Right. From right. So that's about it, guys. Short and sweet. Let's go to our break. Thank you very much. Restroom. <laughs> uh, hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should, too. Hello, everyone. 
everyone, it's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo Aaron, joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like this should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brandon Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Glenn Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, John Bodefkarschaller, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Thorpe J says, Hi, my name is Jason and I'm a 6809-aholic. The first computer my family owned was a 16K Coco, that I upgraded to 64K myself as a youngster, and I'm now foolishly building my own homebrew 6809 system. I also presently own two Coco 2s and still have my Edtasm Plus cart from way back when. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Okay. There Let's we see go. If I can share the correct screen. Let me get to the right button. Okay. Can you see it? Yes. Cuthbert goes walkabout. Yes, our game closing this week was oops was Cuthbert Goose Walkabout. And this is the cassette. And uh yeah, it had pretty cool art. We didn't get a whole lot of art on the Coco stuff, so it was kind of nice to I guess this was a dragon title. And so let's go over the high scores. So this is the Game on Challenge for September 9th, 2023. And Cuthbert Goes a Walkabout from Tom Mix was our game. We had 11 walkers this week. And coming in at number 11 was Mark B with 178 points. And by the way, this was a low-scoring game. Uh, we had Rich I, N, I number did, 10. with. I ahead. did get higher scores, but I never could get a screenshot of it. 
because oh. I never did quite get to 500. Oh, yeah, it's hard to catch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you don't get to 500, then you don't get on the leaderboard there. And I don't think it ever comes up again, does it? Yeah, does I don't think you... so. Yeah. So at number 10, we had Rich in with 522 points. Number nine was me with 555. Uh, number eight was Damon Beals with 592. Number seven was Coconut Bob with 832. Number six was Sloopy Malibu with 918. Number five was L. Curtis Boyle with 1019. Number four was Kieran Sixy with 1020. Took out Curtis by one point. Uh, number three was Shinley with 1,049 points. Number two was Buck Owens with 1,472 points. And it will come as no one's surprise that number one, the number one walker this week, was Tasman with 1,550 points. And the Coco so Nation would like place. to salute the Tasman. No, 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 no. <laughs> that was my impression, Tasmanian Devil. Okay. So here we have some gameplay footage, Curtis, courtesy of um, Buck Owens. And this game, I it wasn't my thing. It um <laughs> it has a whole lot of pixel perfect stuff going on, and if you don't get it right on the corner, you really do get stuck and you will die. Because they will come after you. I found uh, you could. Uh, I found on the emulator at least. I was playing, I think, on OBCC that you could lead it. So if you're coming up to a corner, you want to go left. If you hold down both the up and the left, it would take the corner. But that might just be mm -hmm. emulator. That indeed worked for me sometimes on VCC. Sometimes it would work. It sometimes it wouldn't seem to. But it was definitely yeah. something worth doing because on the occasions when it did work, it would save your life. Yep. Um, also. It took me a while to figure out that you can, in fact, jump over these things. I didn't know that, so I was getting some pretty low scores there for a while. Of course, if they change direction right as you jump, you will die. And dying in this game is not a good idea. Although, actually, dying in this game is a good idea because it takes out some of the enemies. <laughs> so on this first level, if you die enough times, you'll just be on the, on the board by yourself, and you can just finish it unmolested. <laughs> But um, this game, I didn't share the sound on this because it has some pretty obnoxious sound. Um, it uh, has this music, it's four musical notes that play over and over and over, even when you're not moving. And here, if you take too long, this you just saw it. another baddie beams in, and he's a lot smarter than the others. And he will chase you down eventually. So, But Buck seems to be doing pretty good here. Did anybody else have any thoughts on this? Let's play. It's kind of like kicks with fixed block sizes. It is. It's a lot like kicks. Yeah, you fill in the squares. Things chase you down on the lines, trying to kill you. That's like kicks too. Right. Yeah. And this is actually supposed to be vertical. It's um, it's a building he's on. He's going around turning on lights at the corners of the squares. According to the oh, these are sidewalks. Nope. You don't have to spend can... fifteen minutes drawing all the dots in a little square on a page so you can start the game. 
He does his little victory lap with this music going. Yeah, that's that was a nice touch. <laughs> I think I think it's the extra man. Let's see, yeah, it gives you an extra man. At least when you finish that first board, I don't think I ever finished the second one myself. I remember after you finished second board, I think the color set changes too, so you get some color changes. Oh, I definitely didn't get there then. Book may do that. I think he gets far enough to, for the screen to change to the to the other P mode. Oh, so we probably should just mention because normally this is a Ken and Sloopy thing, but yeah, as you may have noticed earlier in the show, they're both at VCF playing playing hooky from the show. So uh, Jim's in charge this week. Yeah, they left me in charge, which is I didn't have okay. a we don't have to pay him. <laughs> Yeah, that's about all I had to say about this one. It was uh, it wasn't a favorite of mine, but uh, some people seem to like it. This game strongly reminds me of being stuck in study hall in high school in the early seventies and doing the little squares where you initial it and everyone draws I mean, lines between the dots and it's just that that game. And I was so done with that so long ago that I couldn't play it. I have to say, the game itself, I don't mind. I, I like having the the fixed aspect as as opposed to kicks, where you're constantly trying to draw. And if you let go of the button, you some fizzy thing comes after you, whatever. <clears throat> the problem for me, as as it was with pretty everybody else, I remember talking about it during the stream. I got to go on two weeks ago. Is that uh, trying to take corners is way harder than it should be. That's the main flaw. The fact it plays background music while you're playing on a Coco One and Two game that was very rare. So only a few games that managed to combo that, you know, Crazy Painter and Grabber being a couple of others. Um, the game itself, concept-wise, is easy to pick up. It, you know, has a good ramping of the level of difficulty as it adds in more things chasing you. Or, as you pointed out, Jim, if you die too many times, it actually lessens them, so it makes it easier. So it's adapting yeah, it to the player's easier. skill level. But the 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 ability to corner, whether you're on a joystick or the keyboard, doesn't matter. It doesn't always seem to let you take the corner even if you do the leading thing i had a few times where i had both keys dialed down it still got stuck um that's the big flaw for me other than that i would rate this as a good game not a great game but a good game yeah that was probably the the big complaint i had with it was the turning well we had a pretty good turnout for it and uh yeah i I enjoyed it for the most part, but I don't. I doubt I'll be playing it anytime soon. <laughs> um, okay, so let me pull up some some more of our graphics here that Buck helped us with. This is the um, the J card, the full J card from the cassette. Unfortunately, it's a low resolution scan that I found on the internet and can't quite read it. But we had Mark reading us the instructions, I believe, on this one, so that that well. I did find the Tandy instructions and the micro deal instructions to be essentially word for word. They were the same. Yeah. Now, did anybody find the Tom Mix? Because Tom Mix did resell this as one of the few games that came back across the pond because Tom Mix had a co deal with Micro Deal. So they would sell a lot of the Tom Mix stuff in the UK for both the Tandy and the Dragon through Micro Deal. But there was a few games that came back the other way across the pond, including this one. And you can actually see ads for it with photos even in, in Rainbow. Of this one, and I don't know, did anybody have the or find the uh, Tom Mix version of the directions? Hmm. I did not. 
Um, apparently made the top of some kind of poll in November of 1983. Buck Owens posted this in Discord. I'm not sure what this is from, if it's from a magazine. Uh, Cuthbert Chronicles, I think. That was kind of the Microdeal's own internal little magazine flyer thingy they put out every month. Oh, <laughs> so no wonder it made the, made the top 10 there. It was their own. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's where it came from. Oh, okay. I don't know. Buck's probably in the chat. I uh, got a pretty good review here. Uh, it mentions this is an original idea, skillfully executed, it says. So, and the bad guys are called Moronians. <laughs> so, I, I guess they're not very smart. Okay. Where was I going? Um, let's see. Buck also posted some footage of him playing on playing other platforms of it and this this first one i believe is the commodore version yep c64 and he also played the atari version for a bit us well i don't know that looks like the coco version Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, no, you there. have to go earlier there. Uh, between the Commodore and the uh, Coco version, Dragon version is the uh, Atari one. Oh, okay. I think. Or did you find it? Yeah, I think that's it there. So it's um, the graphics are more elaborate, of course, but it's uh, it's essentially the same game. Yeah, the Atari one, the feet don't move, if I remember. The, the sprite just slides. So you have to find that one. Now, we did get a correction mm -hmm. from uh, Buck Owens himself here in the chat. He says, oh, okay, the charts. Uh, the chart thing was from an issue of Retro Magazine, a modern publication. It was showing the highest sales. Oh, it was a modern publication. Okay. But based on the sales figures for the game back in the day. Right. Okay. If you've had enough Cuthbert, I will give you a hint about next week's game. What was the other game that was on this week? Oh, the other game we're playing was, um, well, I'm having a senior moment. What was, what's the other game uh, this week? Air Attack, wasn't it? Air Attack, yes, that was it. So that goes one more week then, so people still have a chance yep. to submit a score for that. We do. We have one more week of Air Attack. And <laughs> Buck, Buck in the chat says the Atari version was crap of uh, Cuthbert. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. All right. So, and on air attack, I did find a level two. Good job. So let's see. Does anybody recognize that game? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you heard a lot. Besides Curtis, recognize this game. It's another uh, UK import. Hmm. And it's a cross-platform one, too, as well. This one is actually based on a character that's actually for a different machine. Oh, that's a stupid Sinclair thing. It's yep. a head with arms and legs. Um, Horus uh, is the guy's name. Horus, yeah. Horus. It, was on, it was on the Sinclair? <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. It started it on the indeed. Sinclair, actually. That was, their, that was their mascot, like Cuthbert was for the dragon. Oh, I see. Listen, Jim, how much, is, how much is Sixie paying you for this? I just want to know. Two UK games in a row, you know, oh. two weeks apart. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, the last one I picked was Space Marauder. So, so as an Australian game, you just hate North America. I think that's what you're saying. Oh, that's no, what it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this week's 
Yeah, for the next two weeks, um, we'll be playing Hungry Horse, written by D. Jansen. And it is indeed available in the usual usual places. So, Coco on. <laughs> now, we will mention on this one here, this is, if it, can you break out a screenshot of the actual gameplay again? So you'll notice it looks pack banished. The mazes are quite a bit different. Uh, you're the orange character running around eating dots. But this is multi-screen. So you see the tunnels on the sides. There's on the current screenshot, there's one the upper left, the upper right, and the lower left. You actually go to a different screen. So it's a multi-screen wide version of, of, of Pac-Man with a bunch of little extra things like these little bombs you set off to take care of the guards. You can see a bomb in the upper right there. Uh, you can see one of the guards wandering around as well. I think it's the guard's head, if I remember correctly. Uh, so it's it's Pac-Man with a lot of twists. Um, so this is one you probably want to read the directions to get a full scope of what you're doing. But it's uh, if you're a Pac-Man type game fam, this is like Pac-Man on steroids. There's a bunch of extra things you get to do and a bunch of extra things involved in the game. So it's it's a nice jump up, I think. I played it a bit. I had a good time with it. I really enjoyed it. It, it seems responsive, which I was appreciative of after Cuthbert. That's that's all the game on challenge that I have for today. And I think our our regular hosts are back for the live game on challenge on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, correct? Or are you I in charge of that are. again, Jim? <laughs> no, I'm not sure, but I they better be. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, game on news. Sure, game there's not a ton of it, so I can get through that quick. You want to play the intro? Okay, so if you guys are seeing a basic listing here, then I'm sharing the right screen. I, yep. Cool. Okay, so some of these are officially Septandy, some of them maybe not, um, but basically everything's Septandy, let's be honest. So we got a bunch of Jim Gary stuff, who actually took a bit of a break recently, like he had a couple weeks there where there wasn't too much happening, and then now he cranked it a whole bunch. So the first one here is called Tiddlywinks, originally programmed by a fellow in 1979. So this even predates the Coco. The guy's name was Stephen G. Toop. Hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Originally published in the September 1979 issue of Practical Computing, which is a UK computer magazine, for the original Tier City Model 1 and 3. Um, in fact, I think this was actually for the Tierus 80 period because there was no Model 3. Um, it's a simple game where a flat surface is drawn on the bottom of the screen uh, with a small randomly placed hole in it. And the goal of the game is to figure out the length. You have a straight parabolic arc that you're shooting at. It's always the same arc style, but you have to figure out the length, basically the power behind the shot to fire at it. So it's like a one-person artillery kind of thing. And you try to see how fast you can get it through the hole uh, in the fewest amount of shots, basically. So it's got a little bit of math in it, so Nick and I hate it. But uh, other than that, it's, <laughs> it's not a bad little thing. And it uh, doesn't require two players like a lot of the artillery games at that time period did require. So that's the first one. Next up, he did one called Bomb Aimer, a 10-liner basic game. So this is one that actually planned for the 10-line basic contest entry. Um, 
Now, this is an update to a version that he did earlier. This is based on some testing uh, that him and his son Charlie did. So Charlie was actually involved with this as well. And Jim did revisions, although he didn't mention in the comments exactly what those changes were. So I'd have to go back and you know compare the videos and see if I can tell any difference. Um, but basically, you're trying to shoot these bombs down. You got a little sight thing there, and there you blew up one. You have to get it in the center area to shoot at it and actually destroy the bomb, which is the red dots you're seeing on the screen. Uh, for the listeners on audio, you get a circular sort of radar scope, and you've got a little you know crosshairs in the middle, and you're kind of moving it's around. More like and- a- I think Good. it's more like the Norden bomb site of World War II that looks mm-hmm. downward. And yeah, straight the, down. The, right? the, yes. bomb, the bomb here. The reticule. reticule yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you kind of steer it back and forth and you try to bomb them, I think. I guess is basically the, the premise to try to hit stuff. Like here he took out uh, one. It seems to only blow up one at once, even if you have multiple ones there, so it must be pretty precise, I'm guessing. Anyway, I'm not sure what he changed here. I'm guessing he probably added in diagonal controls because I have seen it a few times where it seems to be moving diagonal, which holds key, two keys at once, which in key normally doesn't handle. I know he's been updating a, quite a few of his programs to use that technique. And the next step of that, we have another one called head-on collision, which is basically based on uh, Dodgem. And I'm trying to remember the name of the other original one that Dodgem was based on. This is like 1970s arcade stuff where you get the uh, eating the dots in a square rectangular set of tracks you can navigate between the lanes, basically, and you have another computer-controlled player going the other direction trying to ram you. Um, so this is originally from Practical Computing Magazine in November of 1981. He's uh, made it Joypad compatible. So for those of you who have the Joypad adapter, which I think, is it Brendan puts it out? I can't remember now. But you can get it so you can play like a sort of a Nintendo-style you know, press pad type thing instead of a joystick. And of course, the MC10 doesn't really support a joystick, so it's just strictly keyboard originally. Um, and this was originally programmed for the Superboard UK 101 computer by Winf, and it's programmed by Winford and Jane James. I have never heard of a Superboard UK 101. I have no idea about that computer. I have no idea what the hardware is. But you got some skill levels, and you can move around, and you can use the joypad. So basically, it's just drawing it in basic, the you know, the, the several lanes of the track. C is the computer, I think, and the Y is the player, I'm guessing. And he died right off the bat here, so it's, it looks like a... could be a fairly difficult... There's not quite as many lanes as on the arcade version. But basically, this thing is to try to eat all the asterisk dots and you leave on a trail of the plane dots and, you know, switch lanes as you're going to those little parts where you can switch. Can you only do that in four places on the track and uh, try to avoid the computer car from ramming into you and killing you? Pretty quick. Yeah, it's not a bad little implementation of this game. I remember I did one in basic way, way back when I had 4K2, and I lost the listing. I have no idea what I did. I don't think it played this smooth <laughs> from what I remember. So, hey, that was um, Mr. Jim Gary being fairly busy this week. Next up, Chronologically Gaming, who's now currently going through June of 1982, and now he's done all the ones in June that he has specific release dates for. There's very few Cocoa Games that I have been able to find specific release dates for, like press releases. Most of the time, it's like it shows up in Rainbow during a June 82 issue. So it was released sometime in June is kind of what I've been going with. Um, And that's to be saved because a lot of the time, ads are submitted several months ahead of publication. So they're kind of guessing when they think they're going to have it ready. Dicom's rather famous for having 
some games, you know, show up six months after he advertised him. And I think Sundog was the reigning champ because Contras was originally advertised two years before it got completed and put out. So, and actually we'll be covering that in a future interview with the original author. Um, but basically in this case here, he kind of lucked out that alphabetically doing the ones that don't have a fixed date in June, there was three in a row for the Coco. So the ones that were covered there was Killer Mansion from TND Software, which is an adventure game with a few things that back in June of 82 were fairly advanced for the time. He also did Maze Race by Tom Mix, which is based on a 1970s arcade game as well, though it has a fairly complicated maze. And basically you have two players, and one can be computer controlled or they can both be human. You're trying to get from one spot in the maze, you start the exact same spot. So you're competing with each other directly. You're trying to escape the maze from a top view. And there's no... Uh, labeling where you've been. Like, if you have to backtrack and you forget what corners you're taking, you can get lost again. So it's a bit more difficult uh, to play than some of the other ones I've seen that leave the trails where you can kind of say, okay, I don't have to go there because I tried that already. You'll have to kind of memorize where you've been. And you're racing against both the clock and each other to get to the end. So I'll play little snippets of these. The other last one is called Mercenary Force, which is by a company called GoSub, and that's not the same GoSub that Jeremy Spiller published Xenix and Crystal City on before Sundog took them over. Because uh, he had his own little company called uh, GoSub as well. This is done like half a decade before. And this is one of the strange ones in the case that the software company GoSub only advertised this in one specific tier city model, one three, like a general tier city magazine for all tier cities. Never advertised in Rainbow or any of the Coco specific mags, even though it was Coco specific programs. So that was a little bit strange. But uh, Killer Match, I'll just show you a little bit of. So one of the nice things here, it's actually got a compass built in, and it shows you only the directions you can actually go. So if you're in a room that you can only go north, only the end shows up. And that was quite nice. It's not quite auto mapping, but it's for that, you know, from the game of that time period, that was pretty rare to have something that you could visually see instead of having to, you know, describe, you know, you see a path to the north and a broken trail to the east and all the stuff you have to read through. You can just take a quick look and go which is kind of nice. And it has little you know, text-based animations. Like if you fall down a hole, the word "ugh" goes down the screen vertically as you're, as you're falling type thing. So it had a nice couple of nice little twists in it. And it's just basic. So it was actually quite a good little adventure game. Um, let's go find the maze race here. I think this is it. No, it's still Killer Mansion. So that's Maze Race, the one by Tom Mix by Andrew Hubble. Same guy who programmed The Frog, if you guys are familiar with that one. Also did Bird Attack and a few others. So you can see the two little characters, an orange one and magenta one, because, of course, he had to use the pastel color set. Um, but basically, you start somewhere near the top of the screen, and you can see on the lower right, you can see the exit. So you have to find it, and you're racing against each other with you know keyboard commands going. And you've got up to 99 hours or days, 99 days, I guess, to complete it. Or 99 hours. 99 hours to complete it. Um, so you got lots of time to do this. You can take several days if you wish. Um, so it keeps a high score out of well, both players. And then you basically just try to race to get to that exit. And you can cross over each other. You don't bump each other out of the way. Because you awesome. might have gone down a path, found it's a dead end. And the other player found a dead end path. And when you come back, because you've been paying so much attention to your own player, you have no idea what the other player did. And you don't know that they're, you know, they already went down a way you're just about to try. And they, you're, they already know it's a dead end. And if they happen to catch where you had gone, they can kind of go, oh, well, i got to take this third route then. So it's 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 a game that, you know, as a single-player game, it's just a standard maze game. The two players simultaneous and no trails behind, left behind to see where either player has been before actually makes this a bit of a challenge and a bit more fun, I think. This would be another good AJ and, and Tim one. I'd love to see them both get frustrated <laughs> getting lost in the maze. 
So if you guys are listening, uh, there, there's another one for you. <laughs> and then I'll just show a brief screenshot of the other one. Mercenary uh, Force, I think it's called. I wonder how many people actually finished that maze. Actually, I've finished it a few times. It's actually not that hard, but it, yeah, I didn't get it done in like one minute or anything. I, I, I won't embarrass myself by saying what my actual time was. But here, this one here, Mercenary Force, you're in charge of Mercenary Forces. You can have one to four human players. And it's basically one of those standard simulations that you hit, you know, the hotkeys to like buy food and armor and weapons and, you know, all that stuff. But it has a few little extras in here, too, that aren't too common in these games. So you're basically you're controlling Mercenary Forces in a galactic setting. And you're basically you get offered a mission and they tell you. They have some rough, statist rough statistics that they think they know, like how many enemies you have, how technologically advanced they are. And your goal is to try to conquer whatever for as cheaply as possible so that you can keep building your wealth. But they have stuff like insurance. So if you go into a battle and you suddenly find out that the intel was wrong and they're completely overwhelming you, you can actually flee the fight and collect insurance on it so you don't lose everything. So there's a bunch of things uh, you have to keep track of logistically and not just the weapons and stuff. There's some extra you know, bits and pieces like here. They're talking about like a food, weapons, medics. I'll just play a little snippet of it here. Tire trip, food. There's a life support weapons, there. Weapons, do you want high tech or regular? And you don't want to overdo it if, you know, blow a ton of money on high tech if the people you're trying to conquer are not. Do we have enough? Oh, we only can do part time. Okay. That means how much do we have for insurance? Can we even do insurance? Okay, we can. And then transportation. Let's go hyper. Go hyper or go home and start that mission. The enemy's real strength is 21,330 troops, three units of armor, five aircraft. Enemy is stronger. Your forces are being routed. You now have two choices. So even though we made all those decisions, I thought they were good decisions. They weren't good enough. We can either now pull out and collect insurance, receive transportation home, or proceed with the action. We are going to go proceed with the action. Let's go. You were badly beaten. Your pay is 50%. <laughs> So anyway, it goes on like that. And this is one of those ones that if you're into these types of strategy games, um, it's definitely more fun with multiple players because you're literally competing against each other. You can also refuse. You can get offered a couple of missions per turn. As soon as you accept one, that is your fixed one. But you can actually refuse them all. Like if you go, I don't have enough strength right now to handle either of the two missions you offered me, and I don't know how randomized they are. You can actually refuse them both. And then it skips to the next player. So you can actually do nothing for a turn and just, you know, kind of accumulate a little bit of money or something like that or wait for a mission that's a lot easier to accomplish. So it was an interesting take on it. And this company did several Cocoa games that are kind of along this line, sort of the simulation type thing. But it's a company I'd never heard of until I started doing research for a show. And I found this, and I'm trying to remember the name of the magazine. It was 80, or not 80 micro, but micro 80, which is an all, another one, a lot less common than 80 micro was. Something like that. It was some obscure one. Is it? Okay. It's an Australian TRS-80 one there. I'm not sure if that's the exact magazine, but it was some not as popular as 80 Micro or TRS-80 Micro Computer News or some of the more well-known. Uh, 80 US Journal was another one. But there's it's funny because you go back to the early days before the Cocoa really started taking off and that people figured out that the Cocoa market was going to be Color Computer Magazine, Hot Cocoa, and particularly Rainbow. They would advertise in a general 80 uh, tier city magazine, and that's the only place they'd advertise because they didn't have huge budgets. So a lot of us that were strictly reading all the Cocoa-based magazines would never have known these games existed, including me. I had no clue. And I found a fair number of these now, so more stuff to hunt down and find. <laughs> <clears throat> 
This one here, uh, they decided to do Timberman on uh, Tim and AJ, my drunk sibling channel on YouTube for sibling rivalry. But the way they started this video, I thought was hilarious. I'm going to play the entire intro. I'm not going to play the actual gameplay. You can watch them as they, they one up each other as they're going through the game. And I'll let you find out who won the ultimate championship here. They both really enjoyed the game. So big shout out to Paul Thayer if he's listening today because he's the author of this game. But the intro is funny enough, and it's a little, I, I sympathize with AJ in this one so much. So I'll just uh, play the intro. And this is the cartridge port where the cartridges go. <laughs> oh, got it. <laughs> is that loud enough? Hi, everybody. Uh, in honor of Tandy um, month, uh, Tim is going to show me how to repair a uh, Tandy color computer. This should be fun. So we got the CPU here, you know, we got to check for five volts and reset. Uh -huh. uh, of course, this is the video chip. Yeah, We got lots of RAM, 64K of RAM in this color computer. Two PIAs here, that's where the uh, keyboard gets hooked up and the joystick port goes over here and we got a serial port and then, oh, and don't forget the on and off switch. Oh my God, Tim. What? This is, this is too hard. It, could, could we play video games instead? <laughs> Well, how about we solder something? Okay. Is this what I use? <laughs> so that's me at the soldering glass at VCF Midwest. That's all I can say. And I just saw the comment from Sixie Karen in the, in the chat. He goes, I watched this intro and it made me wince. I bet you that last scene is exactly what caused it. Right. Me. You should hold it like a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's a great video, the normal sense of humor, and it's coming a great Coco 3 game that was actually one of the recent releases here uh, that Paul Thayer did. And of course, he's working on his new Shmup You Up, uh, you know, space arcade shooter, which is like a whole level above what he did on Timberman. But uh, Timberman was a, a great, I think it was his first machine language game ever, if I remember correctly. He had some help from Simon Jonas and some others. So um, still a classic game. Um if you guys have never played it, there's a free version on the Color Computer Archive. It's the Christmas edition, which is what they're playing there, because Tim could not find his copy of the paid-for version that he had. But uh, the game plays pretty well the same. And it even has uh, Ron Vaux guest starring in it as one of the characters that you can pick from. Okay, so that's it for the Game On News, because Mark's already kind of covered the uh, Legends of Alcaron. Um, now I want to apologize. I was actually out of town this morning, so I know some stories. I saw a few flying by on my phone on the drive, uh, that I just didn't have time to include in today's stuff. So I know there's multiple stuff that came out this morning. I'll cover them all next week. There's a whole bunch of Septandy stuff. Um, so before I get into the full blown news here, I wanted to cover some of the upcoming convention and trade shows. So if you're in the Chicago area this weekend, right now, as you saw earlier in the show, VCF Midwest is there. You probably have to park in, I don't know, Rockford or something like that to get to it. Or maybe you can park up. Uh, Rick, you're still in Wisconsin? Yeah. Just, no, you can park Yeah, just, just park, park, park in his driveway and then just walk down and you should be able to park get there. the airport. <laughs> I think there's plenty of parking on the south side of Chicago, but your car might not be there when you get back. Right. right. <laughs> Yeah, unless you park in the uh, United Center parking lot, because I know they have guards. Um, but basically, it's it's running uh, today and tomorrow. So if you have a chance, if you're in that area and you want to get by, there's no admittance fee. So you can get in for free. The hard part is the long walk from parking. Um, and obviously, they're going to have to move to a, a new venue next year because it's just overflowed. I mean, they're selling stuff out in the courtyard. They're selling stuff out on the street. They're selling stuff out on the 
parking lot. So, um, and we'll we'll hopefully get some of the people back in that were busy with seminars and stuff to come on for the show before we end today. So there's that one. Next one up, and 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 Mark, I think you're the one who gathered these. So some of these I'm not that familiar with, and I haven't had a chance to actually look at them too close. So feel free to mm. pipe in and explain some of these. Sure. So the Utah Retro Game Swap in Layton, Utah, is on September the 9th. And that's today. Anywhere? Just today. Just no, today. Just, uh, yeah. Um, Fred Fred Provencia was the one that that pointed that out, and he just down the link to the Davis Conference Center. So some sort of swap meet and get together. Only today, though. Okay. So you've got about an hour. <laughs> Head on. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't do more. that. You'll miss our show. Um, oh, so hopefully, with that, if that's an annual event, hopefully we can actually give people a bit more warning next year. <laughs> uh, we'll next Fred, up, keep an eye on it. Yeah, next up is next weekend in Canada. So this is in Kitchener. Is the world of retro computing, and uh, this is one that Frank at Retro Rewind is one of the sponsors for. Uh, Neil Blanchard's been at it last year, and I think a few other times as well. Um, it it tends to be a bit Commodore centric because I mean that's what you know Frank and and the Commodore group uh, kind of I think helped organize this. But now it's kind of spread out and it's covering multiple machines. And Frank, if he's still in the chat, can probably pump in a little bit of extra information there that I can read out a little bit afterwards. But uh, there were some pictures from it last year. Last year it was held in a barn. This year I believe it's being held in an abandoned shopping center or something like that. So it's a bit bigger of a venue. And I know there's some complaints last year. The barn was getting too hot in the summer heat. So, um, but it looked like a pretty good show. And there was a good mix of machines there from last year. And it's supposed to be a bigger show this year. So I, this is one I will try to attend at some point in the future myself, I think. Maybe I can drag Bill down there too. Uh, next up after that, September 29th to October the 1st in Springfield, Ohio, is Tandy Assembly 2023. So this, of course, is the show that covers all the Tandy machines, right from the original TRS-80 through the Cocos to the MC-10s, the pocket computers, the Model 100s. And then it gets into all the uh, MS-DOS compatible clones like Tandy 1000s through the 5000s, some of the portables, etc. The entire Tandy gamut. Um they tend to be a bit, I think, more model one, like the black and white Z, Z80 based ones. I think that tends to be more the focus because a lot of people that attend it, that's what they do. And that's basically the, the main show for them, though there's definitely a big Coco presence and a big Tandy 1000 series presence as well. So if you're in the neighborhood there, <clears throat> now Springfield's a small little town. I don't think if you're flying internationally, there's any direct flights to it. So you kind of will have to make arrangements to get from, I'm trying to remember what the nearest city. Is it Cincinnati or something? For anybody who's maybe been near, been to the show Probably from Cincinnati. here. Yeah. So you have a bit of a trek to get there. I, I've passed through the town before going elsewhere. I think I had a business meeting in Cincinnati. So I've been by it. So I kind of roughly know where it is. But that's always a good time too. There's a lot of uh, seminars. So if there's actually something else that we'll be talking about in the news here coming up that uh, they actually are having the Tier City Trash Talk live stream number 35. I think in a week or two, I'll, we'll get to that in the actual official news here. But basically, they're going to be covering all the seminars, um, the, all, the, all the exhibitors, the sponsors, et cetera. They'll be kind of going through what's going to be at the show. So you kind of get a bit of a preview of it. So that's coming up September 29th through the October the 1st. After that, well, just literally after that is September 30th to October 1st is the Interim Computer Festival in Seattle, Washington. And I'm assuming Mark knows more about this than I do. I uh, know a little bit about it. So it was mentioned um, somewhere. And so uh, uh, I did uh, sign up for a table or two. And uh, it looks like um, they're trying to kind of replace the VCF Pacific Northwest. It hasn't happened for a few years now. So that's her intent. 
I talked to the guy who's running it. They had a Commodore show there a couple of months ago. They had about 30 tables with people. So they should have enough room to at least get a few people. There's about 12 people want to show right now. Oh, so 12, 15 tables, something like that. So there's more. Come on down. Okay, cool. Now, they're calling it the interim computer festival. Does that mean they eventually hope to hook back up with VCF? Or is that I would, just a I plan would words so. like our last Cocoa Fest? I, I, I didn't ask about that, but I can. I'm on their mailing list now. I, yeah, I think it's kind of it's filling in until the, the BCF comes back or something like it. So. Okay. It doesn't. Okay. <laughs> well, it's like our last Cocoa Fest because we never know if that's actually going to be true. And we're on our, what, 30, whatever now? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I do know the BCF Pacific Northwest they had in 2018 and 2019. They had those at the Living Computer Museum, which unfortunately shut down right now. But those were like Living Computer Museum's best attendance days ever, those two weekends with two days. Uh, so that type of right. event really drives drives people yeah. coming out and seeing stuff. Well, the thing is with the Living Computer Museum, like I think one of the highlights of that particular museum was that it was all you could touch and use everything in it pretty well, right? Right. You're yes, there. their idea was Which a lot of them working. still don't do. I mean, they'll have a few exhibits you can fiddle around with, but that was the main calling card there. What, what happened to you? Like, why did it shut down? COVID is what basically killed it. And um, it was funded mainly, started by Paul Allen. And so I think the funding behind that kind of got shifted someplace else as well. Oh, yeah, because he passed away. Oh, yeah. Double whammy. That sucks. Hopefully they can get that going again. Because I, I, that was one place I wanted to go and just never had the time. Right. Okay. Now, before I go on to the next one, well, actually, no, I guess I'll do these two first, and I'll do the one I mentioned in the chat. Uh, next up, the Dragon Meetup 2023 in Cambridge at the, uh, that's a computer museum, too, and I'm pulling a blank on the name off the top of my head. Uh, computing History, something like that. So anyway, that's October the 7th and 8th of 2023. Um, it's on the Dragon Facebook group, and I think they have their own group or their own event uh, section on Facebook as well if you want some more details. And we're going to try to get a live feed from some of the people down there. Uh, that actually make it to that show because it sounds like they're going to have some pretty good stuff and they're having a bit of a gaming theme. So maybe Cuthbert will be there in his multiple guises. Um, after that is the Portland Retro Gaming Expo in Portland, Oregon, October the 15th to 18th of this year. Uh, take it away, Mark, on that one if you know about that one. Actually, no, I haven't ever attended it. I really should. Uh, Tim and AJ had a table there last year, and I don't think they're doing one this year. I think they're just going to go. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we we had them come in and live stream off that. I forgot about that. Yeah. Not the one with a lot of um, video games? Consoles yeah. and... Uh, yeah, it's basically yeah, gaming. It's, it's, all, it's, it's all video games. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You aren't, aren't going to be seeing OS9 probably displayed there, put it that way. Yeah. Um, so that's the ones that uh, Mark has done because we're going to try to do, you know, festivals and, and and conventions and stuff that are happening within the next two months because after that, it's it's pretty far in the future. But I will mention a couple that like I just got mentioned in the chat here. So uh, Buck Owens mentions is the Texas Pinball Fest, March 15th to 17th of 2024. Um, I'm assuming that's actual physical pinball machines. Uh, so if you're into that part of the retro gaming scene, that would be a perfect one to go to. Uh, 60 did verify it's Center for Computing History or something along that line. So that is correct for the Dragon Meetup. Um, he mentions also the Houston Arcade Expo in November. Doesn't have a specific date listed, so I'm not sure when in November that is. Um, no, I don't know, uh, Steve, if that's uh, strictly arcade games, like our, you know, actual arcade cabinets from real arcades, or does that just mean any sort of arcade-style game, including home console and home computer? 
So we'll wait for that to catch up. And then I guess we'll mention, as Grant mentioned, you know, we're going to be able to start booking the hotel for Cocoa Fest 2024, which is on the first weekend in May uh, very soon. And then we'll start setting up for, you know, getting vendors and stuff uh, registering as well. But it looks like everything's proceeding quite well to get that going, too. Hopefully we don't have to sell stuff out in the parking lot like at VCF. Or do. Hopefully we do. And C. Rasmussen verifies, yes, arcade focus. So that particular arcade expo is basically for the actual physical pop in your quarter arcade style games. Okay, so onwards to the regular news. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins. No matter what it takes. Or where news breaks. From around the world. To your nation. The Coco Nation News. With L. Curtis Boyle. So first up, I think we have to change that intro and add a graphic in there of me holding the solder in like AJ did in that clip. Tied down. With some flames <laughs> coming off fire. my fingers or smoke or something. I think that and would be it. perfect. Then dropping yeah. it. Yeah. I'm on it. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Nick. <laughs> I've seen a lot of stuff. Go, go work on breakout or something instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, right, so first up, uh, this actually happened live during the show last week, and it was just a little bit too late for me to throw it in. So Pierre Sarazen, of course, is the creator of the CMOC and all of the various libraries that go with it. So he did a, a double announcement during the show last week of some updates. So the first one is the CMOC itself. It's now up to version 0.1.85. He's now added support for function local function prototypes. He allows a K&R prototype for a function that specifies no return type, but only at the top level. He adds some new warning options and adds some small optimizations. And the second part he didn't update for is the high-res text library, or high-res yeah, high text library version 0.4.1. So he's added support now for inverted colors and bold characters. And for those who are not familiar, this is the software library that supports uh, having 51 by 24 or 42 by 24 black and green or text screens. So you can actually mix graphics and text with some built-in fonts. And they're both available for free on the CMOC webpage. And of course, as with all the stories here, you can get them on our Discord. There's a special section under the Coca Nation subsection that actually has uh, news uh, notes and stuff from every episode. And we have all the links and descriptions of what's there if you want to catch up and link to some of these and take a look. So both available on his page here. Next up, uh, since Bob's actually here, I think I'll let him explain. So we did a two-part series on um, replacing the Cocoa 3 RF modulator with an HDMI socket with no case modifications needed. So I will mute this in, uh, assuming Bob is still on the call. I will play a little bit of the first part. And Bob, you want to explain what you did in the first part and what you did in the second part? All right. Is my uh, audio good? Yep. All right. So, yeah, basically the first part, I'm going over the prepping the motherboard and remove the RF modulator and uh, 
kind of bodge the channel switch to use uh the channel three four switch to control um basically a voltage to pin 10 on the rgb output i did notice bob you're actually using your machine you showed here a few months back where you've got the embedded three and a half inch yeah. drive that's my my 3p there it's got the uh embedded i've got the built-in floppy drive the little audio amplifier the uh you can see on the right there the rgb to hdmi built-in and i'm uh right there just showed my my little trick for removing those uh rf shield uh the clips that hold it in you just press them down with a little barrel plug super easy Okay, so then you take out the RF modulator, which is what you're doing here. So yeah, just a quick uh, little solder sucker job, nothing fancy. Are you holding the soldering iron the right way? <laughs> it's only up too high for me and AJ, but... Uh, right, right. You got to get right down there by the tip. Yeah. How, how are you supposed to control. draw with it like a pencil? I want to draw little soldering right. things. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more accurate than that. And, uh... Now, I wanted to pause this one here because your, your your channel, uh, or sorry, your um, chapter selector here is, calls this channel switch eight volt to five eight volt to five volt bodge, and then an asterisk. This will change. So, what what is the change thing and why? So basically, uh, what I figured out with this, and I kind of highlighted in this uh, part two, is that I I. Uh, on the, on the start box, it wants a five volt signal, not an eight volt signal. So naturally, I thought I'll remove the eight volts from the switch and just hook it up to the five volt line. Um, I didn't realize that, and and basically that uh, that switch goes straight to uh, I think it's the third pin there on the RF modulator. So that's just a voltage into the modulator to you know tell it what channel to output to it doesn't go to anywhere now that the modulator is disconnected um it says designing the socket retainer so that's the actual metal shield that i put around the uh hdmi bulkhead connector just to hold it to the board in the original location of the rf shield and that's where you don't need to modify the case now because the HDMI connector actually fits where the old RF modulator RCA jack came out, correct? Right. I just have to uh, kind of clean up the bottom of this. I basically shave one side of that bulkhead connector completely off. And then uh, on the motherboard, you don't have a, a good soldering point. So I just clean off some of the... Uh, silk screen gives it a nice firm mounting okay and then that basically this this so some to summarize set the first part video of this two-part series is basically you kind of prepping and, and getting the connector the hmi connector installed in the cogel the arf cans out and that basically, basically yeah. is what this one covers yep so now we're looking at, uh, I guess you could turn the sound up a little bit if you 
and add a little more solder to it. I think they're at the right oh, no. Remember, you're, you're doing this to kind of steady it so that the, the jack doesn't move around too much, correct? Yeah, so basically kind of press down on it and heat up the solder so that it kind of sits down flush with the board, not not sitting up too high. You want to keep it nice and uh, snug around that connector. This one actually still, it'll, if I pull the board out of the case, it'll fall out, you know, if I just tilt it back. But okay. once it's in there and in the case, it's pretty solid. Okay, and then you went to part two, which is, how would you summarize, I guess, this one? So in part two, I go over the options of uh, what you can hook up to it in order to get your HDMI signal. So like in the first one, I have the RGB to HDMI that you can see there uh, just in its external form. And there it is on the inside of my case with the buttons. And then now is this a, is this a different Coco three because I don't see your floppy drive and all this that stuff one. Now. Yeah, this is actually my uh, salvage Coco three that I've restored from the dead. So it's a basic stock Coco three. I'm using. I've done this to two different ones now. So this is a basic Coco three that I'm just doing the SCART to uh, HDMI. So yeah, I kind of gotta take that cable apart and fix it. That's my external cable anyway, not the internal cable. Um, this one, this chapter, you labeled GBS control. I'm not sure what that means. GBS control. I'm just kind of demonstrating that that is even an alternative uh, that you could do, but that one takes a lot of power. You probably want a dual voltage dedicated power supply and uh, definitely want a fan inside if you're going to do that one. But it's pretty cool in that you can control all the settings with uh, like your cell phone or laptop just over Wi-Fi. Oh, cool. I didn't realize that. <laughs> and it that one really does give a super crisp uh, VGA uh, output and you get the VGA to HDMI converter with an audio input and you get a nice you know hdmi output with audio now aside from the heat and the fact it takes a fair amount of room inside the case etc here is that a fairly expensive option that is the cheapest option possible those boards oh. are like less than 20 bucks the esp uh board is you know another 10 5 10 bucks and pretty much a diy project there the GBS control modification is super easy. I have a video hey Bob, on this. Is him. Anyway, a uh, little forward here. We disassemble here. I'm showing the modification to the start cable. I had to take that big nut off the back so that it would fit without cutting the case, which you can't really cut that post anyway. That's where the board mounts. Okay. I just noticed Tim joined us here too. Are you here to comment in this video or something else? Everything. Um, okay. Bob, if you can hear me, uh, yeah. you show a lot of different options here. Have you have you noticed uh, any latency problems with any of these uh, video options? Uh, no, not really. They all, I mean, the, the SCART is kind of the fuzziest picture that I have of the 
of the two built-in options, but they both, especially the uh, RGB to HDMI, that thing is super snappy. I agree. Um, as far as syncing, when I turn it on, this one is kind of... This one had a delay, if I remember. Yeah, this one is slow to sync because it actually power cycled when I turned it on due to the uh, incorrect way I had the power set up on that 8-volt uh, budge that I made to 5 volts. So basically what I did there is I took that 5-volt budge completely out and put it back to original. And then... Uh, and you can see how the RGB is considerably darker than the composite too, which I didn't like. So, yeah, after I watched your video, Bob, I mm -hmm. I thought a a good spreadsheet to make would be something to compare all of these uh, devices on you know power consumption, um, latency, right. um, maybe I don't know heat that they give off, you know size, whether it can fit inside or a, a cocoa case. I think how that kind of the image looks how fuzzy the image looks. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Gathering up all that data for all these different um, uh, yeah. solutions is probably a good idea. I think, yeah. Cause you're uh, one of the few people that's actually tried all these different solutions and you know what the differences are. The rest of us, right. we see one video. Oh, that looks so nice, but you have no idea what to right. compare it with. That's oh yeah. And we just saw different part. jail bars and stuff. This is really cool. Yeah. There's, this is uh recorded with a camera looking at a monitor so it's a little bit fuzzier than i'm actually seeing but not much it's actually sort of fuzzy coming out of this one but it you know it's rgb it's still better than the composite by far right but i'm saying like this one has sort of horizontal bars in it where the previous one had vertical bars in it and this is all metrics yeah. that we don't normally get so yeah this is yeah. cool so I would highly recommend people go check out both these videos. It's a two-parter, as I said. Um, and I'd like the idea of, you know, kind of amalgamating the data so people can have a comparison chart type thing. Well, now, I did want to play in one segment in its entirety, and that's called the Coco Go Bag, because I thought this was really cool. Oh, yeah. Go Bag. Coco Go Bag. So this is kind of the whole point of the project in this here. bag. <laughs> Obviously. Always knew you were a spy. Off with a Coco 3. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bug out bag. Right, and my you notice the lack of wires. Pack. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, one thing in the video, Bob, you mentioned oh, a PD power supply, but you never explained that that's actually something a little specific. HDMI cord. So a PD power supply is kind of a smart power supply that just basically the device Portable that you plug monitor. it into tells it when to stop raising the voltage, and it starts out at five volts, and if the the if the device requests more higher voltage, it steps it up and in increments until the device first flames threshold yeah. and tells no it more. to stop. It's quite a it's quite a handy um, uh, solution that's relatively new these days. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's kind of the latest PDs. It's actually uh, used in laptop supplies nowadays. So that was kind of my first exposure to it i can plug my laptop directly into it my laptop power supply into my coco if i don't have this battery and voila just like that we're ready to so when i i uh, when i reverted the scart um 
power or the, the channel switch to the eight volt circuit i just added a another 50 ohms in line to decrease that voltage card in there and that i think that fixed the latency of the the scart syncing a power up when i reboot coco and discord because the whole point of the extra five volt separate supply was so that that box would stay on even when I turn the cocoa off. I, I just like the fact you crammed all of that into a bag. You also have your laptop, and I think you even had joysticks in here too, didn't you? There's two joysticks in that bag, yeah. <laughs> so that, there's a carry-on luggage going to Cocoa Fest right there. That's what you need. Exactly. You don't need clothes right. or anything. That's what you need. No, no, just that. Tim, did you have any further questions or comments? Well, I, I, I just got a pair of aftermarket Chinese, um, 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 what are they called? Um, uh, what, are the, what are the things that you, ha- you, you hook into the end of a Wiimote? Um, uh, Nunchuck. Nunchucks? Yeah. Nunchuck joysticks? I think they're going to make great Coco joysticks is basically what I, and, and it'll fit right in that bag real nicely. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a really cool project, and I think anybody wants to kind of compare and see what the uh, some of the video options are that you can do, and you can actually embed this into the Cocoa itself. That it's a really good video series on it. It almost looks like the red is still a little too dark in this. Yeah, yeah. I'll be I'll be definitely tweaking the cable in there, and plus the interference. Uh, I'll probably remake the whole internal cable. And this is actually one of Nick's games that's you know decent, so this is good good to see mm-hmm. Popstar Pilot in action. <laughs> oh, I thought this was Flappy Bird. <laughs> no birds there. Anyway, check check him out if you have any questions for Bob. He's active in our Discord, so if you have any questions on this project or any other project that Bob has done, and he's got a lot of videos of projects he's done, uh, you can ask him on Discord directly. What's your handle on our Discord? It's um, I'm on the Discord as Coconut Bob, and my YouTube channel is La Coco Strangiato. With a definite tip of the hat to Rush. Indeed. Who allows their music to be used on YouTube. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool. And very rare. Okay, next up, we got a series of videos from Mr. Dave 6309. Uh, this is also part of Septandi as well, and he's doing software sprites on a Kogel 3. I think this is just straight 6809 code, if I remember correctly. And he does a couple, uh, or he's done three videos here. He does one with source code with explanations of what he's doing and how it works. A second video showing him editing sprite code with EdTasm Plus, the disk version. And a third showing him calling the sprite routines from basics. You can actually call some of these routines from basic and get some you know decent quality uh, sprite style graphics. Now, none of these are animated sprites, I don't believe, but they're basically just showing. And he has all these little blurbs on the side. You can see the code, etc. I will mute the sound because I don't know if that's copyright or not. But you can see some of the variable speeds here. Now, from the looks of it, I think he's using these as byte movements on even byte boundaries just because it's a lot quicker and faster. You don't have to do a bunch of shifting and masking. Or you'd have to create a duplicate set of sprites offset by a pixel to speed that up. So that's the first video. And then how to edit the sprite code itself. Which has a lot of EdTasm uh, options. Now this is uh, 80 column EdTasm, which you probably don't remember from Radio Shack Star because it didn't exist. 
but this is not the Robert Galt enhanced one. This is, I think, the Roger Schrag, I think, is the one who enhanced it for the Cocoa 3 to allow any calms. Yeah. But if you buy Ed Tasm 609 from uh, Robert Galt, like Nick uses for all of his games, you not only get the 80 columns, but you also get full 6 on support and a bunch of other things I can't remember off the top of my head, Nick, but you probably know. Yeah, no, it's um, it's an improved version on, on top of the uh, Roger Schrag one. So I yeah, remember yeah. Um, there being a way of auto-running Atasm from Kilgastus, uh, Kilgastos, and I think you add a ADTASM slash bin at the start of the BAS, a BAS file, and I once I did that, I was able to have no problems using Atasm unpatched with the 80 columns on the Coco 3. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, Kilgus DOS, I mean, he wanted an easy way for programmers to access the file system, not just the disk on raw sector read write, which is all Tandy basically built in at Microsoft. Um, and his his idea was that that was going to be freely released, and anybody who bought anything with Kilgus DOS on it could use it. Yep. And they could use it for accessing the file system and also, you know, having hooks and stuff so you could actually like, you know, throw it on a word pack 280 column card or whatever you wanted to do. Yep. He made it, you know, expandable and easy to add to. But unfortunately, I think even he himself has said it, it wasn't documented as properly as it should have been. And I don't know if that was his fault or if that was Tandy's fault. Um, but it never really took off for that reason. Like most people just thought is why do you have this weird thing I gotta run and it throws a clock in the corner before I can run anything? <laughs> yeah, which is kind of what I thought at the time. Yeah, and same with me, but I guess um, I've been in contact with him recently, and he thinks he still has the original docs that he was planning for the Kilgastos thing, and uh, he's working on getting it so that we can release it. Neat. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Not sure how fast that's going to happen, but we're we're working on it. And uh, Dave just verified this 6809 code only, so there's no 6309 here at all. And then uh, here he does a, a sprite... In basic, uh, and he's just using like straight calling the sprite routine, and then he's just using hprint in between. So that's one of the reasons it looks a little slow because he's reprinting that line over and over again. I, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. And there he's using palette animations to do the flames, which is a good trick if for any Coco Three game if you're running in basic, you want to get a bit of extra speed. Uh, nope. Yeah, you increase the speed of the sprite there, and it doesn't block out the behind it as enough to leave that trail. But sometimes you want an effect like that, so he's just kind of showing it both ways. And he's got different versions of the ship at different angles, so you can see. Now you could actually change which one you're putting. Like you could change the sprite to the next frame, and you can actually have the ship kind of rotating as it's moving. Sure. There, you're just sending a circle across. So, anyways, he's actually releasing the source code for this. So, if anybody wants to fiddle with his sprite uh, routines, they can. Here, he's throwing a bunch on the screen. Obviously, the 16 color mode. So he's got source code samples you can see on the screen here and kind of showing you the details of how to actually access it. And then he's going to be releasing disk images if he hasn't already, uh, where you can actually get this code and fiddle around with it yourself, both the assembly language code and the basic code. So uh, if people want to fiddle around with using some uh, machine language assisted sprites from basic, uh, might be a good start. You might be able to write a game you could never write in plain basic. 
Here, there's a guy named Tim. And uh, he apparently has an expat, as we were talking about earlier. There's multiple people expat now. Bill just got his. Tim's got his. Ron has his. Yeah, I need a little repair on mine, but it works. What's the repair you need on yours? Oh, I guess somebody didn't watch the video. Um, I did. I just don't remember because <laughs> I watched so damn many Sep Dandy videos this week. I don't remember even who's in them. Uh, the cable <laughs> the cable sheath has been eaten away probably by a rodent. And I got to repair the um, the shielding and the plastic shielding. Is that actually causing problems with it or is it just cosmetically bad? I think it's a little more jittery than it should be. Um, but other than that, it, it works fine. Okay. Now, were you watching us earlier um, when Ron was showing a video he recorded because he's got a version of Cocomax patch to use the X-pad instead of the colorware thing? I saw like five seconds of that. I was in and out at that time. Okay. Is that, do you know if that's something that's on the archive? Like, have you got a copy of that you can use the X-pad with Cocomax? I've seen it listed in the archive as, you know, Cocomax patched X-pad, but I've never tried it. Okay. So that seems like a yes perfect place to use it. There. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that would be like the Koala pad. I never was that impressed with it. it had that I think if you let go on the middle, it suddenly jumped to the middle center coordinate or something stupid. So, yeah, it's like an auto centering joystick. Yeah. Pressure sensitive. Uh, oh, it's it's a horrible device. Like I said in the comment <laughs> there. Yeah. The only, the only good thing about the, uh, the Koala pad is that it's a really good source for uh, joystick cables. <laughs> <laughs> I I can see it being used for some games. <laughs> you can just tap, you know, right, left, up, down, or whatever. You could. I was I was meaning way. to try uh, to see if if it works well with the Coco Max cartridge. I can't find my cartridge, and I just gave away my last Koala pad, so I'll I'll never know. You could always try the fast. I'm sure we can wrangle up the two pieces and put them together. Uh, that's a good. Uh, that's a great uh, <laughs> use of fest time, Curtis. Yeah, Let's all send Tim Koala pads. <laughs> In between you battling your sister. Okay, go to go to uh, minute five forty four. Hey Tim, did, did, you, did your does your pen still work? Yes. No, I mean, you want you know, audio and video on too, or no, just a still. What I meant was the ink in it. Yes, uh, it it comes and goes. Yeah, actually, I think you you took it apart to show the the actual ink cartridge in there, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Is that something you can just get a video. quick replacement for elsewhere? Like, is that a standard? I, I believe piece? it's a standard ink cartridge that's uh, uh, still made to this day. So yeah. So I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that AJ is not cool. Oh yeah, I remember because you guys did a little promotion thing here, and then uh, she did had no idea you were going to do this in the middle of it. Otherwise, she wouldn't have promoted you. Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, she still kicked your butt. So whatever. Uh, and that stupid game. <laughs> also, if you, you saw before in the game on news, there's another game suggestion for the two of you too. Uh, very prophetic uh, um, uh, suggestion. We uh, we recorded uh, two two games last time, and I, I'm not going to tell you what the other Coco game was because. Was it the other one it. I suggested? <laughs> yeah. I won't say the name, but was it the other one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just pure. Did Did you guys see the part in the in the sibling rivalry where we talk about why we chose um, uh, Timberman? Mm-hmm. I didn't play a clip from that, yeah, but I, yeah. I mean, it's. So I was I was trying to start up some other game, and it wasn't working with my Coco. I can't remember why. And out of the blue, oh AJ yeah, now I remember. Says, yeah. Well, how about a, a game about chopping wood? 
And she'd oh, never heard right. of Timberman. I had she'd no clue it existed. Never heard of Tim- Timberman. And <laughs> I just turn around and smile. Have I got <laughs> the game for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. But uh, AJ is not cool, but the expat is. <laughs> but she can mix a mean drink, so. Oh, yeah. Those lemon drops, they get me. And Rick in the comments, he should have just said this on the air, but he said, uh, everyone sent him their old koala pads. (laughs) Well, (laughs) until he gets a stack of them. I I could use the joystick cables. I I got these uh, nunchucks that I need to cut off the cables. Just send them the koala pads. (laughs) Oh, no. No, I need the cables. (laughs) And just to be extra mean, don't even send him the stylus. Oh, man. It came with a stylus? Yeah. I don't even. Allegedly. Yeah, it did. Is it branded in any way? Like Not candy no. or radio? I think shot? it's just a black piece of plastic, isn't it, Ron? Yeah, yeah. Sure. like a pen. Yeah. Uh, it, but is there any branding on it, like koala or? or... No, no. Oh, oh man, I don't think it even says "made in China." Missed opportunity. <laughs> anyway, go check out this. This is a really good because he goes into how the XPad works. He has some demo programs. <laughs> I was surprised Basic was able to keep up as well as it did. Y- yes, I'm surprised what, as well. What's, what's the resolution of the XPad? It's uh, 256 by 191. Plus, right. there's extra um, margins around all four sides that is extra. It's not included inside the 256 by 191. So you um, mm. you uh, you get extra you get extra area there for your commands. Oh, so now, do you have your pixel... menu squares? You, do you have pixel perfect in that, or does that only give you like generalized things for doing like those little menu things, like picking colors, etc.? Uh, inside the the margin areas, you do have pixel perfect at the same resolution as two fifty six by one ninety two. So, you, okay. you can you can split it up further than what you see there. I see. So that's your drawing, and that's what came out of it. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah, this good. is by far the most accurate for Except drawing I've he, ever seen. He repeated, he repeated the hearts. Yep. This is a a what's called a a digitizing tablet. You're supposed to put something on the tablet and then put it into the computer, you know, before <laughs> like trace it. Yeah. Yeah. You trace over it. Yeah. I had to do that for three years. Don't make me do that again. Some <laughs> graphics is evil. Stop, stop. <laughs> yeah. So that's the whole point of this thing, you know, to give you one-to-one representation between the real world and and the, the computer world, you know, like Tron. Yeah, one yeah. of the first things I did was put my hand there and trace around my hand. Oh, did you, you know? get a turkey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. My my favorite part of this, the first time I saw it demoed at a computer center here, not too long after it came out, and I figured out I can't afford that's more expensive than a disk drive, um, was the fact that it actually registers when the pen's close to but not touching. So you can kind of have a cursor. Yep. dot moving around where you are and not until you press it down does it actually start drawing yeah proximity yeah. uh detection is a pro level feature of this 350 dollars product yeah 479 in canada at the time i remember that quite distinctly or 499 maybe the first when it first got released yeah so i'm lucky but yeah they had a little works. basic program you typed in here and it's got even like cut oh. and paste stuff like we, it's pretty we should talk about the whole manual. The manual is filled with basic programs that are that are just awesome. It has more of those Coco Dude drawings uh, from whoever did them for getting started with Color Basic. Um, it was a female, just, I think, that did all those, if I remember correctly. Everybody should just go through the, uh, the the manual just to see how cool a device this thing is. 
I'll show a little snippet here, but definitely go watch the actual. There's there's a, a page 22. There's a program where you, you draw an arbitrary amoeba-like shape, and it'll instantly tell you the, um, the, the surface area. And it had an algorithm I'd never seen before where it takes in the, uh, the, the X, Y coordinates as, as you're drawing and then accumulates the surface area as, as, as you close up the shape. It's pretty interesting. Gee, huh? If you like math, right. <laughs> there you go. I Nick. love it. Have at her. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> right. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to write another poem, folks. Um, <laughs> No, this 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 is a like I said, this is a device that has always fascinated me because at, at this time when it came out, I was drawing a lot of cartoons myself. That's just one of those little side hobbies I had. Mm. I can't draw for crap anymore, but at the time I drew quite a bit of stuff, some stuff I got rather infamous at school at. But this is something I always wanted so I could put it on a computer screen, but it was just unaffordable. And then I think as of the Coco two or three, it it broke because it required the twelve volts. So you had to get a multi pack and stuff to get it to run on any of the later machines. And does it work on a Coco three? Do you know? Uh, if you have a multi pack, it requires it twelve volts. Okay. So yeah, I did all this on I did all that demoing on a Coco three. Did you have to run double speed to get it to react as quick as it was doing? Oh no, that uh, that's all at the normal speed. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I've I've been thinking of running a machine language program to solve my jitter problem uh if it if, if it is my unit and rather or you know yeah if it's a hardware issue versus if a it's software a hardware, issue. yeah yeah you know do some averaging over time because do you remember jittering when you used it uh ron no um you know the um the coco max that uh was hacked so it would work without the pack that was um blocky i noticed that but on this one, it seemed to be a little bit smoother. That's the. Difference. I know Bill. Bill Noble's been no fiddling. Jitter. He's been writing a driver in Nitrous Nine for his XPad because he just got his XPad within the last few weeks too. And mm. uh, when he briefly showed it to me when I saw him last, I don't remember there being that much jitteriness there either. Though I'll have to ask him. But yeah, Tim, you and you and Bill should get together because these are actually been filling with the machine language program already. So maybe you guys can share some knowledge. Yeah, and then I'll try it out for you. <laughs> All right. I think you guys have the three remaining expats in the entire planet because that, that's those are fairly rare to find. I find that hard to believe. I'm going to have to fix them. Do you have what? I have a couple in the attic. I'm going to have to fix them. Hmm. What are they doing in the attic? Broken. Oh. Well, <laughs> it's not a very complicated device. So yeah, no, yeah you took it apart and showed the interior guts too. Go to a minute eight thirty seven. Yeah, that's my damage. Yeah, I'll mute it so you can oh, talk over it yourself here, Tim. But yeah, I think I zoom in. And it's, oh no, it's past the zoom in. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to show the bro- my little broken sheath. Now here's that oh. pen cartridge you were talking uh, about. Man, look, look at that that close up. Oh, look at this. Mm. <laughs> yeah, too bad it has such ugly hands in it. But hey, uh... come on, <laughs> we can't all be George Costanza. Look at that. Look at that. I took an extra photograph with a little microscopic glass. shot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a little metal ring and you all had to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about how there's a switch on the inside of the pen that, that um, you okay. can, you can sort of feel when you, um, when, when you push down and, and draw with the ink. <laughs> and that's a Parker pen refill. 
Yeah, that looks yeah. like a standard one. Like I've seen like before. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but yeah, to me, that means you could replace these even now. Just yeah. forever. Yeah. Frankly, yeah. I would want one without a pen. I'd I'd just want some sort of a nice round point because when it's marking the paper that you're trying to digitize is usually a bad idea. Right. Oh, I have a really good joke coming up. Oh, do you want me to turn the audio on? No, no, no it's a visual joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mentioned how it didn't have a label on the cartridge. And uh-huh. I, I now, is that, that normal or is that because you're oh, yeah, missing? Yeah, it, yeah, none of them have labels. Um, and so I insert that little uh, clip of uh, spared no expense <laughs> from <laughs> Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a uh, list cartridge. on on the on the on the YouTube page in the comments or in the description. There's a list of all those chips if you're interested. Yeah, because there's actually a fair number of chips on. It's actually a yeah. very full board. Yeah, I was but the interior of the pad itself chip. is like holy cow. There's nothing in there. Yeah, the pad is just radio uh, antennas. Well, this is very similar because all of these are holy cow. They're just LS chips. There's nothing in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so many resistors. Cool. Look at all those resistors. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, it's just a grid grid thing, yeah? Yeah, you got horizontal uh, antennas on one side and vertical antennas on the other. Not 256 of them, though, so I don't know how it... how it Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Does it measure like a, a, a resistance or something between each line, and it goes favoring one it, or the other? I, I think it's signal it strength. Signal yeah. strength. How many are um, there? Did you count? No, I didn't. Uh, it doesn't look like. Here, I I'll have... pause it quick, Bob. Count. No, no, I, <laughs> I don't have a good enough. I don't frame, have the whole sorry. thing on there. I, my my camera my camera work is deficient. You so guys should all get your somebody could reproduce. You know this. what? Yeah. One thing about it, they look consistently width. So measure measure the width between uh, a couple of them, and then measure the entire width. There you go. Uh, We've got on the right hand side a count. Yeah, you can. Yeah, we go get ahead a count, count on the oh. on the right hand side. Still a mystery going the other way. And somebody should zoom in there and see what resistor uh, value that is. <laughs> so like 50 vertical-ish? Oh, oh somebody's counting? <laughs> I, I would mention in the chat here, Phantom Ape, it says, too bad they didn't include a machine language drawing program. I, I think that is true. I could probably could have done even more, especially like a get put copies and stuff would have been a lot faster. Well, but if they had done that, it, It's they, fast they enough and basic. You don't really need it for most yeah. drawing. When you, you know, have a lot of time. To make a video, you line up your screws like you did. Hey, <laughs> I think that's a dig at me. Yeah, it's just like you're not. I think we're just complimenting you and how anal retentive you are. That's all. I just I would not do that. <laughs> You'll lose them if you don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, like, you're like we're commenting between the machine language versus basic. I mean, the basic driver. If you watched him doing the drawing here early on, it's it, or even you know Ron. Well, Ron, I guess that technically is a machine language. Coke Max too, but yeah, it keeps yeah. up pretty well. I mean, with the get puts, the only thing it kind of slowed down. If you get a shape and drop yeah, it, I mean, obviously man. it's going through the slow basic routines. Man, I had to film that like three times, and it still <sighs> came out like crap. The way this is wired up, it's not measuring height as. The individual lines position don't matter. The resistance to each line matters, and it grows more and more as you go vertically up the this is a really weird design. I have to play with this thing. Well, what I did too was I'd lay a picture down and draw on the picture. Um, you know, and it would go on the screen and then you can color right. it the way you want. 
Well, what did you do with the ink pen? Did you did you change it out to a dead ink pen, or were you just well, literally well, drawing on top of a picture? I was drawing on top of the picture. Uh, I, you were um, freehanding it then, because I, I think Tim here was using some of the you know draw a circle and and draw the box where yeah. you need plastic sheets. By the by the <laughs> way, a lot of people think that's a house. It's not. It's a robot face. Oh, <laughs> little pointy head. Yeah. It's a house poorly drawn. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's Bill the robot, <laughs> not Bill the splat. <laughs> Big eye, little eye. Yeah, it fits. <laughs> so, does the stylus have a magnet or something in it? Uh, it has a little metal ring um, in the in the black tip. There's a there's a picture of it that I show later in the video, uh -huh. and I think it connects to the aluminum uh, housing bo body of the pen and does something again i think it's a radio device induction yeah because like the sonographics tablets i had to use had a little metal coil that picked up their position from the grid below it's a fascinating device that was meant for graphic artists um <laughs> tandy had some high-res boards for some of the tier city model like threes and stuff that could do you know 640 by 240 black and white graphics back in the day i figured this would have been perfect for that too if it had a high enough res but I don't. Did they ever make a graphics tablet for the high res boards, for the model three and four, et cetera? If they did, they didn't put it in the catalog because I devoured those catalogs. I have. Yeah. Uh, I have so I'm a, surprised they actually did this for the Coco because this is a high end device. This isn't some cheap koala pen. It makes no sense. Well, and just a few years later, like I say, Summa took over the world, and you couldn't sell anything that wasn't made by Summa Graphics or Waco or Wacom or whatever. So yeah. like, for that moment of time, this was a nice thing. And then it was taken over. It was ahead it. of its time, honestly. Yeah. It, was, it was a bit too expensive for the Cocoa market because that was their cheap computer. You know, this is not a cheap peripheral. And, and you had to have the 12 volts. So if you had a Cocoa 2 and you got into it, things like in 1980, late 83 or 84, now you have to buy a multi-pack on top of it to even get this thing to work. Mm -hmm. So it was a bit of a lost opportunity. It's too bad they didn't update it to run on Coco 2, it's kind of like they did with Speed Sound Pack. They could have ran that at double speed in the Coco 3. They never fixed that either. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I used the Coco 2 when I did it. On a multi-pack, multi right? Yeah. Oh, you meant without it. Yeah, without it. Like, if you ran a cassette-based program or something with it, you could not run it on a Coco 2 or 3 because well, it doesn't okay. have 12 volts. We we Coco users uh, eschew the cassette interface, so everybody who who have this would want uh, a multi pack with a with a floppy disk controller. Was that a dig at Kieran and the UK people that just stuck with cassette until you know there was a hill to die on? What was that? I'm sorry, <laughs> you're breaking up. <laughs> Actually, I have a I have a huge dig at Kieran in in this video, and he's he's never said anything, so I guess he hasn't watched it. Ooh, Karen, you better you better respond for that for next All week right. here. Send us send us oh, feedback. I'm not even, even going to say what it is. You're no, no, you're going to gonna make him watch the whole darn video to yeah, figure it out. Yeah, he doesn't have to watch it. He, he, ignorance <laughs> is bliss, as they say. He can die without knowing. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, Scott Cooper Tasman said this is a picture of a tin man with a black eye. Well, when I fill in the circles, I get it. Yeah. But right now, it's just a robot face. Yeah, I still think it's Bill the Cat, except as a robot. <laughs> ah, Bill the Cat, I love it. Back. Yeah, it does look like that. <laughs> no, I'm never going to get that out of my head, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a really cool video, and it goes into, like I said, some of the internal details of uh, you know what's what the hardware is. 
um, some of the power of the software, how well this tablet actually worked, especially yeah, for basic. Everybody, programs. go check out the manual. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. And if somebody wants to reverse engineer this, I'm sure this could be done cheaper than 499 Canadian dollars by now. Oh, maybe by now. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, out of work EEs out of out there, so maybe one of them will want to take up the challenge. Yeah. Okay, next up, we have 8-Bit Boys Retro on YouTube posted a quick peek of a Septani 2023 project, which is restoring a Cocoa 2. So I'll play, if I can get it to well, play. Well, happy Septandi 2023. So this is this year's project for Septandi. This is a Cocoa 2, or also known as a Radio Shack Color Computer 2. This machine did come from Geek with Social Skills. He got it through a barn find. And uh, it was a dirty machine, and it was cleaned up, but it still had a lot of yellowing on it. And so in this project, the biggest part of this project was for me to take it apart piece by piece, as you see, and totally give it a thorough clean and restore the color as much as we can back to original. And I think that part of the project has been achieved. As you can see over here on the keys, these keys, the whites, were so yellow, it made the gray keys look white. So this and much more will come in a proper video during Septandi on this machine. Now, I'm trying to remember, there were so many machines exchanging hands here. Is this one of the ones you found, Tim, and then it got passed along? Is Tim still here? I think he's gone to sleep. No, I think he left. Okay, never mind that question then. Anyway, look look forward to the full video of that uh, restoration of a Kobo 2 coming up in Septandi. Then we have 8-Bit Retro Journal has also released a preview review for his Coco Septandi project. It's not a short one, so I can't play the whole thing here. It's almost five minutes long. Um, and he had acquired a Coco 2 as well, so he's working on that. But I will mention that it actually originated from his wife's family. So this is actually one that kept in the family. So I'll play just the first little bit of it, but you can go check it out later. And then, of course, he's got his full videos coming out later in the month. Hi, folks. Welcome to my bit Retro Journal. Um, this is a quick clip, five minutes or less. Um, we're in the month of September in 2023. And uh, one of my favorite uh, hashtag events is Septandi. It's actually the first hashtag event that I participated in where basically other YouTubers do uh, videos on the uh, Radio Shack um, Tandy products in the month of September. I actually don't know how many people are doing at this time around. I feel like the hashtag events have kind of faded a bit, but I still like participating in them because um, with Tandy, it's one of those uh, occasions where I bring out my Radio Shack gear. Quick question. Does anybody else think uh, the the tagged events like Septandi, et cetera, are fading? Because I don't see that. I see quite a few Septandi stuff. So. Yeah, I don't think so either. What I know of is uh, the Septandi. But he's, he also mentions he's got like some that. other stuff, like he's got a real pocket computer here. And and this is the Coco 2 that he inherited from his in-laws. So uh, look forward to the full video. We'll definitely check it out when it's released here. If you want a little bit more details, I'll let you guys go play the uh, thing. Obviously, once again, it's in the show note links in our Discord. Next up, 
um, Coco Tan has started releasing a series of videos that he's doing as part of Septandi, which is that old assembly language game I never finished. So back when he was in high school, he decided to try to make a Moon Patrol game and try to learn machine language all at the same time. So he's actually found some of his real drawings. You can see on the little title card here on YouTube. He's got the graphics as he rendered them on the right-hand side. He's got his little hand-drawn stuff on the uh, extended basic manuals, grids for the various resolutions. And he goes through recovering disks, so how he did that. He's found multiple versions of the same code on all the disks, so he's actually you know, ran it through WinDiff and stuff to figure out what changed, to figure out which one is the current latest one before he abandoned the project. Um, I'll play a little bit from the second one, which is actually starts getting the code, figuring out how he did sprites and stuff like that. But uh, <clears throat> definitely he's, he's relearning and trying to figure out what he was doing back as a teenager, which is always a fun thing. I've tried doing that in some of my stuff, too. Also, uh, 8 Bits in the Basement agrees. No, it's not fitting at all, as far as I can see, talking about the Septandi Tash tag stuff. So hey, that's kind of what he's doing there. I'll let you guys go watch that video. I'll play a little bit from the second one, which is, as he titled it, How a Naive High Schooler Managed Sprites. Hello and warmest of Septandi greetings to you and yours. Last time, we started off a new series of videos where I went back in time and took a look at my Moon Patrol clone that I started writing in assembly language and never finished. And in that part, we took a look at what the files were that I was left with, and I try to reconcile and figure out which were the old ones and which are the new ones. In this version, we're going to see how I managed to do sprite management, but I'm probably not legally allowed to use the word sprite or the word management, and you'll probably see what I mean once you see exactly what I did. Anyway, let's take a look. I like the fact you change the intro to throw in his little Moon Patrol car, too. <laughs> Pretty funky. So I went through and I tried to compare all the different files, trying to get what seemed to be the latest version of each thing. I got a few different categories of file. I had a bunch of assembly files, whole bunch of basic files. And I remembered that in order to run the code, I would have this driver program in basic, which would load in various pieces and then set it going. This is what a lot of the driver files looked like. So it would do all the P mode stuff in basic. And then there's generally three categories of binary files that would load in assembled code, the machine language code, the artwork, the backdrop, and then that data thing. I always did this poke. I looked it up. Apparently, I must have read somewhere, this is what you do to make sure that the floppy drive motor is off. I mean, this, this does a whole bunch of things. I don't think any of those would have mattered to me, uh, but, but just by setting it to zero, that turned off the motor. Because I think what might have happened was I maybe load-emmed all of this. The motor keeps on going until like a little timer tells it to stop. And once I started executing here, I think maybe that timer never told it to stop. I don't remember any of this stuff. So then it would let you look at the backdrop until you hit a key. And then finally it would run this code to start running at 3F100. Other driver files look quite similar, but slightly different. Like instead of running schla2, this used trial2. I guess it was all depending on what I... Having recently just gone through some resurrecting work of some mild code, um, this is very familiar to me. 
I'll just fast forward here. We're just actually trying to figure out some of the data bin files. And trying to decode the sprites. So he's got some raw data. He wasn't even sure what size the sprites were. So he's, you know, kind of runs it a couple times to figure out if he's got the right proportions of how many bytes wide a sprite was and how tall. And then he actually gets some of his sprites resurrected so you can kind of see where he was. And this one actually gets animated, the arms wave up and down, for example. And then he found the background for the uh, second level where you're driving through the city scene. So he actually did a fair bit of drawing, he even did some of the shading similar to Lunar Rover Patrol or the original Moon Patrol. So it looks like he actually got, I think, a bit farther along with it than he thought. Um, he kind of didn't remember he did all this back then. So um, I'm hoping his eventual goal with this project, besides you know documenting all he did back in the day, is also to see if he can finish it with the new knowledge he's gained since. And kind of, kind of like Rick Adams when he recreated Bomb Threat type thing. Like he had the video and he had remembrances of the game, but he didn't have any of the code. And basically just duplicated it back off and then you know, changed quite a few things on it too. Looks so very keep... uh, Moon Patrol-ish. Uh, what's, what, what's that Moon Patrol game that we've got on the Coco? The one that looks like this, you mean? Yeah. Lunar very... Robo Patrol by uh, Spectral Associates. It's, it's got a, the colors uh, as well. It's... I don't know if he'd seen Lunar Rover Patrol before he started his own. Because hmm. um, I don't know if he just picked that as a project because he really liked the game and wanted to see what he could do on his own with it and had you know, already seen Lunar Rover Patrol or if he did this and then Lunar Rover Patrol came out and he went, I guess it's done already, why bother? I'm not sure. Again, Hopefully he will, re will reveal all during the series. <laughs> and, like the, and that's right. And uh, the moon has green the pastures, and a blue sky. Well, it's part of the cheese. <laughs> I like the, the moldy cheese. <laughs> it's it's funny because at a very first quick glance, it looks like Lunar Road Patrol because he picked the it same does, colors does. for the same parts of the screen. But the graphic details, even the Earth, is different. Like a fair bit different. Yeah. Even the Moon Patrol rover itself is different. Anyway, it's, it's a pretty interesting series, and like I said, I haven't gone through this recently with that little ninja thing I'd started way back. Um, it's kind of neat going back and going, I didn't remember I did that. <laughs> uh, next up, we had a couple from AC's 8-Bit Zone, and then these were mentioned earlier in the show. So the first video is a simplest no-wires composite video upgrade. And the second one is where he takes uh, the original composite video mods, the Tandy one, which Brian Wizard covered early on the show, and also the Mark Data one that we've covered, a uh, few people have done in the past and made re recreations of, which was a universal adapter to work in Cocoa 1s and 2s and TDPs, etc. And he tries to compare the quality between the two. So the first one, the No Wires composite video, um, I probably won't play that. I'll let you guys watch them on your own. We'll get into the comparison one here, but you can definitely watch the entire video on there. I don't want the show to extend past six hours. Got to save it up for online virtual Cocoa Fest. But here he takes a couple of Coke tubes. I'll just play the intro here. You can it. Hello, and welcome to AC's 8-Bit Zone. Today, I'm taking a look at two different composite video mods on the Coco 1 and Coco 2. That's coming up right now. Oh, where have I seen that 
Hey, in my last video, I showed you the Mark Data Products Universal Video Driver Board. Well, today I'm going to show you that one compared to Tandy's own solution that they sold in educational models of the Coco. Both of them came out in about 1983, and they work about the same. And we'll see them in action in the Coco One and in these two Coco Twos, and with a couple of different TV tuners. So right up front, I'm going to say I'm not a huge fan of composite video mods, but they do have their place. It, uh, if you want the best video, uh, take a look at some of my episodes about the Coco DV, Coco Digital Video. Chances are you've seen some of those already. But if you really want composite video, I will, I will sell uh, these two boards in kit form. So send me an email and I'll send you some information about the kits if you're interested. But uh, you know, composite video has, its, has a time and a place. You may, want to use co you may want to use composite video if your RF modulator just doesn't even work anymore. Or maybe you don't have a TV with an old analog tuner. Uh, but of course if that's the only reason that you don't want to use the RF modulator, you can still find TVs at thrift shops like Goodwills and they're, they're very affordable. But if you do want to make the composite video mod work, then this episode is for you. So come on in and let's look at the older Coco 2. Okay, so diving right in. Anyway, so it goes in the details between like the vertical can or all a can and and then he puts the output to two different monitors that he's got there. And unfortunately, none of them were CRTs. Both of them, I think, were LCDs. Um, but I didn't see a huge amount of difference in the quality. He did mention that the Tandy one, I think, had one less connection or something like that. I can't remember the details because I watched this a while ago after a flurry of videos. Um, then the, the Mark Data one, there was some difference that was uh, a little bit less, you know, to physically make to get it to work. But I didn't really notice a video quality change. So watch the rest of the video if you want to check that out. I think uh, one of the problems is that he's got it hooked up to a uh, LCD monitor. And that will always right. add some of those stupid lines and yeah, bars. So, yeah. So it's a CRT emulator and it's never going to be right. Exactly. No, that's right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next up, Ron Klein has done a whole whack load of updates to the Coco Pride project over the last month, actually, but he hadn't been blogging them for a bit. And now he's kind of caught everything up. So some of these actually had multiple updates. I'm just going to read the latest ones. So basically it has UG basic update as of September the 6th. It has an XROR 1.4.1527 updated on August the 8th. The CMOC uh, 1.85 we talked about earlier just got updated on September the 6th. Quick Basic 64 update August the 30th. Free Basic update on the same date as well. And the Sirius 80 GP emulator is up to version 1.5.1 as of September the 5th. That is an emulator that actually handles the lower end Cocos, the Coco 3, I don't believe is part of that yet, but also handles the black and white tier cities all on one single emulator. So if you want to say compare Nick's uh, donut dilemma between a Model 3 and a Coco, you can do it there. Or you can even do Neutrate, I guess. Um, <laughs> so anyway, if you if you have a Coco Pie, there's a whack load of updates to do here. If you haven't done an update in a while, there's a ton of stuff to do. So And he's got directions that come with a Coco Pie for how to do that. And I think, Ron, you caught up most of these recently, didn't you? Some Ron Delvo is still here and awake. Oh, he must be away. He's still on the call. 
Next up, we have Davey's Retro Corner, and he did multiple blog updates as well. So the first was about getting SG edit into React, which I think is a programming language. I didn't get a chance to look delve into this too much, which is a work in progress. And this is part of his Subtandy um, entries for this, the month. He's got three different blog posts so far. Uh, so SG Edit is an online editor for editing SG graphics. So you can kind of like lay out stuff. And I know Simon Jonasson has used this a fair bit. Um, I think Erico did that too, didn't he, Nick? For some of his graphic adventure game stuff he yeah, was working on. So, so a second blog post uh, related to this was about the VDG characters in the state in React and links to his GitHub and work in progress output. Um, and he's got a sample here. You can see, I'll zoom up a bit here so you can kind of see what the character set looks like in SGEdit. And as you can see here with the square O and the no slash and the zero, this is emulating the original VDG, not the T1. Also, the lack of lowercase letters might have gave that away, but includes the graphics blocks as well. And then his third entry, and the last one I saw, unless he did one today, I haven't got to yet. Um, he's titled this one Screen Time, and it talks about the changes, like being able to draw on the screen with both left and right mouse buttons, which is a change from the original SG edit. And he's got the uh, GitHub with the ad update, too. So he's, he's this is an ongoing project, still a work in progress. Um, I know he plans on doing a few things, like he's you know updated to use either mouse button now instead of just one. He was talking about supporting some of the higher semi-graphics modes, too, which I don't believe the SG Edit original did. I think that just did SG4. But it'd be kind of cool to be able to handle SG8, 12, and 24, which is some of the modes that you know Nick has used on his recent SG games. Next up, Yark. Yet another video channel, which is uh, Todd Horsch. And he announced this on Facebook, and it's on YouTube under Yark. Um, is that his first ever Septandi video? Uh, where he cleans up and upgrades a first-gen Coco 2 multi multi-keyboard version that originally had 16K of RAM. This is going to be a multi-part series. Uh, the first one here, and I won't play too much of it because basically he's just doing the cleaning up of the machine itself. Now, this one might be the one I'm thinking of when I talked about earlier that Tim Linder had, had passed on to him. Hello, and welcome to yet another Retro Channel. I know you guys are probably expecting a midweek palate cleanser since I'm putting this out on Wednesday. I'll skip it in your tip of Joe. Now he goes through here. This is a coax to uh, RCA cable style adapter. And he mentioned that, you know, if you have a TV tuner version of a modern computer or a modern TV set, sorry, like an LCD, that this actually works quite well. And because there's nothing being broadcast in VHF anymore, that uh, you know, the signal's actually not that bad, not quite composite quality, but better than I remember back in the old days, I'll tell you. Well, those, those slide boxes are really noisy, even though they were uh, metal. They, and, you know, with a coax cable, it's all controlled signal. It goes out of the cocoa and into the device. So it's pretty clean. Yeah. And it's, it's nice because it's it's a cheap off-the-shelf part. You just get this little adapter thing, and then you just plug the cable straight in, straight in your TV, and away you go. So it's a, it's nice mm -hmm. if, if you're just sticking with composite. Now, I have to agree with Alan that, you know, digital stuff, like Bob did or Alan's done or Brendan's done, you know, definitely gives you better. And uh, we're using, you know, fancier chips inside of these things that they can actually simulate the uh, composite colors because that was the one big thing missing from the original versions of these. And they brought it up because you basically lost all artifacting. 
Uh, that's pretty well covered too. So I personally would go for that. But if you're on a budget, this is way cheaper than buying one of those boards and, you know, SCART converters and everything else too. So if you want like, you know, one, a solution for like a couple of bucks, can't go wrong with this. Uh, Ken uh, did a sneak preview of his VCF Midwest table. Uh, we actually kind of saw that in the background uh, when they were going through VCF Midwest. So I won't replay that here. Uh, but if you want to kind of see it, you know, where you can actually see it uh, for any length of time, he kind of goes through the different machines because he's got three that he's basically set his uh, display around. One was a Cocoa 3 running Nitrous 9 on the Cocoa STC. Then he's got a uh, Tandy 1100. It's one of the Tandy portables anyway, the LCD screen ones. And then he's got the Tandy Vision, which, of course, is a repackaged Intellivision in a nice, you know, simulated wood case, you know, kind of like the original Atari VCS was. And you can't go wrong with wood grain cases. That's what I say. Uh, Cheer City Retro Programming returned uh, for the first time in a couple of weeks. And this time he decided to do a little side project. Um, I think he's actually taking classes right now. He kind of mentioned that he's got some classes that he's taking. So I think he's kind of doing adult education. And I'm guessing he's got a math class in here because he's he's been doing a couple of these math-related um, things over the last few months. Does the phrase uh, regular heptagon have anything to do with your opinion? <laughs> yeah, that, that that kind of hinted me in that direction too. So he basically does some drawing here and then you know kind of goes a little bit through the formula to calculate the area or the angle, sorry, of uh exactly what Rick Rick just said, which I'm not gonna repeat. <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a lengthy video, but it kind of goes through a little bit of the math. Uh so once again, I'll pass it on to Nick because Nick loves math. But definitely go check that one out. Now, I did suggest to him, I don't think he's familiar with Septandi. Um, so I said, well, if you're going to be doing like, you know, Cocoa related videos here, put the Septandi hashtag because then you'll get a lot more viewers because people are actively hunting out that hashtag. So I know a lot of his stuff seems to disappear in the background because he only has 50 subscribers. So hopefully he does that and uh, we'll start getting some more viewers. Now, this one is not directly Cocoa related. Um Basically, TGB Chris here does a demo, and as you can see, he's got a whole ton of uh, Tier City Model 3s, 4s, etc. here. Uh, and he's got a network controller, too. Now, Tandy made four network controller things, which were used for classrooms. So we're kind of getting the educational thing here, like we're talking about the composite out uh, uh, Cocos that Tandy put out. And the network controller, too, was one that was based on the cassette. And basically, you'd have a host machine that could have drives and whatever else, you know, the big hyped-up machine. And then you have this controller with a 16-slot switch and uh, another switch that goes between 500 and 1500 baud. And I think that's because the Model 1 ran at 500 baud, and I think the Model 3 and 4 were capable of 1500, as was the Coco. Yeah, and basically, yeah. you would have your host machine load a basic program off disk or whatever, and then you could tell it to transmit it through cassette ports linked up to the network controller too. It, the person on the host machine would type C, save the program. All the other students or whoever that was linked up to this would type C load and it would simultaneously load on up to 16 machines that program from the host. So that everybody loaded all at once at the exact same time. It's good for doing tests and stuff like that. Now, he could not get the Cocos to work. Now, this was advertised in the Radio Shack catalogs as being Coco and Model 1.3. And he could not get it to work. Now, I've been talking with Aaron Ishmael at uh, Vintage Geek. And Ken and I actually saw the network too, and they were having trouble with theirs too on the Coco there. And between the two of them, I think they finally figured out there's something about the audio level between a Coco one and then all Coco twos and threes on the cassette that is different. And the network controller two does not function reliably at all 
if you've got a Coco 2 or a Coco 3 hooked up to it. Hmm. Uh, Chris did not, I think, try the model or the Coco 1 here, but uh, Vintage Geek, I think they're releasing the video today, actually. It actually has the Coco running on a Network 2 controller, which is kind of a companion video to this, even though they had no idea each other was doing this at the time. And they figured out the only way they could get it to work was with Coco 1s or a TDP 100, which is basically a Coco 1F board. So something in the circuitry. Now, if I remember correctly, you hardware gurus can tell me the salt chip. When What machines is that in? Okay. I'm pretty sure that's yeah, that was two a two. Yeah. yeah, two and three. Definitely yeah, three. so those two do not work. Now, that's used for the cassette as well. Isn't that one of its functions is to help handle it? Yeah, we don't yeah. have 12 volts anymore, so we have to make up all that stuff. So I'm wondering if so, that is the difference. Like when they switch to the salt, is that what broke? Like the signal's not strong enough or whatever the, the difference is here. But I, apparently Vintage Geek, and I haven't had a chance to see if the video got released yet today, um, but he supposedly gets it working only with Coco 1-based machines. And then it does work, but it does not work in a 2 or 3. So it means that means using a Coco 1, you have to use a Coco 1 in order to send the signal? or Either. Or, or Either. and only Coco 1 so work on receiving this is, So this is assuming the bit banger on the Coco, right? No, this is cassette. I think or, the network oh, 3... The port. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, the network 3, like there's a couple that worked with the Coco. The network 4 did not. But I think mm. the, the one didn't either because it's 500 baht only or something. But I think the 2 was the cassette one and the 3 was the serial I or used D-load or whatever. Gotcha. This one, you just lose C-save and C-load, basically. So anybody's huh. loading a program to C-load and the sender does a C-save and it just sends the audio signal from the C-save directly up to whatever many terminals. So you're um, loading in the field. Now, the yeah. nice thing, I, I've never seen one of these actually running. I remember seeing them in the store, never being demoed, but I've seen the hardware before and I've seen the catalogs. But actually lights up. So you basically what you do is you tell your classroom, like all you people out there on these uh, Cocos or Model 1s or whatever, Type C load, and every every time they type C load, it sends the motor relay click basically over the cassette cable to the network two controller, and there's little LED lights. There's a row of sixteen lights, and every time somebody types in C load, that lights up, so the teacher knows that guy's ready to receive. That guy's ready to receive. You wait until all the lights you're expecting. So if you had ten computers, it could be ten lights. Then you type C save, and you know it's automatically going to load in all ten machines. Kind of an ingenious method, given the old <laughs> early technology of eighty one, eighty two. Nick, type C load. Nick, wake up, Nick. Type C load. It, you obviously watch the video because he exactly explains it like wake up and type C load. Like that's literally what he says in the video. So <laughs> but it's it's a very interesting because this is something I remember reading about and I thought that'd be a cool idea. I never saw one running. Uh, even in the computer center, they didn't really have it running that I ever got to see it set up. I was wondering for any of you here that actually were in school during the early 80s part of the Coco, or even the late 70s with the Model 1, 3, and the uh, Network 1 controller. Did any of you ever use these out in school? No, but or... I have I have one. I, I don't know uh, much about it, but um, does it have a spot for... Well, we haven't looked at it close up. I, I should go back and pull it out and look at it. But yeah, we should figure, first if... of all, which one you have, because the Coco, I think, worked with right. the 2 and the 3. I have the one like in the picture at the bottom, I think. I haven't seen it in a Ooh. while, but um, that one. And do, does it have a power supply that hooks to it or? I believe so, but I'm not sure. I can't remember off the top of my head. You don't see one there anywhere, do you? 
Well, there's quite a few cables no, coming out from all over. There's there's some off. There's multiple cables coming off the right. You can see on the back. So I don't know if one of those is power. Hmm. This could be an inert device. There's nothing here that requires power. There's just a switch. So with the, the twelve volt, twelve go to. Sorry, go uh, ahead, Mark. It, it, yeah, it the main thing is the the audio signal has to go to multiple computers. That'd be the only thing is potentially there could be too much of a load. Boosted. Yeah, it had to have an amplifier of some sort. Yeah. Now, he said this is not quite correct because he's got a newer version of the Radio Shack computer cassette recorders here, whereas the originals would have been on the old CCR80 or whatever the heck the, the yeah, fat one chubby one is. Too. Yeah. But here you can see the switch where you do the input select. Now, you can even have it so a student could actually send a, com a program back to the host. If you flip that switch to a certain computer... You can have student on term or on computer number nine. He types C save and you type C load on the main one. You can get his homework up to there and save it on disk on there. And you can go check it out later on or check it immediately if you want to. So you have single machines can send stuff up to the host and the host can send to multiple up to 60 machines at once. Uh, just by doing C save and they do C load. Like I said, pretty ingenious uh, way to do uh, cheap networking. Because I mean, networking back then would have been thousands and thousands of dollars. That says network two. Is there a network one? Yes, there was. But that was in the model one only, from what I understand. Oh, okay. I think it was 500 baud only was part of the problem, too, when the Cocos started at 1,500. Yeah, but imagine 25-foot uh, cassette cables. Right. Well, TGB Chris was mentioning when these were first went on sale, when you bought the box, you actually got all 16 cassette cables that came with it. And then later yeah. they kind of dropped that requirement because people sometimes only wanted to you know hook up four and maybe add more later on. Well, they'd need uh, different links. Yeah. And how long could you go on a cable before you start losing enough signal? It just runs like crap. I don't know. Yeah, that could be the magic. Hmm. Well, no, it's it's a headphone impedance, so it'll carry pretty good, but. Yeah, you need nice Anyway, cables. if you want a really good detail on how this worked with lives examples, I'll actually see if we can play one of those. Now, I'll I wonder play this what little the, snippet here. Sorry? I wonder what the uh, lettering on the top of that thing uh, has anything to do with anything. It's I have a school no idea. tag. Someone yeah. independent school district 95001. <laughs> huh. So I'll play this one little snippet here, which is kind of showing it in action, sending stuff from the host to the student terminals. Going to go do that. First things first, the host here is a Model 4, and this version of LDOS actually runs the Model 4 at 4 megahertz, even though we're in the Model 3 mode. So the very first thing you need to do if you're on a Model 4, especially if you have I.O. problems, is set the system to slow. And this is a particular problem with LDOS. The way we do that is with the system slow command. Now that we've accomplished that, and we've agreed that we're going to run the kinetic program, I'm going to type basic, and in parentheses, high. This tells it to use the high speed for the cassette port. You may have noticed when I showed the power-up screens for the models 3 and 4 cassette systems, I just press enter at the cassette prompt, the default speed is high. I'm now going to load kinetic. Oh, that's because I can't spell. Or at least I can't type. Okay, Kinetic is loaded. And now here is where we need to tell the students, hey, every student, type C load on your machine and press enter. 
All right, we're going to type C load. And remember, the students can do this, so the teacher doesn't have to walk around and pre-do this. And now we're going to press Enter. And you can see light 16 is lit up. It uses the cassette relay control to do that. Now over to the Model 4 over here in our corner here. We're going to see load. Oops, not code. Load. And I'm going to push the Enter key here. And you see we have another light. Now Station 5 is also requesting. So I'm the teacher, and I know someone like me is over at the other machine screwing off on it, probably poking around or whatever I was doing. Hey, TJB Chris, stop fooling around and type C load and get with the program you're holding up the class. Fine, fine, teacher, whatever you say, here comes the C load. And now can I get this over there so you can see it? Yes, I can. Okay. All three students who bothered to show up for class today are now ready to load. <laughs> 5, 7, and 16. With everybody ready to load, let's send the program. And this is done by a simple C save. And I'm just going to give it the letter K for the file name. These file names are a single character on these machines. And now, you see we have the flashing stars up in the screen. And as I go through the machine, the host is saving it. The Model 3 is also loading it. That would be the flashing F on the Coco. And the other Model 4 is also loading it. These machines are going to continue to load until the host stops sending it, at which point the program will be done loading, and all the machines will simultaneously turn off their cassette relays. I'm just going to kind of let this sit here and do its thing. You should see... You, the, be able to mix you the should see the star stop flashing and the lights on the network controller all go off at the same time. In fact, let's get just the Model 3 into frame. You're just gonna... What was that, Mark? You wouldn't be able to mix the different computer families together at the same time, would you? No, I think software. they're, they're first their basics are completely different, tokenizing yeah. and everything else. It's like you either had to have an all Coco class or... Or an all Model 1 and 3 one. class, yeah. Yeah. It's just that if you had uh, multiple sets of these and you switched the network controller between classes, you didn't have to buy a whole complete set of both. Right. Going to have to trust me. So I'm simultaneously loading the program across all the machines. And part of the reason I'm making you sit here and listen to me drivel on is because you're going to go, well, this is slow. Why would you do this? And I would say, well, imagine either trying to herd... 16 cats in terms of students into <laughs> loading, rewinding, running cassette recorders before class or during class going from machine to machine and trying to start these and then having to deal with volume errors at one or bad tapes or anything else. This makes it easy for you. Oh, they just all stopped and you can see all our lights are out. This makes it easy for you, the educator, to distribute a program across all the machines. And now let's start over here at Captain Screw-Offs, that'd be my machine, <laughs> and give this a run. <laughs> R-U-N, and we have the kinetic game. Now, if you really want, and you trust a student who's probably not me, you can also run the program here, so now your disk system it becomes your, a lesson machine for another student. And we'll run this one. And finally, we'll run this one. Multitasking. And that's really where the Network 2 and the Network 1 really come into play, allowing you to simultaneously send a program to as many TRS-80s as you'd like and make sure that they all get the same program. They only have to be loaded once, and you can even help put your students to work in getting the program there. Now let's take a look at the scenario where 
Perhaps maybe you've got two different students on one lesson and maybe another student on a different lesson. All right. Anyway, I'll let you guys uh, watch the actual video to get all the other details there. But that was a pretty good demonstration and the first really decent one I've seen. I'm looking forward to see Vintage Geeks because he actually got Coco's running on his, though I think he just has one host and one client because he only had one Coco one and one uh, TDP 100. And I'd be interested if if people think, the hardware gurus here, if they think there's any way that a Network 2 could be fixed, quote-unquote, to actually handle Coco 2 and Coco 3 uh, cassette whatever the hell is different between them that causes it not to work with those. Mm -hmm. Maybe without yeah. actually opening one up, you, you can't figure that out. I don't know, but it's gotta be with the volume levels or, or an impedance thing. Like I say, if this isn't powered, there's a high impedance thing going on. If it is powered, I mean, if the Coco two and three are low impedance or something, then maybe that's the difference is the trick they're using yeah. to make all the ones work. Mm -hmm. Because the Coco well, Coco One has other thing, beefy amplifiers in it. The other thing I'm wondering is, um, I think the TRS80 uses um, uh, model one, twos, and threes, or whatever one, threes and fours, use square waves for their tape. So, and the Coco has sine waves. I wonder if there's something in that box which is um, not taking Can't that handle that. Yeah. yeah. Well, wouldn't it fail on a Coco One then too? They didn't change it between the Coco One and Two as far as what type of wave oh, it that's used. True. It works yeah. on that one. And also mean that games or things, anything saved in the Coco One wouldn't work on a Coco Two or Coco Three if it was the that critical. Right, and yeah. one on one it works. So there must be something yeah. about the aggregation. Yeah. And, and then tapes themselves between a Coco One, Two, and Three will work fine too. So right. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm hoping the Vintage Geek, because I mean, he's he left a comment actually on TGB. Chris is here because I, I let him know that TGB had, had released this. And he said, yeah, we just finished our video for the Coco. It's going to get released on Saturday today. Um, so check his channel also on YouTube. Um, but they, he suspects, and TGB Chris had also speculated, you'll hear him talk about it in the video here, that he thinks the reason the Coco didn't work is an incompatibility between the one and the two and three. And the only thing I remember between those is the, either the 12 volt versus five volt, if that had any difference at all. And then the salt chip, because that's the only other thing between the two that would affect the cassette that is different that I know of, unless you guys know of something else beyond those two. Hey, Curtis. Yep. I was, I was just reading the comment here from a uh, vintage geek says that um, he was able to be successful in sending data from a Coco one and reading it on a Coco two, but the opposite would not work. Oh, okay. So it says, thinks it's probably a loudness. It says uh, the audio is just louder coming out of Coco One. So yeah, so okay. So so just so then, This is yep. set up as like master and slave. If mm, is there no. is there a certain can can a um the sender one be any one of those sixteen? It looks like yep. it. No. the okay. selection dial. I think will select whichever oh. one's going to be the sender. Well, well yeah, okay. one on one. But for the master group thing, you've got the cassette tape that's plugged into the master unit, and that is your master. Yeah. And that's yeah. the server, if you will. Yeah. Well, there's probably sixteen different ways to try it. <laughs> well, you, know, you could have one guy load stuff back to the server, and then have the server put it back to the other fifteen people all at once. But you know. But like I said, I, I don't know if the video is out yet from Vintage Geek, but uh, because the show is already going to be long enough with all the VCF stuff, I, I didn't want to start adding more stuff today, especially considering I got you know back home from out of town well, really late this morning. A, here's another question. We'll cover it next week. That will probably not be answered, but 
Um, what other, you know, was there a Commodore or Apple that did the same thing? And what was their machine like? I um, do not I know. I don't recall they, Apple ever did anything Apple like was that. In, in schools, right? How did they get yeah, distributed? But the, well, I'll, um, basically the Apple, they moved to the floppy disk pretty quickly. Was brought it out in 78 because they knew the cassette was too slow. Um, what they usually did in schools, I've never seen anything done like this with the Apple with a cassette, but there was a company called Corvus that made a hard drive and a network controller, and they had individual cards that would go in each of the Apples. And then because the Apple, you can basically, any of the slots, you can boot from it. Basically, it, it's a shared uh, hard disk server. That sounds expensive. Ooh. It is. Well, Apple is expensive to begin with. But if you're you know, paying money for expensive Apples, you're well, you know, brother. More. Brother Jeremy had that Corvus card for the Coco. Yeah, the one that Microwave did. That might have yeah. been intended to tie into this Apple thing with Corvus's yeah. educational network. Did anybody finish disassembling the ROM? Because somebody was supposed to assemble the ROM to see how exactly it worked because there was some protocol it was using. I think Mikey was looking at the deload, wasn't he? I honestly don't remember. Huh. I know yeah, Microwave made those. I know it was cute because it used twin lead for the Ethernet cable instead of uh, coax, which is a very tandy kind of thing to do. It even had the screws with the little vampire teeth to screw down on the twin lead to hook it up. Oh, like an old TV really? antenna. <laughs> yeah, because Brother Jeremy had a couple of those cards. If I remember you got them from microwave before they were going to throw them out. Right. If you move the screen forward just a little bit, you won't right, get right. all the hands up right in your network will work. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we'll, we'll be doing a follow-up on this next week when we cover Vintage Geeks, uh, you know, using the Coco, using the same controller, which, like I said, Ken and I saw it down there, and they were trying to get it to work briefly when we were there, and they just couldn't get it to work probably because of what we're talking about, the volume levels. So we ended Everybody up doing up stuff on the, uh, uh, you know, th that page thing where you tap the numbers on the, the electronic book. We did that <laughs> instead. Something else is maybe the mechanical switching devices need to be sprayed with deoxid or something. You know, because it's no, because it's consistent even between different uh, machines of different, uh, you know, cleanliness of the same models. It's the model difference that causes the problem from the experiments that both teach. Like Chris was trying to get, he originally wanted to do this video with the Coco. He wasn't going to use the model threes and fours. He mentioned that at the beginning of the video. This was supposed to be a Coco Network 2 video. And then, uh, you know, Vintage Geek was trying to do the exact same thing and it had the exact same problem. So I don't think it's related to just something being dirty because it would be pretty coincidental right. that the exact same models at, you know, both places, one's in Canada, one's in the, are, are in different parts of the states, I should say, you know, getting the exact same results, trying to do the same thing with totally different machines. Is there an um, instruction manual that comes with that gizmo? Do you know? I would assume yeah. there is. I, I haven't looked for it or seen it. Myself, it might even be in the archive. I haven't checked. I think it was a whole like teacher's binder type of thing. Oh yeah. And next when up, did it come out? Oh, sorry. Uh, network one came out eighty or eighty one, and the two came out in eighty one or eighty two, I believe. So before the Coco two, even. Oh yeah. I'll dig mine out and take some pictures of it. Yeah, yeah, actually, if you get the case apart and take a picture of the inside, I wouldn't mind seeing if it's just straight wiring to all of the different cassette ports or if it's something else involved. I reckon there'll be an amplifier in there. 
So would it fix it if you had a bigger amplifier or something that could boost the signal well, more? maybe there's an adjustment to that amplifier to, to make up, you know, the volt. If it's a, a volume issue, you might be able to adjust the volume on it and bang, there it goes, works on a well, Faco 1. Well, that yeah. is the question because there may not be. I know of a lot of ways to do this job without amplification that wouldn't necessarily work in other uh, cases. It'd be cool yeah. if mine had a turbo switch. Yeah. <laughs> well, well that's just a 1500 baud versus 500. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, David Lord in the chat is saying Coco 1 is op amp in out. Coco Tune 3 does not straight from IC may not have enough drive. There you go. Yeah. Not enough that drive and too low in impedance. Yeah. What if you got what was saying about what, what if you got the drill battery on the Coco? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think we should inject nitrous oxide. Yeah. Anyway, next up, this is kind of a reminder about Tandy Assembly that they're going to be doing the uh, trash talk live. Number 35 I mentioned this earlier, but I got the specific date here now. So at September 23rd, which is two Saturdays from now, right? Am I doing my math right? Yes. Two Saturdays from now uh, at 5 p.m. Eastern. So hopefully we won't overrun ours and, and completely blank it over. But if you guys are interested, what is going to be covered at Tandy Assembly this year? They will be reviewing all the tech track classes, the speakers, the exhibits, and the sponsors. So for a bit of a preview of the show and, and seeing if there's enough or enough things that you're interested in that you might want to attend, please listen to their show live on YouTube at the Trash Talk YouTube channel in two weeks. Next up, uh, I know MM1s are a bit rare these days, but... Um, Keith March has posted in the Coco Facebook group that he's, and also in the MM1 group, he's got some updates for the M1. He's, some is going to be hardware, some is going to be manual. So the first one he did, there's a couple of corrections to the original MM1 manuals for a few mistakes that were done on there, which I think is this one. Yeah, so right here he mentions pin 60 and pin 64 had mistakes as the way they were labeled in the original MM1 manual. So if you've been trying to get that to work, and this is for the mini bus uh, for attaching other devices to it. And now he's working on some hardware um, where he's going to be doing an upgrade to the mini bus. And he's going to, he says he has a working prototype that supports the newer ATX power supply. Um, Cause of course, you know, the M1 was built in the early nineties. So it, did it differently here. So, and Pedro Pena has actually been uh, one of the people involved in helping make this here, inspired by Keith March, as it says on here. So, they're actually working on uh, replacing some of the hardware with something that's a bit more easy to get uh, power supplies for. Hmm. So, I don't know what he has planned past this, but just getting the manual corrected and adding this is probably the first new MM1 development I've seen in several decades. So, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, maybe it's coming out soon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they did sell about 500 of them, I think, all told. Um, this next one I'll just cover briefly because we did cover this last year. But uh, Craig Marshall, um, as part of Septandy in Australia, went to the Adelaide Retro Show, and his Tandy display covers a Coco 1, a Coco 2. And uh, I won't repeat the uh, swear word, you know, I won't zoom up the screen too much, you can read it for those who get easily offended. But if you look at the middle of Coco 1 here, it's got that kind of Hood thing where lips. you can see an air gap. That's not for cooling. That's because he accidentally left it in the sun <laughs> in his car and it melted the case and warped it that bad. Yeah. So, 
But it's I, I can't remember if you said if it still worked or not, because I don't know if it affected the motherboard, but the case is definitely screwed. No, I remember reading this still works. It does? Okay. Yeah. Yes. I was trying to remember from last year because we did cover this last year, but it's it's good. Now, um Adelaide seems to be doing this retro show every year. So I'm kind of curious if we get some newer cocoa owners or people getting back into the hobby there, if we can get some others. Cause I know Daniel goes to this one and I know that he goes to this one. Uh, Keith, um, Nick, I believe you're, you're too far away to get to this anymore. Not anyway, really. uh, not yeah. too far from me. So you're saying is some other cocoa people get involved and they start showing up at the show there. So I'd be, I hope there's a follow-up kind of saying, you know, who all showed up to the show. It's, it's definitely Facebook not as busy as VCF. I'll say that. Sorry, go ahead. Do a refresh on face, uh, Facebook because Danielle's posted a new message as well. If you're on the Facebook page, I'm right on his specific link. I don't. I have to go hunt hers down. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's the wrong. Yeah, because this is basically just just the one post. Right. Yep. We can cover it next week too, because we're doing follow-ups on BCF and oh, no, the Adelaide Retro Center. Something else he's posted about about it. Well, something else I wanted to show. Okay, well, if you want to bring it up, Nick, while I'm finishing this up, because I'm just about I can done. I'll just show you the picture after the after the last news item. Okay. This is the last news item, which I'm going to play in its full entirety because it's only 56 seconds. So Karen is in the chat as Sixie here has been doing the uh, reproduction of the Dragon 64 motherboard whilst, uh, I'm going to remember which one it is. Is it Julian Brown is doing the Dragon 32 one? I think. Hopefully I got that right. But basically, you can see here the actual board with some, you know, a little bit of electronics has been pre-installed, but there's no sockets, there's no chips, etc. So he does a, a build up of adding all this stuff on as a time lapse. And this just scares me because I hate soldering and uh, having to do all this would just Drive me mental. Look how easy it is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see no solder. <laughs> I can put the chips in the sockets. I, I might be able to accomplish that. Can't even get all the resistors neatly bent. Are we going to see the bodge wires too? I think he's gone. They've gone enough through uh, iterations of this board here. I don't think it needs bod wires anymore. Wow. I mean, even Tandy C and D boards had bod wires from Tandy. I had a few. Right. And look what it managed to run. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, it really works now. Yeah, he's got style. <laughs> no That's taste, but he's got style. <laughs> and that is it for the news officially as of yesterday evening, because I didn't get a chance to include any of the stuff that happened today. We'll be doing covering that next week. And that's that. So, Nick, if you have this thing that you're referring to here um, yep, uh, from the Adelaide Retro, just uh... that'll be our final item. Wait, I do have one thing to share quick before we leave. It's just okay. an update, and it's on and off. I'll, I'll wait till he's done. Oh, okay. well, it was just, there's a few pictures, but I saw this one. I just had to show it. This is um, Danielle's <laughs> uh, computer room, <laughs> and that's on this morning. So he's already Nick, your but, ego knows no bounds. I don't know what else That's to right. Say. So he's got... <laughs> He's got my pong running on every color computer there. I thought that's <laughs> impressive. 
Well, at least it's not neutral. Well, oh, wait, I promised a... I wasn't going to do that anymore. Sorry. No, it, it's too bad. It wasn't <laughs> Looks like he's got well, the start of a flux capacitor there. Right. He's That's got exactly the results of the contest by. already. He's probably already run the dang thing. He actually had the flux capacitor, I think, at the last Adelaide retrograde. Yeah, yeah, or is yeah, he just right. showing it? Or is he just showing it in his own place? I can't remember. Or well, the, these photos Sheep, are sorry. from the future. He's brought in with the flux capacitor. Right. Like yeah. said, she's already won it, and she's just teasing us right now. That's yeah. right. <laughs> the reason she's not in this picture is because she traveled to the future. So, right, right. Anyway, I'll stop the share and let Ron get on. There we go. That's all. Okay. Hey, Ron. All right. I'm looking to see where this is. I guess it's here. Okay. So if I go to uh, home. Where is it? Uh, oh, did I post it here or not? Oh, jeez. Sorry, hang on a sec. Um, I have to go to Tim. Here, look. There is a sticker on the um oh the warranty sticker the X pad yeah <laughs> so he, evidently he must have torn his off or it it didn't have it but it, yeah it says uh right. you get whacked if yeah you opening don't. a case will void the warranty basically yeah that's all I wanted to show was that under the main label or that did no there was, I don't think there was a main label on there the was no label oh, no. okay well, yeah yeah I sent so, that to him. And, um, Except Ron wins on a technicality. There was a label. There Even was though a label. there wasn't a label. <laughs> it wasn't the kind of label you think. Yeah. I will mention I was going to try to get a hold of Grant to see if we could actually get them back on to say hi to Neil or Taylor and Amy because they were you know all the seminars and stuff. And I've had zero response. I'm assuming they're probably all out to supper and that's, that's not happening. So we won't worry about it. We'll, we'll hook up with them all later. So I think that's that's the show for this week. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song, copyright 2022, D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay, I guess that does it for this week. Yep, uh, so join us next week. I will mention I've gotten confirmation that the interview with Mark P. and Charlie of portacoco.com is happening next week. Mark will be making arrangements for a Zoom test sometime in the week. If you want to send me a message, Mark, what uh, dates and times work best for you? Just to make sure everything works. Yeah, anything except uh, Thursday evening. Anything else should be fine. Okay. So I'll get that. I'll get that set up. We'll do the test there. But that's our guests for an interview next week. Okay. Well, in that case, Please. 
Bye. Mm. See y'all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.